Hello, I'm John Waters, and I'm supposed to announce there is no smoking in this theater, which I think is one of the most ridiculous things I've ever heard of in my life. How can anyone sit through a length of a film, and especially a European film, and not have a cigarette? But don't you wish you had one right now? Mmm, 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 mmm. And I'm telling you, smoke anyway. It gives ushers jobs. And if people didn't smoke, there would be no employment for the youth of today. So once again, no smoking in this theater. Mm. The sound? Can you just be like? Uh, nice. No, yeah. but I am. This is a blueberry kombucha that blueberry uh, got me from the store. Blueberry, if you will, Wisconsin. <laughs> Drink to your health. Those motherfuckers in Door County have really got that on lock. I feel like every single like bespoke sort of boutique beverage they they really have like their own version of. You know what I mean? Like wine, coffee, organic white tip green tea with jasmine flower essence and the antioxidant power of blueberries infused with loving intention so you may stifle your worries and operate your day with purpose and compassion. I've Holy always shit. been looking for a beverage no. that'll help me stifle my worries. <laughs> and approach each yeah, day yeah. with I mean, respect and compassion. It's so amazing how many different ways they get kombucha to taste like shit. <laughs> Taking my There's first so sip. many different flavors. Good. They've it's got like everything great. in there from like fucking white tip teas to fucking Folks, buffalo nuts. And... <laughs> After white I drink a kombucha, that's true. A, if there's a, a bad nice taste in my mouth, buddy. <laughs> sounds like a delightful time. Yeah, if it was tea, not if it's fucking whatever the regurgitated is, is basically it, penguin it's it's, vomit kombucha is. Do you know how you might want to Google how kombucha is made? Is yeah. all I'm saying. Have that's you ever seen saying. GT? Have we talked about GT Dave? We've talked about GT Dave, mm-hmm, right, on mm-hmm. this podcast, the creator of kombucha, allegedly. Yes. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, uh, the, the creator that one brand. He, he popularized it in the West, yeah. And he looks like the mannequin from the Twilight Zone. <laughs> he looks good. He looks like an, uh, like an express model, you know, like the, the clothing store. Sure, yeah. Yeah, he looks like, like a mannequin a, for an express. Right, yeah. Just like slightly too tight clothes, everything very sheeny. For some I mean? reason, his face um, is like chrome. It's like so shiny that it's yeah. t-shirts for some reason. Yeah, yeah. No part of it. You know, is you, still those. Did we watch that one? Uh, there's a really great walkthrough of his house. Uh, and it's like the most serial killer shit you'll ever see in your life. It's amazing. Like even for a billionaire, his house is like on some like real scary shit. How many locked uh, doors in that house tour that he will not show you? <laughs> No, like literally, there are several, right? He's just like, oh, can't go in there. <laughs> Don't want to see where the booch is made. That's what no, he yes, says. That's his catchphrase. What, 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 what else are we drinking then? So we covered the kombucha pretty oh. thoroughly. It's uh, Harry, what do you got? Coffee. I missed, I missed Smoke Him Saturday, so it is indeed a Smoke Him Sunday. Happy New Year. That's very nice. Oh, Thank used, you. I used, I used my mug I, uh, on yesterday. This was, but there's a story with Classic. that mug, right, Cody? Oh yeah, yeah. I use the the Smokem Saturday mug on Saturday, as I habitually do. But yeah, the mug I'm holding, and that our listeners cannot see, so that they don't indict me uh, or dox me for the alleged mug theft from our initial um, OG yeah. recording location. Oh, yes. um, this is well, that so mug that yeah. I well, in trended the, toward the thing is that we all stole a mug, but. 
uh, that our original recording studio was Jason's place of work, mm-hmm. Struthers. Yes. <laughs> and we all stole branded Struther communications mugs, which were clearly made for that office by that yeah. office. Well, Whereas I, Cody fucking stole one. what is clearly somebody's personal mug that they brought into the office. You, it's uh, like no, uh, it twice the size. Too, too. Really yeah. just bring it out like a hunting trophy, like a Republican with an <laughs> endangered giraffe or something. That's right. Look at that winning smile he's got on his face, too. It just he loves it. Um, I, do. I would be using my Smoke em Saturday cup, but I think I, I sort of gift of the Magi myself in that I gave away my version of it to Grant, I believe. So oh, wow. I ironically don't have the Smoke em Saturday cup. I, mean, I gave truly, away all the truly, ones that's, that. that's the most pro-family thing you could have done, though. It's true. In, in your defense. I'm, mm. I'm always calling myself the Vin Diesel of the chat. Uh, except not now, because he was very recently indicted no. for... Uh, actually, no, I take no, that back. I, we'll edit that out, Jason. Yeah, I am no longer the Vin Diesel of the chat. Uh, my, he is uh, now problematic. My Fast and Furious mug has people asking me a lot of questions about my allegiances to Fast and Furious yeah. cast. Um, I am drinking a small McDonald's coffee and a large McDonald's Coca-Cola. Whoa! Wow, nice double. Barrel. I sometimes yeah, have uh, acid problems in my tummy, <laughs> oh, and I, I can't figure out why. <laughs> yeah, I've got a, a hams, but it's hidden behind a water, which is hidden behind my coffee. So I'm going to try to stick. to Are that you just going to? Yeah, I was going to say finish. you're going to go yeah, down, down the line. line. <laughs> yeah, I think nice. so. And then very good. What after after hour eight, we'll see where we're at with beverages. I mean, yeah, some we'll see. In. I don't have any beer in my house right now. It's all at Charlie's house. I brought it to I Charlie's think you house. Coffee drinkers are being very optimistic about how long that coffee is going to stay warm for. I of course. Have oh no, I'm going to pound it, and then I'm just going to need to just sure all also the whole time right. okay that's this, not, maybe maybe this the, is insane and hmm. and upsetting to people um i uh i will drink coffee at any temperature mm-hmm. unfortunately mm-hmm. like i'm just uh, fully do, yeah i've grown so accustomed prepared at that temperature you know oh sure no i mean i'm like i will drink you know like eight hour no, coffee no. that's been sitting on my desk oh yeah sorry yeah. two day coffee it's just a Leave it yeah, weekend. it's just a like a no, working, thing, working man up. thing I'm a, it's a, I'm it's a working, working class do thing. Do not do that, but I I get it. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, sort of. Yeah. But you know, it's his way of punching up at the bourgeoisie. They want him to grind brand new beans for the same old ass. Coffee. Oh, you need your coffee hot, <laughs> fucking bouge. That's what I call them. I call them bouges. That's my have, contribution. Okay, so, so before actually discussing the episode that we're supposed to be recording, we have discussed kombucha, beer, uh, bougie bougie coffee. Uh, our Twilight. twisted takes our twisted on takes. contemporary beverages. <laughs> contemporary beverages. I guess kombucha is kind of a contemporary beverage. If you ask GT Dave, I'm yeah, also drinking right. water. 2015. I got a good old hydration. Classic. Water. Yeah, gonna, H2O. Yeah, wow. Yeah, first time. Alert, but I'm going to need to. Uh, I'm going to need to abandon my post at some point to get my water because I forgot to bring it up. Same. Here. Yeah. Uh, it's it's probably downstairs. yeah. Uh, wonderful time uh, here on. Try love. It's a literal one to a podcast. Six minutes. Holy shit, guys. That might be our longest cold open ever. Uh, six it's minutes. Definitely not, dog. It's uh, definitely not. Maybe. maybe. <laughs> uh, you're listening to Try Love, literal round table podcast, uh, where we talk about movies we saw, people we met, and then we rank both of those things uh, on a once a year episode that we're recording today. Um, you can find us on Twitter at Try Love Podcast, find the Try Line at Try Line Cinema, and at trylon.org. My name is Jason Daphnis. I, if I may, guys, I'd love to introduce you. Uh, I'm one of the people who makes this podcast. But I don't want them to expend their energy sort of like explaining who they are and getting into their backstories and stuff. So if it's okay, I'm, I would just love to like give you each a role. We'll go in the regular order. But uh, as you heard, I'm Jason. Um, I want you to bring me the head of 
It's Cody Narvison uh, in that corner. Say hi, Cody. Hi, Cody. Uh, thank you for having me on today. It's great to be here. Uh, don't call him a conformist. It's Harry Mackin in that corner. Hello, Harry. Hi, Jason. First time, <laughs> long time. Great to be here. <laughs> I, I cracked myself up. Uh, and in the final corner, this is a four. Uh, we're going to fight a lot. Uh, have you ever met a madder god? This is the only reference to a movie that we didn't talk about this year. Aaron Grossman. Sure, that's fine. You can only yeah, think hey. of two movies that we watched this year. <laughs> So you just had to come up with yes. a different one for yeah. I saw six movies this year, and none of them would uh, uh, fit into a funny little intro. Maybe, so Jason had to do that. Maybe yeah. my my uh, my resolution for twenty twenty four is to like watch none of the movies that we're supposed to record on, and then record the episode anyway, and see how far I can get just off of like a basic summary yeah. of, the, of the plot. That's a good idea. That'd be pretty fun. That'd be pretty fun. My maybe yeah. one of my toxic traits is I believe I could get away with that for a really long time. <laughs> Harry in the 2024 berries. Uh, he thinks that he can get away without seeing any of the movies that we record on 52 of a year. Uh, thank you very much. I for wouldn't joining. do it. It's just my toxic trait that I believe I could. You know, uh, I, could, I could spin. I could weave a tail, if you will. My fellow hosts and critics are going to uh, engage in what we call it's a four way battle. We call the Golden Berries. Uh, it's the um, the award ceremony we pull out every single year. Uh, it is a comprehensive, objective review of definitive uh, of the definitive volume of criticism and cultural output of 2023 on the Minneapolis uh, scene, uh, repertory cinema scene. There are like 30 asterisks to that sentence, but you can find them all in the show notes uh, with a proper um, uh, citations. Uh, but I believe I, it was, wasn't it Jenny Ackerson who once described us as probably Minnesota's best repertory cinema podcast? Which, which fair, uh, I haven't found a whole lot of others, but we probably, you know, cream is rising to the top. If only by volume, we're too big to fail, so to speak. 259, I think will be the number of this episode. Uh, if I attach an episode number to it. So, um, but before we actually get to our discussions, we have a lot of great topics to cover. We have a lot of uh, awards to hand out. They're sitting right behind me. Um, they're actually melting as I speak. But I should uh, let I should hand it off. I, I think I'm going to let Cody be uh, be the person to. Uh, I, I don't know how to softly Wait, segue. Uh, we, we got the well. So we've got the <laughs> episode 259, <laughs> folks. <laughs> yeah. Ah, uh, yeah. Before we uh, before we really dig into things, figure we may as well kick this off. This will really show our ass uh, for how off the sync is between Zencaster tracks. Um, but until song that is time so comes, loud. <clears throat> but when the year is ending, there's one place you can go. Go. You feel best sitting in the back row. The golden berries are here. Don't let go. The golden berries are here. One app left this was to show what we love this year. Don't give up. Your take may not be so wrong. Buckle up. This episode will be long. Yeah. So, uh, so we got. I know we normally uh, just do this for women, but I need a round of applause for. Yeah, Cody. I'm just gonna. I'm just gonna agree with whatever Cody says for the rest of the episode. Now <laughs> yeah, he's, yeah. he's earned it. <laughs> uh, we we don't have to do that. I will. I will gently 
toss it back to Jason for two reasons. Now Jason knows what song he has to put at the end of the episode, as is uh, as he's obligated Tradition. to by law. Um, don't sue us, um, musical world. Um, but also because uh, Jason will be leading us off with his uh, his personal picks for the year. Jason, I don't know if you want to say a little bit more uh, about that, but we're we're lobbing up a, a softy for us before things get awfully contentious. Is that right? <laughs> we're also softy here on Try Love this morning, eleven a.m. New Year's Eve. Uh, yes, thank you so much, Cody. The first category that we're going to award uh and it's less objective than some others but um still equally as important uh is our individual picks for our favorite films of the year it can you know there's no real qualifiers here it's your own criteria uh we don't even have to have made an episode about these movies um it doesn't have to it just has to have played at or through the trilon in 2023 uh so i think everybody's uh, picks here sort of cover a really good amount of ground I'll start just to give a flavor of, because I, there are a few here that don't appear on other people's lists. Um, Mad Max Fury Road, I will give very little, uh, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm not going to rank uh, mine. I'm just going to give a wide cloud and you can all sort of chide me if you want. But um, I'm going to start with- A wide cloud. A wide cloud. <laughs> uh, check out Mad Max Fury Road. Uh, I'm going to be like, if you, you might not know about this underrated, underseen gem. Uh, see it from 2015. Uh, we had an embarrassment of riches from last year with the Satoshi Kon series and Godzilla and just so much shit that felt like next year couldn't possibly be, uh, couldn't possibly outpace it. But then they announced that they were playing Mad Max Fury Road as part of a dystopia series. And by God, what a wonderful experience that was. And then it turned into a wonderful episode with Natalie Marlin, revealed a whole lot of cool stuff that I hadn't really thought about among you know three or four of my best friends a lot of great gifs in that episode a lot of great a lot of particular a lot of great gifs uh it's where i stopped making gifs so that's that's fucking thanks uh we have for my next selection uh death dream aka dead of night by bob clark um it was one of the trilon cinemas uh i don't remember if it was a secret screening or if it was just horror and not revealed at that time i forget exactly what the setup was but it was at the trilon on 35 um a wild ass old movie by the same guy who uh, directed um Black Christmas, which Cody and I recorded an episode, one of our very first uh, holiday-themed episodes with Matt Yost years ago. Uh, really, really, really loved this movie. It was very, I, I like. There's the whole like Vietnam War return home uh, PTSD thing that a lot of movies tried to like play with uh, in the wake of uh, the Vietnam War. This one has a lot of fun with it in that very creepy, suspenseful way, but uh, it also like comes around at the end i won't spoil anything for you it comes around at the end to being like a really stark de- depressing ass story uh and it just has that same mix of terror and fun that i came to expect from black christmas really cannot rate that one highly enough uh tempopo i shouldn't really need to say i think everybody here is pretty much in agreement that it's a wonderful great movie great comfort food type movie uh it's been one of my favorites since i think either harry or josh clue me into it some years ago um i think it was probably josh but I think as much as i would love DVD, to take credit but D, i think he gave me the dvd yeah shout uh, outs and it's just become one of those staple go-tos i've shown it to two or three people who have not seen it before and we've had a wonderful time experiencing it all together um and the choice to play it at the trial line was uh very very appropriate it is i think maybe as of this recording it's still playing at the trial line, but hey it's everywhere you can find it i think it's even on hbo max now uh, so check it out. The Heartbreak Kid was another secret screening. We had no real indication this was uh, going to ever come to the Trilon. It was, uh, I think, an antiquated print as well uh, on 16 millimeter, if I remember correctly. It just like uh, really hard to see this movie. I know Cody's going to have more to say about it because he's just generally better at speaking about the uh, rarity and uh, inaccessibility of film kind of. But 
uh, it was one that I had heard of for a long time. I knew the name of because my parents used to talk about it, but never got the chance to see it. And seeing it at the Trilon in this incredibly unique way was just one of the defining experiences of the Trilon for me. And it's just a really, really good movie in that same Elaine May uh, Ishtar kind of way where like, oh, yeah, I could see how this could be easily misunderstood. But through a, a present current lens, it's actually like a really, really, really good movie. Uh, and then finally, I'm just going to have to go another nostalgia pick from myself, uh, Witness. I saw this movie uh, by Peter Weir, we're starting with Peter Weir series. Um, I saw this movie for the first time maybe 10 years ago, and I've been in love with it ever since. Again, very comfortable movie to, I think we recorded that in September. So as we're starting to think about wrapping up the year, it quickly rose to the top and it sort of ignited a whole conversation in my head of how great 1985 was for movies and how like we had um, a, a real, a, like a strangely good selection of 1985 movies to record on for this episode, for this podcast. I've probably gone on a little bit, <clears throat> excuse me, too long in my own personal picks, but that's just an idea of <clears throat> where I'm coming from when I point my critical lens at the other categories in this uh, in this field, in this episode, uh, and you'll know where I'm coming from because these are my own personal preferences. These might not show up in other categories. I know at least one or two of them won't at all, but uh, we do have more of the people to go through. Uh, we've jumbled up some of the order this time just to keep it a little bit fair, um, and Harry's going to go next. Wow. Thanks, Jason. Uh, I loved your comparison of the Heartbreak Kid to Ishtar. <laughs> I, just well, like, you it know, it was a movie that I've been told was not well very known. good. Yeah, that's for Wait, Heartbreak Kid or Ishtar? Ishtar. Okay, which is, which is good, uh, but I think everybody pretty much agrees that Heartbreak Kid fucking rocks, at least the, the five oh, people yeah. who have seen it, uh, which is- um, These are not supposed to be contentious. Can't do so it so early. No. I wasn't being contentious. I was just having a laugh. I'm just having a laugh. I'm just always having a we laugh. We have fun. Sound pretty contentious. I'm like the Joker. I'm just having a laugh, you know, almost. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, my, my number five pick, not that I really- uh, categorize my either, but it was also the Heartbreak Kid. Um, that was a surprise screening at the Trilon. Uh, John, absolutely the madman for that one. It was on 35. Um, the Heartbreak Kid is like impossible to see. I had no idea what we were going to be watching. Uh, and when the credits are like when the title dropped, I'd lost my fucking mind. Um, and then the movie was like even better than I thought it was going to be. Um, I think that movie is really a masterpiece. Um, and if you can see it, if you can pirate it, uh, you should, because it's one of the best movies that we saw this year, I think. Um, we didn't record on it, and therefore it is not eligible uh, for any of the other nominations, but just wanted to give that a shout out. I actually forgot to put it in my list, but then when I saw it was on Jason's list, I knew I had to do it. So apologies to the Blyer Witch Project, which used to be on my list, but it was uh, just axed. Uh, my number four is um, The Doom Generation by Greg Araki. Um, Kelly, my girlfriend, was on that episode. Uh, it's a really good episode. Check it out. That was a very formative movie for her. It was a really great experience to get to see that with her in the theater. And also, um, the ending of The Doom Generation is one of the hardest things to experience in a theater ever. Uh, and it reminded me a lot of when I saw um, John Cassavetes' Husbands at the Trilon a few years ago, which is the only movie I've ever seen multiple groups of people walk out of uh, part of the way through the movie, including some person who used the like emergency exit on the side of the screen, <laughs> which I've never seen anybody walk out of Holy before. Shit. But if, if you've seen Husbands, it kind of makes a lot of sense. Uh, that was also yeah. the vibe I got from the Doom Generation. Um, if you've seen the movie, you know what I'm talking about. I... Really love that ending. We talked a lot about it. I think that that movie is really underrated in a lot of ways. 
uh, definitely check it out. But, you know, be be prepared for something that you can't really prepare for. Um, so that was an interesting experience. Um, my number three is Millennium Mambo. Uh, we had Natalie Martin on that episode. Uh, she's a fantastic guest. Um, every time she's on, I like learn a ton of new stuff about like both the movie we're talking about and like how to evaluate film critically in general. Um, she's she's a really excellent critic, and I've learned a lot. Are, did I say did I say her last name wrong? Mm-hmm. Sorry, Marlon. Sorry. If you if you get a clean read, did I say Marlon? Oh, I said I meant yeah, Marlon. I I know her last name is Marlon. I'm sorry, Natalie. Um, but anyway, uh, I also just love. I really love Millennium Mambo. It's one of my favorite soundtracks in a movie ever. It's one of my favorite uses of music in a movie ever. Um, and I I find it just like really really affecting and emotional. And uh, I had seen it before, and seeing it again really like brought home the important place that it plays for me um so that was great uh my number two pick is the conformist um a a movie that i think i liked way more than anybody else here but i think it's one of the best movies i've ever seen um it's uh cinematography is perfect um it's like definitely one of the most influential movies ever made in kind of a quiet way i would put money on the fact that uh david chase considers it his favorite movie uh not knowing that much about david chase but um in terms of like I think probably one of the most psychologically interesting movies that we watched this year, um, a movie with, with more to say about what fascism is and where it comes from and how it intersects with masculinity and queerness than um, almost any movie I've ever seen. Uh, so I think it's a really a fucking masterpiece. Um, I could watch that movie every day. Uh, and then my number one was uh, Brighter Summer Day, which I went to by myself. I uh, stayed through the the entirety of um very good um, movie and also a uh, real marathon. So you sort of like tuck yourself in and get ready. Um, another movie I'd seen before, I had watched it before in my own apartment. And I think I'm choosing this for my number one pick because uh, it was the the type of movie that I think really has to be experienced in a theater um, where you can lock out all distractions and really like sit with what's happening. Um, I think that, I learned so much more and gained so much more from my rewatch than I did during my first watch. And I, so I, I picked uh, brighter summer's day, not necessarily because it's my favorite movie we saw this year, but because I think it was for me personally, the best showcase of the value of watching something in a theater where like my experience with the movie was just so, so different and so much better than it would have been otherwise. And I really appreciate that. I don't think that I, could have gotten to the place of understanding that I got with that movie, which is a very dense, very complex movie. Um, if I hadn't experienced it the way I did. So that's, uh, that's why it's my number one. And now we're going to move to Aaron and he's going to give us his top five. Did you see five movies this year, Aaron? Uh, I saw four and I've just, I've just (laughs) added another movie. Oh, okay. Cool. Uh, No, I did see five movies. I did saw zero movies at the Trilon. However, uh, I did watch them from my, uh, apartment uh which is often not as good of a viewing experience but i still had plenty of great films uh that played at the trial on that i saw um i did not rank mine uh so these are just generally my like favorites kind of sort of um uh, i think so first i would i would say the wild bunch um weirdly not in as part of the peck and paw series uh it played as part of what was it the it was a cult film collective screening very uh, which very is also strange. weird 
because it's also not in the Borgnine series either then, right? So odd little no, thing. No, no, no. It, um, it was part of the Borgnine series. It was it was, was joint. It, it was, was like a joint oh, collective. Interesting. Wow. That's so Two strange. <laughs> yeah, I know. They should have just uh, played it three times, to be honest. They should have just played it for they should have. the Borgnine series, then the Peck and Paw, and then Cold Film Collective. I would say it is a good enough movie uh, where you can do that. Um, I did uh, halfway through the year. I was like, oh, I should watch more Westerns until the end of the year. I should really get into Westerns. And I didn't do that. Uh, but I did get to watch uh, The Wild Bunch um, and then also some other Peck and Paw films as part of our recording schedule. The Wild Bunch was my favorite. I think I was the only one who liked that better than something like Bring Me the Head uh, of Alfredo Garcia. Um, but The Wild Bunch, great. Uh, it, it uh, you know, I joked about, um, you know, it being a film that kind of represents the the allure of wanting to uh, stand on top of a train and defend it from people. Uh, I think it also speaks heavily to another kind of deeply uh, held um, psychological need, which is uh, uh, defending a town with a big Gatling gun in the Wild West when no one had seen Gatling guns yet. So that's that's cool. I like The Wild Bunch. Good film. Uh, I also liked The Thing from Another World, uh, which we saw this year. Uh, of course, kind of the precursor to the the thing uh, uh an adaptation of who goes there um uh the novella um novella i read this year and i thought it was fine uh and i, I but i think that um the thing from another world is just a good kind of uh, a kind of classic work of pulp science fiction um i think that it taken as like kind of a uh, you know, a third with the thing and who goes there. I think it, it makes kind of an interesting piece that, that kind of helps plot out uh, maybe different eras of, of sci-fi. Um, and I think it's a, uh, a it, it's a classic work of like pulp cinema and that it is like weirdly smarter than you might think. Uh, and, and maybe that it's given credit for often. Um, I also like the vanishing uh, as well. Um, somebody want to say the, the, the actual original title for that? Sporlus. Sporlus. Thank you. No, not, no, Cody. Uh, yes, thank you. Um, I really like that film as a classic, uh, 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 you know, there are three genres of horror films, as everyone knows. There are, uh, there are campy, uh, kind of fun, cheesy horror films. There are actually scary, spooky horror films, and then there are not really scary at all, but kind of disturbing uh, A24-esque horror films. This is obviously in the kind of the third bucket there. Like I thought that, it's a... Like that one image of Squidward with the contrast turned way up where he just looks completely dead inside. Yes. Yeah. Also, yeah, don't I, talk about that. I, I gotta say, that, you know, um, I don't, I yeah. don't think I like The Vanishing quite as much as Aaron, but even I have to be like, fucking A24 wishes they had the juice. Sure. That, a twenty four has been, been <laughs> just scraping at this for for about a decade. Yeah, now. yeah, um, yeah. I just really like the vanishing. I think you know, haunting. I guess as cheesy as that is to say. Um, really liked it. Like performances. Um, it is kind of stuck in uh, my brain in a in a way that uh, I think is kind of um, unique. But but also I think the trilon has done a good. A, a good job of playing a lot of films like that this year. I thought the year was like weirdly kind of defined by like stuff like vanishing, but also like picnic and hanging rock that all kind of vibe together in a weird way. And I think the vanishing is maybe the best of those films. Uh, they'll get to another one in a second. Uh, I also liked hi mom that a Palma film. Uh, I thought it was very funny. I thought it was, um, uh, you know, just, just kind of social satire in a way that, that maybe, you do not see anymore, uh, frankly, um, not necessarily the smartest or like the most biting, but kind of 
absurd in a manner that I really appreciate. Uh, I just really kind of clicked with it. I didn't know De Palma had made a movie like that, really. Um, but you can also see elements of De Palma's other stuff uh, in it as well. So it's kind of an interesting um, interesting little exercise watching it, I think. I uh, really liked it. Uh, and then last, Twilight. Uh, not that Twilight. The Hungarian work of slow cinema, uh, Twilight, uh, by a kind of longtime Bellatar uh, collaborator, uh, Georgi Feyer. Um, one of my favorite movies of the year. Uh, it was also the second best. Uh, hang, uh, work of Hungarian slow cinema I saw this year, so that's that's pretty good. Uh, those are my five. Um, what was your number one? Yeah, Saint and Tango, baby, in Hell theaters. Yeah. Let's number go. One. <laughs> that shit rules. Yeah. Hell yeah, that shit does rule. Um, I did not see it in theaters like Aaron did. I think I mean, oh god, Saint and Tango was that? I mean, it's so long. I'm still watching it. I think is technically. What it is. I've got it playing <laughs> on the screen right now. Um, shit's really good. Uh, but there's a lot of good shit this year. And any any time I come into uh, a new year, I, I think about what I want to get out of the movies I watch. I like a healthy mix of discovery and like rediscovery or reaffirmation of the shit that I already really like. Um, and I tried to do a better job cataloging what I watched this year, um, specifically through like in accordance with trial on programming and stuff for the podcast. And if my notes are correct this year, as, uh, I was able to get in uh, 10 screenings of things that I have ranked at five stars uh, just using using Letterboxd. Maybe you've heard of it. Uh, nine of those were rewatches, and that's not it, even including something like Tempopo. Um, did not get in a rewatch before this, but it's something I've seen um, before uh, a handful of times. Uh, and so all that is to say, like I think naturally, the, like on paper, the rediscoveries floated to the top. But for my personal picks, I found that I was really um, trending towards uh, new discoveries, uh, for, for the most part, um, an embarrassment of riches, um, I think is a term Jason used earlier, uh, really an embarrassment of riches this year on, on all fronts. But as far as my personal picks, I did rank these, um, just because it helps my brain sort things out a little bit better. Um, so don't read too much into that, but my number five is Takahide Hori's Junkhead, uh, not since growing up with Wallace and Gromit, have I been so captivated by like stop motion animation? Uh, and that includes titles from last year's uh, golden berries competition. Um, not going to name names. Um, don't, don't get mad. God. Uh, it's, a, it's, it's a new year. Um, but uh, yeah, I felt myself rooting for this movie a whole lot. My love for it has only grown ever since uh, we watched it and talked about it. Um, we'll talk about it in certain capacities today. Spoilers. I fear I was only able to boost it so far. Um, but nevertheless, uh, I believe Junkhead is something of a masterwork and it really helps to define my experience at the trial on this year, as did my number four, uh, which echoing sentiments from Aaron, a twilight, uh, from Georgi fair. Uh, I enjoy slow cinema, but uh, up to this point, I've not felt myself craving it. Um, twilight on, on top of being just a great new discovery, uh, I feel is a film that helped me click into place the types of things that I do love about that particular style of filmmaking. And in turn, I think Fair displays uh, an elite grasp of what makes uh, the slow, slow burn feel so, so good uh, and work so, so good. Uh, on my to-do list for um, today or whenever I get to it is uh, ordering a copy of the restoration from Second Run Films. Very much looking forward to owning a copy of that as well as displaying a poster of it um, behind me in my living room. Uh, but what you got from Twilight, the Trilon, right? Which I did get from the Trilon. Shout outs to Trilon. Can you, can you give me another point at that? 
Okay. Yeah. Um, I'll do, uh, should I do like that, um, internet? That's exactly that what meme? I was hoping for you like to do. Where I'm like screaming at it like, Aah! Got it. Um, perfect. Thank you. Um, my number three is Joseph Coe's The Seven Grandmasters. This was a film brought to the trial on by Dan Halstead from the Portland film scene, um, friend of the trial on, friend of John Moret. Uh, it was a 35 millimeter print shown in conjunction with um, an exploitation extravaganza, I believe it was called, which we might talk a little bit more uh, about uh, in the coming minutes here, uh, but uncovering a beloved, um, a lost wuxia classic. Uh, that's kind of an easy win for me. Um, this is, uh, I think, a new personal all-timer within that genre. Uh, and I think it's a, a glimmering example of what repertory cinema is all about. Uh, and Letterboxd tells me that it m- might be available on something called Voodoo Free. I think Voodoo is Voodoo is like an Amazon or YouTube where you can rent and buy movies. Um, there's something called Voodoo Free. So if you're up for it um, and don't have access to a lost, uh, a, you know, meandering 35 millimeter print, maybe check out something called Voodoo Free. They are not paying us. Um, my number two is uh, Elaine May's The Heartbreak Kid, which has already been talked about a little bit, but um, uh, echoing some more sen- uh, sentiments. 16 millimeter uh, was what we watched it on. It was a, a surprise, um, like 16 millimeter showcase screening where you show up, you don't know the name of it until John or somebody hands you a program or you look at the title. It's like, holy shit, it's a long lost uh, comedy classic. Um, and I had been vaguely tracking this movie's history as far as... Um, you know, uh, the, the nightmarish history of rights changing hands or not changing hands. Um, John or whoever it was actually characterized a pretty good write up of where it's at, but it's essentially like in a, a, like a health services holding company where like, they don't want to get rid of it or like they want a shitload of money for it. They're very content, just like holding onto it. Uh, it really fucking sucks. Um, so which is why it was a, uh, secret screening, right? Because he couldn't show it legally. Yeah. Uh, man, also, the fact that it was 16, sorry to interrupt, but like I remember having a conversation with John, like I think maybe even before this movie, where he was like, yeah, 16 millimeter, it only has one real reader. So if you fuck up at all, you just destroy the print forever because right. there is no backup. And he said that, and then he turned on like one of the most valuable and like scary to destroy movies that exists right now. And it was like, holy shit, what a fucking <laughs> madman. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, metal is hell. And it's an unparalleled miracle that we were able to watch this movie in the way that we did it, much less watch it uh, at all. Um, and I think it's, uh, for me, it's a perfect ecosystem of what I've grown to adore about the sort of bleak, messy um, 70s comedies and Elaine May's uh, stylings in particular. I'd also had trouble latching on to Charles Grodin and that movie, I think, crystallized for me retroactively uh, a lot of stuff that really works about him uh, and sort of my relationship with him as an actor or watching him on screen. Um, and I think if this were, you know, a, a movie we recorded an episode on, uh, you better believe it would be in contention for best picture, um, but that is not the case. Uh, it has a place on mine and others picks for the year. My number one, is uh, S.S. Rajamouli's RRR. Uh, it was my number one film of 2022, and I really can't think uh, of a better encapsulation of what cinema can do for community than bringing together uh, a group of people that take in a film that yearns to be viewed uh, on uh, in general, but also on a big screen uh, with an earnest audience uh, sort of in tow where it otherwise would be very difficult to to manifest that sort of opportunity. And the fact that it was cobbled together by some very beloved friends, including, uh, including some present company. Uh, it's to me an ideal intersection of many of the reasons I love the trial on. And so those are my personal picks 
for the year. And I believe I was the last one. So we, we now get into, into uh, the softies are behind us. We're getting into, into, into the tough stuff now. And I believe Jason has the first category. We Jason. have left, we've left softness No more behind. nice camaraderie. It's time to start screaming. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is where the rubber hits the road, so to speak. Uh, you know, like I, I love getting to hear what you guys picked as your own personal favorites. Love being able to share mine. But really, this next category reminds me that, like, for as even, like, elders of, uh, elder patriarchs of cinematic criticism as us, like, elder cinephiles, even we have blind spots. Even there are movies that even we haven't seen, uh, dear listener. And this category is all about those. Uh, One of our favorite things about the Trilon is, and going to see movies there, is when we discover something that we've never seen before or never heard of before. Um, Ideally, we go in completely dry to it. No read on uh, review, no figuring out what people think about it, no building into like how it was made, just knowing what we know about it from what the Trilon has told us, buying a ticket, getting there and seeing the movie. Uh, this is the best Trilon dry run. Uh, famously, one of the titles in contention for the name of this podcast, maybe for reasons that should be obvious, we we left it in the dust, but we still like to keep the memory of that name with this category. Um, I'm going to introduce the, uh, this is actually going to be a discussion. We have not decided what will win this, uh, an actual discussion of these five movies. Um, we have Emperor of the North directed by Robert Aldrich. We recorded on that. Uh, and I remember having a lot of fun with it. Uh, hi mom, Brian De Palma, Junkhead Takahide Hori, uh, the plumber from Peter Weir and Twilight by Georgi Fair. Um, where do we want to start this discussion? Y'all do we have that's like a tough, that's a tough category. It, these are five. It really is heavy hitters i i guess the criteria that we'd like to set is uh i i know what we've done before is like what was the most effective surprising uh you know sort of diamond in the rough of our set we've sort of narrowed it down to a few um but as far as maybe the ratio of what you knew about the movie to like how good it ended up being or your feelings about it how it sort of like developed from what you heard about it to what you ended up seeing. Um, I'll let Harry take first go if he wants to set some, uh, set his I, I would just the- like to, yeah, I'll put forward that for me, the dry run is about not just a movie I haven't seen before, but also a movie I don't know if I would have ever seen, would have ever heard about or had the opportunity to see without the try run. And from that perspective, I would put forward that um, my top two are Twilight and Junkhead, uh, I think followed pretty closely by Hi Mom. Um, I had heard of The Plumber before. I know Peter Weir. Um, I probably would have seen Emperor of the North, even though it's sort of a, a more minor movie because it's it's a little bit... Uh, really? Uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I could see myself wanting to watch that movie. I like it a lot. But whereas, like, I had never heard of Junkhead, I don't know if I could have, like, found it on my own. Uh, ditto with uh, Twilight, maybe even more so, because Twilight was, like... You know, it's Hungarian slow cinema. It's like a real Hungarian slow cinema buffs Hungarian slow cinema. It's like, hey, this was the cinematographer that worked on like the really well-known stuff. He sort of broke off on his own and did this other thing. Um, I don't know that I ever would have seen Twilight if I hadn't seen it at the Trilon, and I'm so glad I did. So, uh, and, you know, I, I think Hi Mom, I maybe would have seen because I'm a big De Palma head. But like it's such a minor diploma in the grand scheme of things, it's so overlooked that it is also a strong mm. choice for me. So I'm not necessarily like planting my flag in one in particular, but I'm just sort of like that's food for thought in my mind. What do you think, Cody? Uh, I think that is pretty good food, um, TBH. I think I'm, I'm I'm coming at this from 
a, a similar, maybe like adjacent angle. Um, my top two for this are also Junkhead and Twilight. Um, uh, the others, if we're looking to split hairs, um, because I agree, this is a really strong category with a lot of great picks. The other three coming from directors that we at least have some familiarity with, um, uh, like uh, High Mom in particular is one that I was actively seeking out before the um before the trial on announced that that it was getting shown um i think like it like it surfaced on tubi um and it wasn't streaming anywhere else and then i was like oh i'm gonna watch hi mom and then it was like oh hi mom is being shown at the trial on uh in con- uh, conjunction with um yeah the, the cold film collective and again not that it, it should be like a huge detriment to it but if, if we are looking to split hairs but then again thinking about how something like hi mom you know, it, considering existing bandwidth with somebody like De Palma and how high mom right. is, I think kind of goes against the, 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 not goes against, like it, I, we said on the episode, it, it, I lays, it fits in with the blueprint of the types of shit that makes him tick, but it is also, That's it operates thing, very right? different. Is that like, yeah. High Mom is a better movie for being directed by De Palma, obviously, but I would argue it's a weaker dry run because it's like, I know De Palma. I know I love De Palma. I probably would check that out, right? What do you think, Aaron? Yeah, I think I'm coming from a slightly different perspective from what uh, you know Harry and, and Cody are talking about here. Um, I think that maybe this is like too narrow of a way to think about it, but when I think of like the best dry run, um, I think that like all of these, I didn't see the plumber, sorry, but like all of the other nominees here, I think are like great like nominations uh, for the category. But for me, when I think about like the film that I think is like the best dry run, I think there's like an inherent kind of like delight or surprise at like what they ended up being based on my lack of knowledge. Right. Where like Twilight, I think, is like maybe the, the best film on this list. Um, but I it kind of fit the mold that I was expecting in a way that is less like dry run to me. Like I, I have seen uh, uh, various Bellatar films. It, it mm-hmm. feels not exactly like one of his films, but very much in line with those. I was expecting this is, you know, this collaborator, it's a uh, Hungarian slow cinema. Um, you know, it's this three hour long movie about, a, you know, this, this police officer slowly investigating this crime. It kind of fit that once I had like just heard a synopsis. Um, for me, I think the two that like gave me that element of surprise or delight the most were Emperor of the North and High Mom. I think that those were both films that, that, just really like I did not know uh, what was 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 going to happen watching those in a weird right. way. Um, you know, a lot of that's maybe just my lack of knowledge about them. Obviously, I'm aware of of De Palma, uh, but Hi Mom, you know, kind of as Cody had mentioned, like sets up his future career while also kind of zagging to his zig in a weird way, right? Where like it does set up all of these themes that he would later utilize but it does so in such a different manner tonally um, that I, I just like was com- kind of blown away by what that film even was kind of even like irrespective of the quality of it. Right. Um, I think Emperor of the North too was a film that I was like really dreading going into. It was just like, okay, here's this like little talked about film, um, you know, uh, about just, you know, hobos riding trains and like, that's what it's about. And I like train movies, but I don't know how are they going to make this like an interesting, captivating, like adventure semi action movie. Um, and I came away with it, like really smiling and being like, I would just love to like play that in the background while I like went about my day. You know, it seems like if I catch that on cable, I'm fucking watching that thing 
no matter what the the like commercial breaks look like, you know. Um, so I don't know. That's kind of how I'm thinking of the category, which is a bit different than what other people are thinking. But Jason, what, what about you? Yeah, no, I think you and I are thinking kind of along the same lines <clears throat> where it's not just like, would I have if I had the opportunity or did it expose me to something new? But like what I was exposed to also is a, a big part of this, like what I ended up feeling about the movie that like I maybe didn't hear about or that I had this presumption about. Um, I think like less less high mom because i kind of knew brian de palma was already like a, a weirdo but definitely um like my vote just to like lay it plain since we've gone around the horn here my vote would be for emperor of the north because it for exactly the reasons you said it was like i got very big like bring me the head of alfredo garcia vibes and and that there's some backstory to this not just like in tone or the fact that it's from the 70s and kind of dark and gritty but because uh, Fredo Garcia was one of the first movies I ever saw the trial on where I was like, damn, that not only was new to me, but it actually blew my socks off. It was something that I really wasn't expecting. It was uh, entirely like I had no expectation, like in the same way that you're saying when I heard about um, Twilight being Hungarian slow cinema, I'm like, OK, I kind of I can predict for as little as I know about it. I can sort of like, yes, it's going to follow these general beats. It's going to be high quality. It's going to be really uh, I won't say entertaining, but it will be worth my while to watch this movie, but it won't surprise. It won't like bring, it won't zag where it may have zigged, you know, like it, it zigs throughout in the case of emperor of the North. That is a, like a strangely well-rounded movie. Um, it is like, like you say, it's there, there are parts where it's comedic. It's an adventure movie. It's, uh, you know, got these, maybe not the strongest, but like class undertones to it that really like kind of become pulpy toward the end. We joked about how it's metal gear solid four <laughs> near the end. I just really, really enjoyed what I ended up seeing. It felt like I was expecting something small, something minor and gritty. And it feels like, oh, there was actual, it's actually a lot more than you might expect to this movie Um, for like how deep that vein went and how like narrow the entrance point was. I think that takes my vote, Emperor of the North uh, by Robert Aldrich for my pick for the dry run. Um, Harry, do you have a selection yet or just more comment on, on our thoughts I so far? I do. I'm most. I'm mostly going to combat your arguments here, so I apologize. I'm sorry that we're Let's already getting go. into it. The thing about me is that, and I, I actually really like and respond to both uh, your take and Aaron's take about the dry run. I, I think Aaron made a really good case for Hi Mom. In fact, there. Um, but in terms of like being surprised by by the movie, I guess maybe I legitimately value that less highly than than you guys do, or maybe there's something else here. But for me. The, the thing that elevates Twilight, which I think is going to be my official pick this time around, uh, over something like Emperor of the North is, well, I enjoyed Emperor of the North. I, it was a pretty, like, head empty, <laughs> no thoughts. Like, that's like a three, three and a half star, like, fun action movie to me. Um, I didn't really find it that, like, I didn't, I didn't come away with it, like, fascinated and thinking, uh, deep thoughts about the nature of, what it means to be a person and what it means to uh, like want meaning in a world that inherently resists your inquiries into meaning uh, the way that I did with twilight. Uh, and I guess like for, for my thinking, it's like if, if I wasn't surprised by twilight, I guess, which fair, I guess like when you hear Hungarian cinema, like I, you kind of know what you're going to get. I did come away with it uh, really excited to talk about it. Um, for our episode and full of thoughts I had never thought before, um, which is kind of like how I came away from Junkhead too. 
Um, and I really valued that experience as something that the Trialon gave me, whereas I enjoyed Emperor of the North, but I wouldn't say I valued the experience or I felt like it was an enriching experience for me in the same way, if that makes sense to you. I, 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 I need I need to, to cut you down. I Look, I'm calling bullshit on this. If you are saying that you did not come away from Emperor of the North, the scene where Lee Marvin is standing on top of the train and he's yelling at uh, Keith Carradine and he's saying, you had the juice, kid, but not the heart. If you did not come oh. away from that thinking about the nature of life and man in struggle, I, I don't buy it, sir. I say uh, whatever he's but Yeah, I I'm not buying it, but I'm just also. Yeah, it's, a, it's a dopey movie. <laughs> right. I agree. And whom's uh, to us if not uh, a group of, of dopes? Yeah, it does seem like fundamentally, and I, I think we have echoes of this conversation each year of just we, we, we go into dry run thinking different things about it and wanting to get different things about it, which I mean is a reason why we <laughs> keep the category. Um, it's right for discussion, um, but also so we don't set the, the runtime record for the Golden Berries. I think probably in the interest of landing on selections, uh, I think I, I more so align with Harry in the sort of dry run uh, ideology where like my my first vote at this point would maybe still be for twilight i am am down to concede sort of a secondary nudge towards emperor of the north um the thing that i have trouble with is this is a weird framing of it so forgive me but like giving bonus points to a movie because i i think one thing about where the movie is going to go um for example something like hi mom which i really enjoyed and will be boosting later throughout this thing um but thinking i understand something about brian de palma's body of work his filmography and then ha like the movie makes up more ground because it i think i i know what the baseline is going to be going to be but it turns out it's a different baseline and then more surprise comes from that um and, and similarly with peter we're having the plumber nestled in um to a filmography uh, in a series that also includes something like picnic at hanging rock uh it covers more ground as far as the sort of, you know, as far as expectations go uh, and the shock and awe and surprise of it all. Whereas I didn't necessarily have those preconceived notions going into um, Emperor of the North directed by Robert Aldrich. Um, so at least for me personally, uh, I, I feel you know, as far as what I'm trying to get out of a dry run, um, yeah, I, I did. And I, I did enjoy Emperor of the North. Um, not that I, I don't know if that should play like heavily necessarily into something like this. Your mileage may obviously vary, um, but I would be down conceding something like Emperor of the North. Um, not sure if that's not sure how that appeases the group, but I will, I will gesture towards uh, Aaron next. I, I would say that uh, Emperor of the North also gave me a feeling that I really like in a film uh, specifically these kind of like adventure films, which is like uh, justified absurdity in a weird way. And that like, you tell me the plot of this film and I'm like, Oh, that sounds like some dumb shit or like maybe it's wacky or campy or whatever. And like this movie is kind of that. Right. But I think this movie also like earns its absurd premise in a way where it's like, yeah, two two train, you know, hitchers uh, uh, wanting to, to hitch their ride to like the most evilest train conductors train, and like that, you know, uh, approves something about life and the human spirit and all that. Like, that's like, okay, how do you make a fucking movie about that? That seems like it kind of sucks, right? Um, but then you see like, uh, you know, Ernest Borgnine, like just straight up kill a dude on his train. You know what I mean? And just like murder the gets, shit out of him. It's a lot easier to empathize, yeah. Right. And you slowly start like grinning and being like, I want him to ride Shaq's train all the way around the Pacific Northwest. And you're just like, by the end of it, you're like, dude, fuck yeah, man. A number one. That's my dude right there. And like it, it, uh, it justifies, I think a, 
a pretty thin premise and like kind of it manages to make like a a good you know i don't know what almost two out two hour movie out of a you know what should not be able to sustain uh, sustain a, a movie of that length and so for me it's like yeah I, it really it's a movie that won me over more than any of these i'd say yeah okay um first of all uh cody was on some tradition in the individual talent shit with Hi, mom there for a second, which is maybe the best argument I've heard for that movie so far. This idea that like, hey, watching Hi, mom transforms all of the rest of De Palma's filmography, like in retrospect. That's really cool. Uh, I like that a lot. Um, I don't know what any of what Aaron just said has to do with the dry run. That's just him talking about how he likes Emperor of the North, uh, which is fine for me. The thing and honestly, if we've if we've lost them, that's fine. Dry run. Frankly, not the most important category to me. I would be willing to give it up, um, especially because I think Twilight is a much, 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 much better movie than Emperor of the North, and we're going to talk about it a lot more. Uh, I would just say that um, the reason why Emperor of the North will never be my try love dry run is that, to be honest, I think it's maybe the most disposable movie we watched this year, uh, or one of like it's fun, but like I had a lot of really mosquito coast. Uh, yeah yeah you're right no that's a that's a good that's um sustained objection sustained i like uh this movie i like emperor of the north considerably more i think than mosquito coast but um i don't know it's like there there are like 20 movies that we watched this year that i wouldn't trade my experience of watching those for anything and emperor of the north is like yeah i had fun it was all right i don't know you know, and for me like that's not that's not what i'm looking for when i'm looking for like a like a dry run personally but so I guess we know where we all fall. Uh, Jason, what do you think? I mean, I guess permanence and like new classic type, like w- what it became, what it vaunted to after having seen it isn't one of the criteria I apply to this category. Typically, it you know, if, it, if it's a flash in the pan, it was a flash like for me that the high was if the high is short uh, and it doesn't become like a new classic I want to have on my shelf. That's OK for the dry run for myself. As long as it made an impact, as long as it did like subvert expectations, as long as it was an interesting thing in the corner of, you know, maybe beyond the periphery of my, you know, music, excuse me, movie watching tastes. I don't think that I need it to be like the movie that I go back to or the movie that I think about most often in order for it to have been an effective and like number one dry run for me. Um, I think my vote sticks with Emperor of the North. I heard a definite yes from Aaron. I heard a maybe conciliatory yes from Cody. Yeah, conciliatory. Conciliatory. Oh, yes, Cody's from... rolling over. What a surprise. Look, don't, <laughs> don't spend don't burn 45 bridges fucking this early in the episode, dry but... run, dude. Yeah, yeah. Uh, look, I look, these are all great nominees. I think the winner is clear, but I, I think these are all great nominees. You know, it's an honor to be nominated, you know? And maybe we should bold it, potentially. I it, sounds, it sounds like I'm outvoted. We should bold it and move. Let's we, do we're it. not voting, you know, we're coming to a consensus, but oh, we're, no, we're no, doing we're voting. so. I'm voting With against the overwhelming whatever, power. Yeah, no, whatever no, Emperor of the North is, maybe one of the least interesting movies we watched this year. That's fine, but it's a dry run. Off to a, we will get uh, to most interesting be- movie of the year later on. Off, off to a uh, wonderful start. Uh, Emperor of the North takes the uh, 2023 Goldenberry I got to find a more con- like a, a plausitory sound because that makes it sound like the fight is starting uh, for 
best dry run 2023 at the golden berries um and might, might be starting for the next category brother yeah i need to get i don't know like a starting gun sound or something like that for the category aaron needs to introduce next Yes, the next category is uh, kind of the the opposite of what we just did. Uh, if you if you thought the battle there was fierce, we'll see what happens with Trilove's uh, best wet run. So this is obviously the opposite of a, a dry run film we hadn't seen before. We had little knowledge of that we go into it blows us away or you know does whatever it does. We have the trial of uh, best wet run, which is movies that all of us had seen before. We had all seen these movies before. We're, pretty familiar with them uh, culturally or just with our own viewing experience. Uh, but maybe there was something new this time, or maybe the act of discussing it on the podcast really brought something out. We'll kind of figure that out. But the the, cata, the nominations right now, uh, first is Apocalypse Now, uh, of course, directed by Francis Ford Coppola, uh, Ghost in the Shell, directed by Mamoru Oshii, Looper, directed by Ryan Johnson, Mad Max Fury Road, directed by George Miller, and The Princess Bride, directed by Rob Reiner. Uh, those are the categories. Um, Jason, what's up? You got some? Uh, you know what's up is that I have two. I, I don't know how strongly I'm going to be able to convince anybody of them, but it's. I think maybe I've foreshadowed the uh, my, my picks for this category most throughout the year. Um, I'm going to go with Mad Max Fury Road and looper for my wet runs they are the two movies on this list that i've probably seen the most despite not having seen them as early as something like the president princess bride um i think that these are movies that i understood again my own criteria here which we can evaluate whether or not it's valid and maybe i'll rescind a vote or two but my own criteria are for having seen this movie at the trial on did i have anything new about it did i feel anything different were there any discussion points we came up with on the episodes we recorded on these respective movies that made me think differently about them or maybe appreciate them in new or different ways and i think in the case of both mad max fury road and looper i did because i've talked about mad max fury road a lot i've seen it with a couple of y'all here uh, i never did get to talk about it in a like a super critical context uh same thing but even like further with looper because i saw that way back when before i ever moved to minneapolis uh with a friend of the pod seth zarati he and i have really liked that movie for a long time it influenced a lot of our pop culture idea of cool to be honest uh, seeing that movie at what 18 19 years old um and like sort of subjecting it to that critical trial by fire of oh it's a trial of episode i know that you know some of my smartest friends about movies are gonna sort of poke into this movie and say what they think about it and we're all gonna like try to come to consensus about it and having seth on that episode too was just like a really big uh, it, it was sort of a turning point in understanding that movie for me. Um, so for as well as I, for as uh, saturated as I thought my feelings were about it, both of those cases, both recording on it with on, uh, uh, Mad Max Fury Road with Natalie and recording on Looper with Seth were really big, like, oh yeah, this is like, it, it reifies some of why I love it. And it makes me think critically about other reasons that I maybe hadn't considered before. Um, so maybe I'm applying more of a, because we recorded an episode about it type lens to it. And I am, I welcome criticism of that approach too, but like my criteria for this applies, uh, excuse me, makes Mad Max and Looper rise to the top, even if they're not the most storied of the movies on this list. Um, Harry, I think your hand was up next. Thanks, Jason. Yeah, uh, I'm just going to say I'm, I'm with Jason 100% on this one, to be honest. Um, not to play a little bit too much inside baseball, but uh, Jason very graciously um, accepted that Mad Max wouldn't be making our final 10 for Best Picture. Uh, shout outs to Mad Max. Um, I've been listening to this motherfucker gush about that movie since it came out, as long as I've known him. Uh, it's his only 
uh, favorite movie on his letterbox top four. He says he wishes he could put it on his letterbox top four, four times. I believe him. Uh, it was a genuine delight to get to watch that movie at the trial on with him. Uh, we had Natalie on it on that episode. Also a fantastic episode. Um, and honestly, I, I wasn't considering Looper. If I'm, if I'm personally being super honest, Looper is, is the least interesting of the movies on this list. However, um, I also knew that about Seth and Jason. I knew that they were the blunderbusters together. Blunderbusters? Bus- Bussies? Blunderbussies. Yeah. Uh, and, huh. um, that's just to say, like, I, I think he's, I think he's nailed it. So I'm, uh, I'm going to follow Jason, uh, to the very depths of the wow. very fires of Mordor on this. This one. is this so, is a strange energy for the berries. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's it's either it's either Mad Max or it's Looper, and I don't I don't care which one. My my vote is riding with whichever one carries the day this time. I have once again a bit of a different take here. I think Uh-oh. we'll see. Um, well, I think so. First of all, I think that uh, there are a few films that I think. I'm not to like strike them out of contention, but there are a few films that I think like are the weakest in this category, which kind of has nothing to do maybe with their, their quality. Um, I think that like ghost in the shell is my favorite movie in this list of films, but like you, you should see ghost in the shell either like uh, at like a theater for a midnight showing or like a v- a VCR copy, like on a CRT TV like in a basement, like drinking soda and like Hell those, yes, dude. those Hell are like the yes. two ways to do it. <laughs> and like respect to the Trilon for, I guess, showing ghost in the shell, but like, it's my favorite movie here. It's one of like maybe a top 10 for me. You gotta, uh, but, you gotta see uh, it in an anime club community center when you're yes, 12 you, you years need, old. <laughs> yeah. Or, or at like a convention and there's like two people that you, th- you think someone is getting a hand job like right over there, but it's like a dark showing of the, and you're like, okay, I'm just going to watch anymore? what's on the screen. You <laughs> know exactly film, what I'm Jason. talking about. Um, so I would like, I would say maybe cut off ghost in the shell. Uh, the princess bride similarly is a film that like, that's fucking Princess Bride. Like you know, everybody's seen it seven hundred times. Fine, <laughs> yeah. Um, not in contention for me. Uh, I would also say maybe uh, uh, I'm shooting myself in the foot here. I think that Looper. Uh, I don't especially like that movie. I think that like a rewatch of that kind of for me confirmed that that I have a bunch of like very small, maybe pretty petty, uh, uh, insufferable annoyances with with Ryan Johnson's films uh, that are feels consistent through his entire filmography and uh blooper was another film with that kind of stuff uh, i think for me uh, maybe uh not gonna have any impact here i think apocalypse now was the film that i would say uh, uh was the the best wet run um and that you know we we watched the final cut of that film i think that is the best cut of that film uh i think viewing that having watched the other cuts of the film uh in the past um help kind of solidified like my version of what that film is. And I think it is the final cut, right? I think that is the the best way to watch the movie. Um, I like that. It's, it's not quite as expansive uh, as the other, you know, what directors cut uh, from earlier, but it is, I think better than the theatrical release. Uh, I I think that apocalypse now was, was the one for me just due to the circumstances watching it and the cut we watched and whatnot. Um, but for the record, very, very strong argument uh, comparing yeah. the cuts, Aaron. I think that's a really yeah. good uh, take. Thank you. Cody. You're welcome. Yeah. Uh, 
So I've, I'm looking at these nominee uh, nominees. I, I've got two different buckets that I can kind of put them in, and I'm still sort of kicking it. My my initial knee jerk reaction is the 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 movies that I personally have the most bandwidth with have seen the most leading up to our time recording, uh, and and henceforth, uh, those would be Looper and Princess Bride. Um, so I'm I definitely feel aligned on the Looper front. There is the like the other grouping the um, so Apocalypse Now, Ghost in the Shell, Mad Max. Those are movies that comparatively I've seen less in my lifetime compared to to Looper and Princess Bride. But they are the three films of the five here that I have more bandwidth with as far as either watching with you guys or like permeating the sort of cultural, you know, cinematic zeitgeist with you guys. Like, I, I think the only times I've seen ghost in the shell have been with one or more people here. That's um, goddamn right. So like, <laughs> the weaves, I, baby <laughs> uh, rebranding 2024. Look, look out for it. Um, I still think looper uh, exists in a space where I can confidently put forth my, my vote for it just because my first sort of interpretation of the category is what is the movie that we have you the most uh, extensive background with. And for me, that is, that is looper. Um, but I recognize that there might be a few other ways to, and with this being a new category, as far as, you know, casting out all appropriate lines and, and kind of defining how we want to set the stage for this category, maybe going forward, if it sticks around uh, early feedback indicates mixed reviews for the phrase wet run. So we will certainly <laughs> take that into, into consideration, but that's yeah, kind of where with I'm at a, right now. With apologies to Aaron, who, Whose argument and film uh, probably should have won this category? <laughs> if a, we're being honest, a, a I'm significantly gonna, I'm gonna... good argument for it. Yes, I still don't know the pick, but is okay. it possible to hitch my wagon to Mad Max Fury Road in an attempt to oh, maybe God. get that to win? Oh instead? shit! Is this how, is this how you mean, do this? Is this how you play this? But game? here's the thing: I think it is a better. The politics of Barry's Looper is not a very good movie. All right, and I don't. Did we get a lot That's out of not Looper? the category? You know what I mean? Not the category. I know, I know. But did we get? I guess we, I didn't get anything new out of Mad Max either. All right. Uh, yeah. Fine. <laughs> okay. Well, it's you fine. were just full up on critical appraisal. No, no, no. From I think that like, like Looper is like a, a five out of ten for me, and I like I've seen that movie, and it's like there's a genre change halfway through that's kind of cool. I think that like Mad Max is a perfect movie that I I don't like get new stuff out of, and maybe that's the fault of of me, the, the audience <laughs> member. Uh, but, the like it's it's a perfect me. movie. Like I know it's a perfect movie. I've seen it. I'm it's just like, yeah. I'm just too re- too ready. I'm just too well read. Uh, I can't absorb anything. It's not anything about new. being well read. His swag, ready. His swag is too different. <laughs> it is a perfectly executed thing that does what it's does. I, I, you know, I think Apocalypse Now and Ghost in the Shell are a little messier. They're a little. They're a little I get something new out of them whenever I whenever I rewatch them. Just me, but yeah, we can give it to Looper, I guess, unless we want to do Mad Max. I'm I'm in favor this year of saying like, if somebody's on the edge and they're like, I'm not going to pull them back off the edge. I'll just push you over. And we'll say the looper won it. Like if right. if most of us yeah. can agree, do it. I'm okay. fine with that. Well, yeah. we'll bold looper. Yeah. Then in Oof. the document, uh, so it's that, a rough year for good movies at the Golden Berries ouch. this year. Again, I don't know why y'all are. The categories are not try love's best good trilon dry run. Try love's best good wet run. The good. Well, I'm not going to give away the the future categories. Mm. But um, speaking yeah, of which, I, I have no shame. I do have uh, shame. Yeah, speaking of which. We have bolded the winner for one category. Uh, do we want to recap each category, Aaron? Like, uh, for the one that we won do that from at the mind. End. Well, We do that at the end. Okay, well, 
Yeah, we'll be just, here. Just plow through. All things. And, and we got social media so, posts about it. Yeah, yeah I was gonna yeah. say somebody. Um, I, I'm not sure who. It could be any of us, but somebody will put timestamps uh, in the description of the episode if you want to pop around and see. Yeah, uh, somebody will what. do like all the work. Harry, uh, we don't know we'll who. Do that, but not. We're all <laughs> looking for the say? person who does all. The Maybe work. me. Maybe me. Um, I guess uh, so. I can. I can take the baton from here as we move to, uh, I think, uh, a less contentious category. Um, speaking of which, this next will, uh, category uh, is the Rashomani's. It will invoke what's called the Rashomon rule. going to dust this one off. It's been a little while, but the Rashomon rule, which is that no film needs to be longer than Rashomon, a perfect film released in 1950 and directed by Akira Kurosawa. Rashomon comes in at 88 minutes. So what the Rashomon rule and what this category uh, itself, what they posit is you know, what movie or movies kind of overstayed their welcome, maybe didn't earn their their runtime, were needlessly long in certain facets. Uh, it's a category that's long been in the DNA of this little program. Uh, last year, we came to the conclusion that no films fit the the definition, um, kind of rose to the surface of the the Rashomani's crop. This year, we do not have a, a discussion-based kind of format for this category, but collectively, we agreed that one uh, title that um, somewhat, you know, popped up uh, out of the the muck and the mire was the Mosquito Coast. Um, you can go back and listen to the episode if you feel so inclined. Um, but I think we came to the conclusion that uh, it had maybe a few too many conclusions. Um, uh, again, overstate its welcome in, in in certain facets. That being said, like we said, there's no grand uh, discussion. There's no stable uh, of nominees. And perhaps that speaks to the quality of the film programming, um, which is a a little disclaimer that I feel like we've been throwing out uh, the the past few years because things have have really um, kicked up. But also, you know, not to toot our own horn too much. I think we've gotten to a point where we can kind of talk ourselves into, if not loving, if not liking, then at least maybe appreciating uh, the vast majority of movies we talk about. Maybe that's why uh, we're kind of at the point where, we, uh, where we're, we're at. Um, maybe the Rush Money stick around. Maybe they don't. But the Mosquito Coast takes the the honor or dishonor, however you want to think about it, this year. Um, I'll, I'll leave the uh, I'll leave the floor open, fellas. Uh, thoughts on Mosquito Coast or just the the Rashomon rule in general? Yeah, I mean, you mentioned this, but I think the reason why Mosquito Coast wins it for me so clearly is because I remember thinking literally when I was in the Trilon, this movie should have ended 20 minutes ago. There is like there is an actual better ending that happens in that movie about 20 minutes before the actual ending of that movie. And I remember thinking, hey, if the movie cuts right now, this movie is better than I thought it was. And then it didn't. And it kept going and it had the kind of ending you would expect. And I was like, holy shit, like the very a very clear instance of like, hey, if you chopped 15 or 20 minutes off of this bad boy, you would make a better movie which to me is kind of like what Arashimani is about. It's just like, there's just a little bit too much slack on that puppy. With with much love to uh, my beloved Paul Schrader. It, uh, with much love to everybody who was involved in making this movie. I think they're all very talented. I think it might be uh, like, you know how when you think you're going to make a good joke and you just like keep keep going with it and it ends up fucking it? Like, I, I, I think we're all of the same mind here that uh, it would be like, it would not be in contention if it just weren't as long. And I think that's a, a, a key, like the key thing of the Rashomani's for me is like, there's a, um, just a run on sentence of a movie sometimes where it does not need to, where there there's potential there and it squanders it. I think for me, the Rashomani's are ultimately like not, uh, every minute is always cool, but like 
do you do you feel the slack like harry was saying when you're watching it do you feel like it should have ended it definitely takes that i do want to put a note in uh just as a, as a thought for the mosquito coast it will go down in my mind as this one earned the rashomani's it's too long but also i believe it was the final film that blake hester saw at the trial on a uh, friend of the potted blake hester before moving really? to oh, wow. new york uh yeah like i think it was the night before he was supposed <sighs> for to moving to central america <laughs> With his family <laughs> <laughs> to build a belching ice Mary machine. In the- Helen Mirren. God bless him. Uh, that man really is making something of himself. Um, but a movie that is uh, notable and notorious for a number of reasons, including, I believe, locking in winning this year's Rashomani. Can we say that, Cody? Oh, yeah. I'm thinking we can say that. Uh, yeah, it's locked well, in. C- yeah, congrats. there weren't any other nominees. So sort of by <laughs> definition, it does win. Yes, very locked good. Locked in, <laughs> bolded, highlighted. It's it's good to go. All, all the above. All the above. It is good to go, as are we, as we pivot to the next category, which I believe is Harry's to introduce. Harry? Yeah, thanks, Cody. Uh, the next category is one that I believe we started last year, uh, which was a particularly great year for it. This year, uh, the pickings were a little slimmer, but it's such a fun category and always one that leads to such great uh, discussions that I wanted, or we still wanted to bring it up. It's the best animated feature um, at the Trilon this year. This year, we have three nominees, um, and we did episodes on all of them, which I feel really good about. So we have Ghost in the Shell, uh, Mamoru Oishi, uh, as as you might have expected. Um, we have Junkhead by uh, Takahide Hori. Um, and we have Watership Down, uh, directed by Martin Rosen, uh, which was an episode we did with uh, new guest Emma, who was also on our episode on the Blyer Witch Project. So three very great um, animated films this year. Let us discuss. Aaron, what have you got to say? Uh, This category, uh, despite having three films and three quality films, uh, is actually, I I don't know how this is going to go, uh, because depending on how you define this could go a lot of different directions. I am just going to say, up front and probably a vain attempt to kind of uh, change uh, the direction this river is flowing. I think that of say the uh, uh, second and third films here, Junkhead and Watership Down, I think Watership Down is a better movie than Junkhead. Uh, Whoa, 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 whoa. You're you're taking that shot while the other guys are going to pee. Holy shit. They're listening. They're listening. They said they were listening with their headphones on. They can say what they want when they get back. Now they're crapping. They were peeing. Now they're crapping. Yeah. (laughs) Kind of changed course in the middle. Uh, (laughs) Look, I think think Junkhead is a a pretty good movie. Uh, I think it is. Um, I I think I was the only one who had this take on the, the episode, but I think that like the climax is not great. But I think up until then, it is a um, just like weird, like strangely Damn, comical. Uh, what? Like it, it is this. <laughs> sorry, I, I, uh, I just got back from taking pretty it. Pretty I was holding thing. that in. Please I continue. Um, I think that to be honest, uh, you know, it is a film, an animated film that was created, uh, you know, by this auteur uh, uh, over the course of, you know, several years. Um, it is this kind of unique vision. I think there was a better one of those last year. Uh, I think that Junkhead, you know, Mad God, it's looking a little little weaker uh, uh, compared to Mad God. I think that Watership Down, uh, it re- kind of reminds me of something like uh, Bambi, which I think we watched last year, the year before, um, which, you know, was this kind of known quantity or this kind of assumed known quantity in my mind that actually turned out a lot more interesting uh, than what I was expecting. I thought Watership Down was going to be 
you know, the fucking thing you think about when you think about Watership Down. And it actually was this, um, you know, really weird, strangely violent kind of cruel animated film uh, that, that had this very interesting strain of mythology and world building, uh, which is obviously much stronger in the book, but just kind of hiding in the background of the film um, in a way that I thought was was pretty fascinating. Um, and, you know, look, are we going to go for Junkhead or Watership Down because it was this interesting experience? Are we going to go for Ghost in the Shell because it's obviously, obviously the best fucking movie on this list? I don't know. I'm just saying that, like, of those two, I like Watership Down more. Um, I think all three of these were great experiences. But, yeah, that's that's my take. I think I'm, I'm probably alone there. We'll see. Mm. I mean, you are making good points about Watership Down and sort of like how it uses specifically the animation medium to realize ideas from a book and like to, I think we talked about this on the episode with Emma, where it's like, oh, this, for lack of a better term, in the simplest and most like smooth brain way you could see it, animation is like a medium for kids and it's building on Bambi thing and it's doing the whole rotoscoping thing and the somewhat realistic character design and stuff. It's like, oh, it's taking these typically uh, like childlike interest, like uh, appeal to the eye type approach to animation where it, you know, dazzles you with wonders rather than making you scared of things and uses that to like weaponizes that against the audience. I think Emma said, uh, that she was at once terrified by this movie that like it has led to a lot of nightmares for people. Uh, I think that's a really great argument for like, for being specifically an animated feature that like watership down being a, a really great contender here i don't think that i liked it as much uh this is why i'm like it, uh, i need, i appreciate your understanding of this time because i'm fighting a battle internally i didn't like it as much as either junkhead or obviously ghost in the shell i think i enjoyed watching junkhead a significant deal more than Watership down because not just because it's like oh it makes me think of fewer like it, it decreases cognitive uh, friction or dissonance for me, but because it's just not as appealing to look at. It's like not as I don't consider the craft as much while I'm watching it. There's a good manner of like, uh, uh like, you know, uh, I don't know with Junkhead, we were, you were comparing it earlier, uh, Aaron to um, Mad God. It's like, does it compare favorably? Maybe not, but it's of the same strain. It's like an, a combination of the uh, principles of animation with the sort of passion of, the uh of like a physical very like physical uh act of labor and we really love that about mad god and i don't think i don't see you coming out for junkhead in that same way um i i think for my vote i would probably go junkhead because this is movies that played at the trial on not just anime movies we had a like i said an embarrassment of riches last year with the satoshi Kon series uh an incredible like amount of uh, anime that we got to see I, I once again got to fist bump my uh, partner in crime, Harry, for convince for helping me to convince um, uh, John to actually make a series out of that. But I think with sort of the anime at the trial on somewhat saturated for now, I, I would feel better putting this on Junkhead as like it introduced me to a movie. It was pleasant to watch in many respects. It was like it used animation in a really interesting way that I haven't seen animation used in like that specific way before um, where Ghost in the Shell, definitely the best anime, best animated, uh, you know, like, I don't want to say best anime feature film because that's the name of the category. It is not my favorite of this list for the, for the criteria laid out. Um, but I might be talking in circles because I've already revealed my pick for this category. Uh, Harry, have you settled on one or? Uh, for me, it's definitely between um, Watership Down and uh, Junkhead. Personally, I think for the reasons we said, like, I, I am never going to want for seeing ghost in the shell in theaters like i'm pretty sure i could find that almost whenever i want to find it frankly not to be 
uh, too dismissive of it. It's one of my favorite movies. It's every single fucking 31 year old weebs favorite movie. So like surprise, but um, <laughs> I, so I think that I really liked Aaron's argument as well. And I, I think that as an artifact, as something that, that utilizes the medium of animation in a really fascinating way, in a historically influential way, Watership Down is a really great choice. However, I don't necessarily think that what Watership is doing with animation is more interesting than what Junkhead is doing with animation. I think that like it's easy because Junkhead is funny, because it's it's uh, silly, um, because you sort of like remember how much fun you had with it to overlook both what a monumental work of passion it is and the ways in which its medium is its message in a way that I think is extremely communicative about what animation is and what it can do. Um, I would argue that like the creator of Junkhead from the very beginning knew that he was making something that could only be made in the medium that he was making it in. And he used that to inform what he wanted to say with his characters, with his world, with his themes. Um, that is, that's a movie sort of about what happens when creations take on a life of their own and where it goes and what it means for us that, that we feel that way about our creations and that our creations go on to do that. Um, and I think that by using animation to make that point and by very like meticulously crafting these creations that he then sort of releases into the world in the form of his own animation, he is saying something really fascinating about what it means to create art, especially art that is about art and art that is about what it means to create. Um, and I think that's something that is very particularly um, a long-standing obsession of animation itself and one that I think Junkhead is a really valuable contribution to um, and, a, and a really like fascinating experiment in addition to being such a fascinating movie. And so... Honestly, and, and I'm surprised to be making this argument, but like, it's not that I, I think that Watership Down is a really strong contender for this because it's of its historical present, like, um, provenance, if you will. Um, it really, really radicalized animation in a lot of ways. Um, I just think that like, I was more fascinated even by Junkhead. And I know it's, it sort of flies in the face of what the Trilon is to say, because it was a newer movie and because it was a movie I hadn't heard of before. Um, but I, I think that like, I was more interested in ultimately what I learned from uh, what animation is doing from Junkhead than I learned uh, about Watership Down, which, which might even just be a consequence of Watership's Down success. Right. But um, to, to see Watership Down now, um, I've seen so much of what it influenced and so much of the history that followed it that to see what it was doing made it, it wasn't as surprising or as fascinating to me as it might have been otherwise. So that is just to say, I'm, I'm going to put in my vote for Junkhead, but I would be completely satisfied if Watership Down also won this category. I could really see it going either way. Truly. Um, my vote is also for Junkhead. Uh, and I think it is, um, I don't, I don't know if I can follow up with what Harry said, like characterizing it any better. Um, I think the, like the medium is the message sings, especially well with something like Junkhead. Um, and not for nothing, I, we're all just kind of padding, uh, these arguments with the whole, like, you know, it's, 
honored to be nominated. The nominees are all great, especially for the animated category, like looking at the entries this year uh, and looking at last year, you know, the likes of Mad God, Bambi, Millennium Actress, Triplets, uh, Triplets of Belleville, all works that are starkly different and kind of pillars in their own right, as far as like, you know, different stylings of animation, not that we are the person to get too into the weeds on that. Um, we've had guests before who have been great at characterizing those. Um, but even just looking at this year, three films that um, were hugely radicalizing and influential um, within kind of their specific, um, you know, windows. Uh, I'm very much looking forward to see the type of uh, legacy that Junkhead can have, you know, I, I, again, with it being such a recently released film, um, hopefully more of these uh, to come uh, the labor of, of love and everything else that goes into um, something like Junkhead is, is still among the things kind of winning me over um, compared to something like Watership Down, which had a lot of fun watching and talking about uh, with y'all uh, and Emma and then um, Ghost in the Shell probably being, you know, uh, I mean, among Junkhead being one of the favorite films that I saw this year, um, probably being a better film than Junkhead, if we're being honest, but the animated portion in particular, this is best animated feature. I think Junkhead fits that the most. Um, and I'm sure Aaron has something to say now that he's back from taking his Wii. I don't know why we're all peeing during the animated category. You don't gotta, but yeah, you didn't have to mention that. That's Wii. fine, though. Um, I, you know, I mean, look, if, if this is the way uh, it's going to go, that's that's fine. I think that, that uh, yeah, I mean, there's a bunch of stuff about Junkhead that's kind of continued to, I don't know, like slightly annoy me in a way that I... I think is kind of tied to animation. I think that like for me, like, you know, the medium being the message is like, yeah, I think that the junkhead is a film like about, you know, what Harry described earlier, but I also think that the ways in which junkhead is kind of flawed are, are kind of also tied into that. I think that like, you know, not to just like compare this uh, constantly to mad God, but I think that like, you know, one thing that mad God does really well is that it is this kind of, uh, movie filled with like variety and creativity and just like different stuff around every corner. And I think that like Junkhead is weirdly defined for me by it's kind of sameness in like a actually pretty disappointing way. I think that like for one, it is like so clearly inspired by, um, you know, uh, the things that it is inspired by, uh, you know, I think that that we've seen that kind of dystopian science fiction, um, you know, animated uh, 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 kind of environment before. I think that like the biggest thing for me is like, I think the creature designs are pretty crap and kind of not uh, anything special in a, a way that feels pretty weird for me. Um, you know, there's a lot of kind of fleshy four-legged monsters. Yeah, and they're all um, great. They're, yeah, bro, I, the, I guess. The body articulations, bro. Think about the way yeah. that, that everything moves in that in that movie. It's it's amazing. It, it is it is interesting. I think that for me, something like Watership Down um, is actually doing some of that stuff better. I think it in in regard to you know uh, a story that is creating this uh, mythological, like almost biblical story of like a, a group of people like searching for uh, a home and a homeland and whatnot. Um, I think that like the way that it uses like it's kind of watercolor esque animation for the main story but the way that that is like differentiated from uh the ways that the the scenes of like the mythology are animated uh specifically like the stories of the god frith uh and kind of the the lapine history and whatnot um i think that like that stuff is like so interestingly done in a way that is like clearly you know uh uh, uh kind of a continuation of how like mythology and whatnot is often kind of visually represented but is is like slightly off in a way that i find really interesting 
Um, uh, but yeah, I mean, if it's Junkhead, <laughs> we we can wrap I li- this I up. I like that. Uh, now we we officially just have like a dissenting opinion, a part of every single one of our categories, it's, where it's like the dude who got outvoted gets to be like, "Here's why you guys are wrong." <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, you know, Junkhead's like a, a a really amazing thing that mostly one guy worked on. Um, but I think like as a whole, I don't I don't find it that. Also, it's like it's fucking a third of a movie. Like it's not even a full movie. It just ends. You know, it's fine. Anyway, we can move on. Uh, it's Junkhead. It it can be Junkhead for for my money. Uh, again, in the interest of it's Junkhead. You're on that ledge. I'm going to push you off of it. I think I think we've identified our winner. Well, I mean, uh, he's not so much on that ledge as he's clearly outvoted three to one. <laughs> that's, I'm that's pushing, you guys have pushed me off the ledge. <laughs> Actually, he was not even at the ledge. We drove him to the ledge. We put him right on the edge, and we're like, "Hey, buddy, you're so close. Why not?" He's at the bottom, <laughs> just like Junkhead was. Bye, Aaron. <laughs> Uh, with that category finished, we need to move to our next one. Um, Aaron, I think this is yours. I apologize for some scheduling difficulties, but looks like we yes. slotted you in. I will take it. Uh, the next category is the best film series at the Trilon. Uh, of course, uh, you know, the Trilon doesn't just play movies. It plays uh, often collections of movies bundled together under some sort of header. Uh, we had a bunch of good ones this year. Uh, as with every year, shout out to John uh, at the Trilon. He does a great job. Um, the first, we have five nominations here. The first one is the Into the 21st Century Dystopia series uh, that ran uh, uh, primarily in January. Um, I guess I'll list off each of the films here, if that's fine, Jason. Uh, there was Ghost in the Shell, Pulse, The Rover, Children of Men, War of the Worlds, AI, WALL-E, World of Tomorrow, uh, Jesus Christ! There's so many movies. Mad Max, Fury Road, Looper, Ex Machina, and Edge of Tomorrow. Big really, that film there. series was incredibly large. I yes, realized that when putting together the list. It was. Uh, there was also the Poliziotteschi, uh, Italian crime films in the years of lead uh, series that ran in February. Uh, that was Investigation of a Citizen Above Suspicion, Confessions of a Police Captain, Revolver, and Strange Shadows in an Empty Room. Uh, no doubt, the series with the best uh, named films. Uh, the next was Brought to Life by Ernest Borgnine that ran in April. Of course, highlighting the actor Ernest Borgnine, everybody's favorite guy who looks like that. Uh, the Dirty Dozen, The Wild Bunch, Emperor of the North, Marty, and The Poseidon Adventure. Next was Edward Yang, Giant of Taiwanese Cinema, ran in March. Uh, that was A Brighter Summer Day, Taipei Story, Yi Yi, and That Day on the Beach. Only four films, but collectively they ran for 67 hours. Uh, Peter Weir uh, series was the last one nominated uh, with Witness, The Plumber, Fearless, The Cars That Ate Paris, The Last Wave, The Mosquito Coast, and Picnic at Hanging Rock. Uh, Harry's up first. Harry, what's up? What do you think? Cool. This might surprise some folks, I guess. Um, the obvious answer for me would be uh, Edward Yang. He's maybe my favorite director, or at least he's right up there in my top five. Um, But I am not going to uh, root for that one for this particular category. I am, my choice for this category is Depletio Teske um, because very particularly, I really love when the Trilon does directors. I love when the Trilon does uh, actors. I even love when the Trilon does just sort of like broad themes, but my favorite type of um, Trilon programming is the era. Um, And I think Policio Tetsky is like the perfect example. Um, I love to think of the Trilon as almost an education in film history, right? And like, 
the Polizio Teschi is such a perfect example of that, right? It's like, oh, there's this very particular subgenre of a genre that had precedence in Italy because of the socio-political machinations that were occurring in Italy at that time. And a bunch of very talented people were making movies that very specifically spoke to their political, economic, sociological moment um, in ways that were extremely intelligent, extremely angry, extremely contemporary. And now we get to view that and we get to, through those films, understand not only uh, like a part of film history better, but an entire part of human history and like politics, right? And like, I feel like I came away from the Polizioteschi series like understanding an entire era of human existence a little bit better. And even more importantly, um, like really incentivized to, to learn, right? Like, I think I looked up tons of stuff about each of those movies. I wanted to know way more about how they were made, why they were made, um, like the circumstances that, that brought them about, right? It's something like, I felt the same way about Z, right? Uh, another movie that similar, um, in, in its political auspices, um, in this movie, all right, in this, uh, year. And so I like personally, Polizio Teschi, not my favorite movies by far that came out this year, but like when compared to something like Into the 21st Century Dystopia, which is a great series, but undeniably sort of populist and commercial in its, um, uh, ambitions. Like something like Polizio Teschi is like why I want to go to the Trilon, right? Like this, I, this idea that like I get to experience a new genre and I get to see like and learn something that I hadn't learned before. Um, I was just so excited about that series and continue to be. And I, I think those kind of series are my favorite part of uh, attending the Trilon. So that's why it's my um, personal favorite. I think that's a pretty good argument for Polizio Teschi, um, and that is why I would not begrudge it winning this category. I have two that are currently slotted above it um, that rose to the surface more immediately for me. I'll try my best to, to characterize them, um, I guess in no particular order. Looking to Peter, Peter Weir first, um, I definitely appreciate the series at the Trilon that come from a certain you know like era or movement. I agree that there's... Um, a strength to having movies grouped together but compared to something like, you know, uh, like the Nicolas Cage series way back when shout out to shout out to last year um, or something where we're looking at directors filmographies. I think for Peter Weir in particular, that series um, played super well in articulating the type of director that um, like speaking for myself, maybe others um, folks who just have familiar familiarity with the one or two bangers that everybody is more likely to, you know, the picnic at Hanging Rock and or witness um, of a particular filmography. And then using that as an opportunity to go back and see, you know, like what, what sort of wild shit has this dude made? Like what's, what's, what's his blueprint, you know, like what, what's the trajectory, you know, the, let's see the, the, the plumbers and the cars that ate Paris's um, of, of his world that led him to this point that, you know, the, those crawled so that we could see things like witness and picnic at hanging rock run um, mosquito coast. I, I guess for that matter, that trajectory was, was really fun to track through the Peter Weir series. Um, and I, I really valued getting to know him more through his work that way. Um, I also have to, to shout out the into the 21st century dystopia, which might be low hanging fruit just because it's a lot of movies that, um, that me, that I and people like me um, are, are want to go to. I went and saw a shitload of those movies um, at the Trilon, having a series that group 
that particular you know styling a movie together you know the, the types of movies that i watched when i was just starting to like pay attention more consciously to movies and then also kind of forcing me to think back on that time and like maybe why I should have been more afraid of the world that I was growing up in. Um, so it was a, a, a good sort of reaffirmation of the, the types of movies that I um, trended toward as I was, uh, again, starting to pay attention to this art form more consciously. Um, and that's, I don't know, that's why I, I, I don't know, felt so passionately about it. Um I don't know. That's that's sort of my general three. Again, I, I would be very pleased with any of those three. Um, I mean, they made a damn T-shirt out of into the 21st century dystopia, right? And it's got the tripod yeah. on it, and it's awesome. And that's not to yeah. be underestimated. That's not true. You're not wrong. No, that might that might be the most important point. Not for nothing. Um, we love good merch. That's why you can visit our Try Love shop and get a whole bunch of great shit that I'm not going to get into right now. Um, but Aaron, what do you think with regards to this category? Yeah, I, I generally agree with your takes on the Polizioteschi and the 21st Century Dystopia um, film series. For me, I think that the film series that like best kind of represents, uh, I don't know, the way that I think about film series at the trial on would be the, the Peter Weir series. And that, that I think Peter Weir is often a director who is known for like extremely memorable modern movies that have like kind of weaseled their way into, you know, public consciousness and like, you know, um, um, kind of general like cultural uh, uh, importance and whatnot. I think like the Truman show and master and commander dead poet society are like three films that are like kind of can't be fucked with in that regard. Um, I think that the, the Peter Weir series, Jesus. I know. Right. And like the Peter Weir series, like did not have those films. Right. Uh, the Peter Weir series had, for the most part, uh, his kind of Australian, uh, uh, you know, productions, films and whatnot. Um, you know, it had Cars at Eight fucking Paris. Like, what the fuck is that? Um, the Mosquito Coast, uh, Picking and Hanging Rock. Like, those are films that, that show the progression of his career from this kind of um, Australian new wave director to this, like, large or starting to be this larger director working on international, like, mostly American productions. Um, and I, in that manner, like, I, I think that, you know, I don't think there's a single one of these films that would necessarily be on my top 10, maybe picnic, picnic and hang rock would, would end up there. But I think that like, um, the film series like helps to round out a director that is like weirdly defined by, by making it big and like making these other films in kind of the second half of his career. Um, so for me, I, I would say the Peter Weir series would be the one I think. Um, yeah, Jason. Yeah, I think I agree. I would have just a hip shot gone with Edward Yang because I really think that the, again, one of my, in the same way that Harry's, um, criteria is like not focused on just one director, but sort of, uh, of, of an era of a, of a movement, so to speak. I think mine is a little bit more focused on director. Like I was not focused on watching movies by directors, so to speak, prior to helping start this podcast. Um, I want to like, I think the Peter Weir series does the best of both worlds. Like you were saying, Aaron, it is a good way to round out what you would assume of this guy. Like I knew Peter Weir for witness primarily, and he did a great job of rounding out from the really weird to, you know, pun intended to like the very mainstream, but like in that same thing, it's great for tracking the like 1974, I think was cars at eight Paris, like the earliest film in the Weir series. And the latest was like in the nineties. It's it was fascinating to watch that, and I didn't get to see all the movies, but I planned to. It was it's fascinating to see how that 
changed, like how the, the world of filmmaking changed around him, so to speak, where like he had this incredible success with these very mainstream projects like Witness later in his career, but having started in a very strange place, having started with very like uh, maybe experimental in some ways, but at the very least, very strange grindhouse type stuff, moving that like yes it is the span of one filmmaker's career that's represented but also when considering like how movies changed from the way that they were made in the early 70s to the way that they were made in the mid 90s what like it made me think more broadly of that as well um so it had like this effect of not just showing me what peter weir's filmography looked like over the years over almost 20 years but also it had the effect of showing me like how movies were made how like what got rewarded what got played over the course of the you know those two decades i was i was really like it made me think of more than Peter Weir, and that was the metric of success for me. Um, my vote goes for Weir. We have, according to my own calculations, we have one for Polizioteschi so far, uh, one for just, well, as, as far as like your whole vote rather than like, you know, hedging, one for Polizioteschi, one for Dystopia, uh, two for Peter Weir. Um, was I don't anybody think we on? got a vote though. I think we, we can come to a consensus, you know, maybe okay. a begrudging one, right? Yeah. Well, I didn't hear Harry mention Weir at all in this case. And some I, of the I think it's that maybe one of against. the very lowest on my list of this one. But really? I'd give it. Uh, I like I like directors. I don't think it's as interesting as as uh, like in era. I, I think that like exploring multiple movies by multiple different directors gives anti-Australian much, racism. Sure. Once again, <laughs> uh, I mean, also like I don't know, like Peter Weir's cool. I don't I don't know that I came away from that series with like a fundamentally different and better understanding of his filmography and what he's trying to do as a filmmaker than I had before. Um, I liked the movies a lot. Um, I think that, I don't know. I, I think that you guys made really good arguments for it, both you and Jason um, and Cody. So I would be, I'd be willing to give it to it, but I don't think it's as good as the police get police. I think that the big one for me, if I'm doing my dissenting argument here is like, Hey, what, what do you want to see more uh, film series of at the Trilon? And is the answer, uh, more single directors over the eras, which is a fine answer, um, an understandable answer. I love director series. I would personally rather see more eras. I would rather see John being like, hey, like, remember this weird, like, acid Western era that was big and prominent in the late 60s and early 70s? Remember uh, the, like, counter... I, I think a lot about, like, the um, 80s dystopia that that he wrote that really great essay about that was like, hey, like, America was really weirdly bullish and optimistic and jingoistic during this time. There were a bunch of movies coming out that were like a reaction against that. That's like one of my favorite oh, series. The, the Reagan series from a, yeah, yeah, a, yeah. Because because it was like, hey, like you have a real like political lens to view each of these movies through, and like we are. It was like taking a film class, right? It was like, hey, like you get to like unpack what movies are doing in conversation with the time in which they were made. And like through that, you get to understand how movies like build rhetoric. Um, and I think that's fascinating in a way that I don't necessarily think learning a director's style is fascinating, but they are both very, very great approaches to uh, making series. So I'm not, I'm not mad about Peter Weir winning this one. I, uh, I think I sympathize with your, your point of view, uh, I do. I think you know John does a good job of of getting a a movement or a time period, a decade, a certain kind of filmmaking, um, and and kind of providing context for that. I think for me, I, you know, I, I I wouldn't necessarily say that I want like the film series to like only be, uh, you know, uh, like director retrospectives, but I think like one like the Weir series that like 
gives us a few of his like not even really like uh, heavy hitters in terms of like popularity like something like picnic and hanging rock has been seen what like a thousandth uh the amount that something like uh, uh master and commander has right but i think that um you know a, a film series that does kind of round out uh, a director that i think you know from just like a general glance i thought i had like a pretty good grasp on i think is is cool. Like, I think that is kind of what I want in a weird way. So yeah, for me, for me, it's weird, but like, I, I get it. But also like, I think if I was thinking about like eras, like Polizioteschi versus the 21st century dystopia, I still might go dystopia. Although I, I do think maybe the Italian crime films are more interesting as a grouping. Yeah. Well, way. no, I mean, um, we already knew that you guys don't like interesting movies and I do, and that's why you want that type of uh, series. And I is. want that other one. So that's all right. All right. I get it. Peter Weir, Jason, that did it. <laughs> it's Peter Weir for best film series at the trial on highlighting it. Trial on high uh, We have a few more categories for you. We're going to ha- try and have some fun for the first time on this episode in this uh, hour and 45 minute episode so far um, with a kind of a silly new category. Uh, we recognized with the, um, oh, sorry, I should take my timestamps so that I'm not left uh, flailing come editing time. We realized somewhere along the line that um, there was a, a wealth of movies that start with the in this year of, of trial on programming. Um, I think we can all kind of agree and it's a little spacey. So, you know, stick with me. Uh, I think we can all agree that prefacing a movie title with the, um, it connotes a certain like modernity and some focus on the object of that, so to speak, uh, that deploying the, the before a film's title or as part of it is either an intentional way to focus or to sort of like distract from, uh, maybe as, as a, what is that sort of like a distraction from, from the, the point of the, of the thing, I guess we'll, we'll get into it as we go. Um, the I guess the the criteria that we've set for so far for this new category is not that it's necessarily the best movie on this list by any like metric of quality or what necessarily happens in it, but how effectively it evades uh, or centers that object of its title. Um, how does it foreground? I'm I'm just writing reading my own writing. Uh, how does it foreground or comment on the thing mentioned in the title? Does it play it straight or does it have an interesting deflection from what's in the title? Um, it's a, uh, it's, you know, sort of like the, w- w- how it made you think about the things that the movie ended up portraying, um, our, ca- our nominees for this category. I'll go from the ones that I'll start with the ones that won't be discussed and end with the ones that will just for the sake of simplicity, uh, the films, and this is as many as we could identify from this year, the wild bunch by Sam Peckinpah, the vanishing by George Slizer, the trial by Orson Welles, the silence of the lambs by Jonathan Demi, the princess bride by Rob Reiner, the Mosquito Coast by Peter Weir, The Heroic Trio by Johnny Toe, The Getaway by Sam Peckinpah, The Cars That Ate Paris by Peter Weir, The Blair Witch Project by Daniel Myrick and Eduardo Sanchez, uh, and as for the five that we will actually discuss, The Thing From Another World by Christian Nyby, The Plumber by Peter Weir, The Holy Mountain by Alejandro Jodorowsky, The Doom Generation by Greg Araki, and The Conformist by Bernardo Bertolucci, uh, or Il Conformista, if you're talking in the original Italian. The... Um, the five that we that I've just discussed, Conformist, Doom Generation, Holy Mountain, Plumber, and Thing from Another World, are the ones that we will uh, lead a discussion with uh, before we crown one of them the best of the film. Um, Aaron, I, I think maybe you came up with this category, or at least you were a proponent of it in the beginning. I don't. Uh, did I? No, this is all I your think Cody fault. did. Uh, but your hand was up anyway, so give yeah, us your Cody take. Did, right? Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. I'll, I would like to go back to second grade. I would like to go back to either the second grade or like 10th grade writing a shitty essay. 
I would like to read the first two definitions of the word the from Merriam-Webster's website, if, if, if I may be so bold. You may be so uh, bold. The first, definition 1A, used as a function word to indicate that a following noun or noun equivalent is definitive, sorry, definite, or has been previously specified by context or by circumstance, uh, such as put the cat out. Uh, definition 1B is used as a function word to indicate that a following noun or noun equivalent is a unique or particular member of its class. The president, capital P, the Lord, capital L. Uh, I think that that the second uh, definition here is the one for me, right? Uh, when I think of like what the is doing, I think it is it is helping to kind of make everything after the the kind of stand out as, as, as unique in a manner. And I think that like, when I look at these five films, I think that if the, the was dropped from these titles, it would not be as good, right? Like the is really doing a lot of heavy lifting here. Um, and so I think these are all like good, uh, uh, nominations. I'm curious about the rationale for the two films that I have not seen, uh, the plumber and the conformist, uh, as, as those, I don't know. Maybe maybe watching those films would help uh, illuminate. Yeah, maybe that for arguably me. Sh- you shouldn't even be talking. Maybe you shouldn't. Maybe even be, I'm uh, asking. Uh, Harry, I know the Conformist is a favorite of yours. Is that's that the one you're n- pitching? No, for? that's actually not the one I'm pitching for. Um, I really love The Plumber, uh, and it's kind of based on the first definition that you just said. I love that. Um, taking such a an unassuming job, right? Like there are there are millions of plumbers, and making it the plumber makes it like kind of universal in this like archetypal, like uh, mythological way, where it's like, no, you don't understand. This guy is the plumber, and so like by calling him the plumber, we are saying something about the all plumbers and about all like um, relationships that plumbers have with the world. And like given the movie's class politics and the sort of like dialectical struggle that uh, unfolds through the movie, I really think that the the in the plumber is uh, is strong and is like p- elevating it to something that is way like that, that really informs the movie in an important and potent way. And I mean, I, I definitely feel similarly about uh, The Conformist, but um, I think The Conformist is just a great title either way. I think if you just called it Conformist, Conformista, it would also be really good. And I don't necessarily feel that like Plumber would be as good a title as The Plumber. There's something about the the in The Plumber that just makes it fucking like, Ugh! like <laughs> this, you're talking, we are talking, this guy is The Plumber. Right. It's sort of like uh, this is an incredibly nerdy thing to say, but like um, in Dungeon World, uh, tabletop RPG played by friends at the table, uh, shout outs. um, There is only one member of every class in the world uh, of Dungeon World. So if you choose, for instance, the paladin to be your character, it is important to your story that you are the paladin. That is like a title that is given to you the way that you would like receive the title of king or something. And so it's like, and it's a really important and and cool way to inform your characterization that it's like, what does it mean that this character of all of the people on earth is the one that everyone refers to as the ranger, for instance, or the fighter. And it like, it really gives you this great way into understanding the character. And I love that as a descriptor for the plumber, (laughs) it's like, what does it mean that this guy is the plumber of all plumbers? And it's like, when you, when you think about that, when you apply that title to this character and start to think of the movie through that lens, you really come to a, a really good understanding of where I think the movie wants to take you. And that's why 
personally, I think the plumber is the the of the year for me. I I like that pitch, and I'm coming into this without. I didn't quite know where I was going to take it. Uh, all I know is that I looked at these nominees, and I got I I too looked up Merriam-Webster dic- uh, dic- dictionary definitions for the word the, and thinking about you know not just the heavy lifting that the ter- that you know the article the is using in these titles, um, but like how it either you know, how it does the heavy lifting and maybe mislead is not quite the the right word, but there is, there is something to the fact that there are, there are so many plumbers. Why is this the plumber? Um, there, there are lots of conformists. That's kind of what makes them conformists. What, what is, what is it about this particular conformist that he is the conformist? You could even, you know, there are a lot of things from other worlds. Why is, what's so great about this, the thing from another world? Um, even holy mountains, um, if we want to cast a, a wider net, the one I didn't quite get that sensation from was the doom generation, um, which I didn't know coming into this, if that was like the fact that it was sort of an outlier, at least to me in that regard, if that like set it, you know, uh, above, you know, on, on the stage, you know, winning the award, or if that means like you're kind of the opposite. Um, whereas like the doom generation is something maybe a little more singular. Um, but like de- depending on, I don't know how you, how you view this category, maybe that is, you know, like the adding power to something like, doom generation um there is that certain uh i'm not gonna well yeah i'm not gonna try and rival harry's oomph noise with regards to the the weight that something like the adds to a title um but it it cannot be it it can't be disregarded um so i i i don't know i'm I'm still kind of working this out i wanted to to throw out those those inputs um i think jason was next in the queue jason how are you feeling about the i'm feeling the um uh, satisfaction and pleasure about this. I personally, I think like I'll, I'll spare a whole lot of the context. I think it's the conformist um, for me. I uh, there's again, when I was talking about like the, some of the base criteria that we were thinking about for this category. Um, I think like in the conformist, in the title of the conformist, the is like a separator between the audience and the subject of the, of the movie. It is like, this is the one, this is the guy who conforms, so to speak. And it's sort of this, you know, as a lot of movies will do these days, it's sort of like the, um, uh, it's an ironic, like barrier between the audience and, and the thing depicting, uh, in like what that movie ends up saying about, uh, you know, like action and action during the rise of Mussolini fascism in Italy and any like specifically um during the rise of any uh hegemonic power um i think it's implicating a broader swath of people maybe watching it of of society generally and i think that's just a clever deployment of the it's not like really very wrinkly brained but it's it's i think it's uh it's effective it made me think like oh the conformist it's sort of a, a a bratty title for like the idea of conformity con- like condensed into this guy like he's the one who does it and yeah think- also to be to be fair you could hitch your argument onto my argument entirely like everything i said about the plumber is also true of the conformist except I think, that i think to, the conformist is a more interesting descriptor i think than the plumber. To, to a different extent though like in the plumber we're applying it to like broadly like maybe the class uh like working class like blue collar uh like plumber handyman like people who earn a living through manual labor i think is maybe like the slightly more limited scope there where the conformist is like oh yeah everybody who 
uh, is like contributes to um, a society that has given rise to a great and terrible hegemonic oh, power yeah. is sort of like contributing to that. Everybody so, is. So it's the, like, what is it, what does it mean that this guy is the conformist? It's like every conformist has shades of this man inside. Of yeah. Them. I mean, that's, that's sort of the idea I'm getting at. Um, and I, I think absolutely my, my points contribute to yours. Your points contribute to mine. I think I'm just thinking of like for, the the limiting power of the word the being like very ironically deployed in the conformist it's a much like more much stranger ratio there of like what we're saying versus what we're meaning um that is made made it a more the most interesting the of this list for me i think i echo cody's opinion about the doom generation it does feel like very much one of those like the fugitive it's just a movie about like a a a doomed generation you know uh, it's a movie about a guy running who's a fugitive from the law um it is very like straight ahead in that respect where I think I value personally a little bit more of a dodge a sort of zig. Again, we've talked about zigging and zagging a sort of zig where like the title would expect uh, you, excuse me, you would expect a zag based on the title. Um, that's, that's why the conformist is my pick for the best of the film of 2023. Aaron. The giant oh leeches. God. The Beast from 20,000 Fathoms, The Devil Bat, The Wasp Woman, The Giant Claw, The Blob, and I think number one, The Thing from Another World, right? Okay, this speaks to, what does it speak to? Film came out in 1951, okay? Speaks to the end of the World War II era and the beginning of the Cold War, right? Point in time in which this kind of global, uh, perceived uh, uh, semi-global effort to work together to destroy the Axis powers was fractured, right? And paranoia and distrust began to define the entire second half of the 20th century, right? No more was the general tone, you know, uh, pitch in what you can for the war effort, support the boys abroad, help out your neighbor, et cetera, et cetera. Instead, the general vibe was don't trust your fellow man. Don't trust your neighbor. Your neighbor might be a communist. He might be working for the enemy. He might look like you. He might act like you. But he's not part of you, okay? He's working for the enemy. And if you you trust everyone then that will, in fact, be your downfall, right? It also speaks to the concepts of uh, of aliens, right? Um, the thing from another world, right? It makes plural kind of the the uh, the entire speculative nature of, of non-human life and aliens and what's out there kind of beyond Earth's atmosphere. Uh, it kind of sums that up into one being, right? Um, there is a creature from uh, another world uh, that uh, is here. And what does that look like, right? It is defined by its non-human nature, right? Um, it makes also kind of it tying into the Cold War stuff. It makes the the plural nature of the multitude of threats, everything bad that exists out there, uh, it mostly imagined uh, to at least the American public, right? It makes all of those threats singular, one singular thing. There is the thing from another world that is that is here on this fucking Arctic base and slowly this, killing us off, this, right? This is helping. This is like partially, this is convincing me, I think. It's working. There are a lot of titles here that I think could drop the the. You could argue that the Doom Generation, um, although it is kind of defining this generation, Doom Generation, I think, is still a, a great title. Um, I think that that there are are a few that, that you could argue maybe shouldn't, right? I think the Holy Mountain, uh, uh, the Holy Mountain as the singular object, this, this, uh, this point uh, uh, attempting to be reached, I think that is a great argument. But I think that the thing from another world pretty much sums up creature features, black and white monster movies, uh, uh, how, uh, you know, uh, uh, 
the idea of uh, uh, non-human beings kind of became to represent uh, specifically like American, also British and, and other places uh, like paranoias and like disgust towards people who were othered. I think that like the thing from another world is like doing that. It's doing that really well. Um, it's also just like a great monster movie. And most of those have the in the title. Um, I think it's great. I think I think that's the the movie of the year for me personally. You know, I'll 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 flip my vote. I, I think you've convinced me with regard to um like your earlier points. The one that lost me was I think this movie does work if you don't have a the in it. I'm just going to disregard that she said that. I don't think that's a thing from another argument. world. I think yeah, that's great. I think that would work. No, that's I think that works fine. As the here's, thing from another here's, world. Here's the thing. I think it would be just fine. I think I can see that already in like the squibbly bespoke font that like wipes in from the side on every movie from like 1920 through 1960. I can see thing from another world being the title and that just doesn't carry weight to me. I'm glad that it's not a temple of your argument because it's a really poopy part of the argument, but it's the I part that, that, I that I disagree with. You, I, I agree. Like I, yeah. you've already won me over. So um, I, in my, in my opinion, the, the, the way I'll back this up, I think if you're not going to have a, the to kind of work with the, the kind of the creature there, I think you need some other element to spice it up. Like, like a uh, night of the blood beast. I think you have a time of day thing mm. in there. Like, okay, that's pretty, mm. but there's a, the with the blood beast. Right. But if you have, like, if you have like a time of day, if you have like a, uh, you know, shadows of the moon or something like that, I think it works. But I think if for a creature feature, I often like the, the, frankly, that's the thing that bugs me about creature from the black lagoon. Uh, I guess the, the is doing the black lagoon there, but like, mm. yeah, I think of the, and a creature feature is good for me, but I understand your point. Uh, I didn't. I didn't want to bust this out. Maybe it's the only time I'll bust this out this episode. Uh, don't hold me to that. Aaron hasn't seen The Conformist or The Plumber. He, he <sighs> literally yeah, can't even entertain our arguments to that point. Uh, I have he, read The Conformist. He has Wikipedia no page. idea if <laughs> uh, everything that that Jason just said about The Conformist is why it makes it the best the movie. I liked Aaron's I mean, he just argument quite a bit. He just flip flopped. Yeah, I know, but I'm a, I'm fully a hundred percent on The Conformist. I think it, it's got to be the conformist. It's a better use of the. I think I really liked the argument about putting everything together to make it the thing from another world. I think it's a little obvious, to to be honest. Uh, I I think that the thing from another world is a great choice for this category. I just think that the plumber and the conformist are both better than that person. Would would the again having not seen it? Would here's my pitch. Here's my pitch. Here's a uh, would the conformist be a better title if it was a conformist like a separation <laughs> sort of situation think of, now think about it think about it think about it i've read again read the wikipedia summary all right is this not is the is the conformist supposed to represent uh, a kind of a general national attitude maybe as opposed to a specific specific person that i mean kind i of think a conformist would be a a different title with a different meaning mm. and would also be interesting but i Look, think based the on conformist my understanding really of good. the themes from the theme section i think that a conformist for me for me you know but look i understand okay i get it i get it not on board cody what do you think my, my my vote is for the conformist Okay, I can consider my vote for the conformist still twenty five percent accurate. So I, th I think I think it takes it. Um, Fine, I, I, a spirited argument by Aaron. Well truly, done, Aaron. Truly, uh, Do I, I think that I think that the thing from another world argument was a was a highlight. Um, but you know, you kind of shot yourself in the foot by not doing the homework. I gotta say, a conformist. Look, it's a conformist. <laughs> What's that? Be in the pretty sky? good. 
A it's good, a bird, it's a plane. It's nonconformist. Mm. And also, and it's, it's wild that we didn't put the Silence of the Lambs in contention for this because that might be my favorite of all of them. But anyway, it's just I love, I love a movie those. with two yeah. with two thes. I love <laughs> a movie with two thes. <laughs> Fucking Rise of Wouldn't the Silence Dawn of the, the Planet of the Apes. No. Mm. No, it's got to be the Silence of the Lambs. I'm I'm gonna say that's where we dis- cease discussion of the the films. The film of the year, <laughs> the the film of the year is The Conformist by Bernardo Bertolucci. Uh, we have more categories yet to come, though. The categories. That's right. We uh we shall now move to the next category, which is the best non-film series film, aka the best one-off um, films in a series. They they get the lion's share of the attention. It's it's hard not to contextualize a movie within the other kind of grouping of movies that it's getting shown with. Um, we had the best series category just uh, a few, um, you know, eight to ten hours ago. Uh, it's, it's tough to keep track at this point, um, but we got that one out of the way. Um, it is important to shine the light on those that are not nestled within a series um, for whatever reason, uh, for I guess reasons that we will get to shortly. Um, but it is. Uh, you know, an opportunity comes along to, to program something that maybe doesn't have a place within a full certified ass series. Those can sometimes be the most fascinating and or best films of the year. Will that be the case this year? We'll find out. Um, so we do feel it's important to call out some of those in this category. So our nominees for 2023 best non-film series film, uh, going down the line here, alphabetical order by title, we have Alejandro Yodorowsky's The Holy Mountain. We have Takahide Ori's uh, Junkhead. We have Juzo Atami's Tempopo. We have Orson Welles's The Trial. And we have Georgi Fair's Twilight. So where are we at, gents? How do we feel about the best non-film series film of the year? Where 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 do we go from here? Um I'm I must raise a strange flag. I don't know that Wild Punch was part of a one-off series. I guess we have some confusion about that. I'm willing to let it slip. Um, as it does appear to have been part of the Proud to Life by Ernest Borgnine series. <laughs> Whoops. Wait, it was? Yes, I said this earlier. Oh, wait, wait, wait. Oh, now that wait. I'm looking at the archive page, actually it shows it as both. It shows it as both part of Proud to Life by Ernest Borgnine and a cult film collective screening. So I will let it slide. I just wanted to let the record show yeah. that it, it was not I mean, exclusively, yeah. uh, like uh, so, like some others on this list, not exclusively a one-off. Um, I'm not going to- Well, it's not on this list. Cross too many- t- the, Oh, yeah! It's also not on this list. For, yeah, so. for anything to Forget make this I episode a little bit longer, anyway, <laughs> padding for uh, time. Uh, clean, folks. Read. I, I think it's Twilight. Yeah, uh, yeah. Everybody gave a thumbs up, Jason. Yep, <laughs> Jason, I agree. You disagree with Twilight? Yeah, I, I think I, cares. I, I think Tampopo is a Tampopo good would be. I thought maybe we would have some. We would have some argument though, about right? it. But, like yeah. everybody yeah, loves Tampopo. It's like such a crowd pleaser. Like yeah, obviously Tim Popo was. You're saying favorite. everybody does not love Georgi Fair's three hour long slow. <laughs> uh, it's like a movie hour with 40. the exact same the exact same name as a film that is the opposite in every single way of it. <laughs> Interesting, something to think about. Yeah, I think we could just look. We just give it to Twilight. We're good. Like wow. you know, well, I don't think there's a, I don't think there's a black person in. Oh wait, no, there's a black person in Twilight. Uh, so that's. You're right. They they are opposite in every way. I was going to say I don't think there's a black person in either one of these movies, but so not but a I black think person in Twilight. I don't think really. So. Uh, yeah, it's Twilight. Yeah, yeah, it's Twilight. It's Twilight, man. I mean, it's Twilight. You know, IMO. These are all great. Just 
let's get through this one. There we is go. It, yeah. Does anybody want to, want to vamp with a reason for that or just it's obvious? It's here's what I'll I say. Could, yeah. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think that a lot of these films could be slotted into more kind of creative, uh, uh, more creative series in a way. Like you could imagine the trial uh, being in some sort of dystopian uh, uh, series. Um, you can imagine uh, Tampopo uh, as well, be maybe a series about uh, kind of maybe something like Happy Go Lucky in there as well. You know what I mean? Um, I think that Twilight to me is like if you're not going to put it in a Hungarian slow cinema uh, series, it is pretty much its own thing. You know what I mean? Um, it, you know, that, that is a, a movement of cinema basically defined by one director, maybe unfairly. And I think that this is, um, one that exists outside of that. It clearly owes a lot to Bellatar, but is also its own thing in a very interesting way. Uh, I think it's great. Yeah. Uh, and I'll just say, I already made the right argument, uh, for Twilight winning this category when I made the right argument for it winning Dry Run. Uh, so you can go back and listen to Dry Maybe Run. We should do Tampopo. S- same argument. Um, <laughs> I was also correct for Dry Run, um, but you can just you can just go ahead and rewind the podcast. Yeah, which is good because the, these are actually two different categories. Um, but I think Twilight is the winner regardless. Congratulations, Twilight! Congratulations, oh, I'm sorry. Twilight! Wow, that was so. Uh, oh, sorry. Go ahead, Jason. I was just going to say, I, I I wanted to navigate to the next category, but I am also very pleased that we didn't take too long on that one because it seems like we had a good consensus. I didn't expect that of this category. Oh, I thought you were going to say the um, Hungarian name for Twilight, which I don't remember. So oh, apologies I... to Twilight. Um, yeah. So our next, our next uh, category, one of, one of our favorites, one of my favorites is the, um, the best cult film collective screening. The cult film collective is a, member society within the Trilon founded in uh, 2015 by Andy, John, Malcolm and Sarah. So big shout outs to the four founders. Um, They are dedicated to championing the projection and preservation of 35 millimeter and 16 millimeter film. They show around four screenings. I believe it's four screenings a year. It's quarterly. There is also as of uh, maybe either last year or the year before, I can't quite remember a membership program where you can rent movies from the cult film collective uh, and you go to the Trilon to pick those up. Uh, it's very good. Um, it's a, it's a great system. Um, all of those people are lovely. Uh, they're instrumental to the way that the Trilon works and to making the Trilon so great. Uh, and they put on a lot of really great movies that are a lot of fun to watch. Um, we've sort of, uh, uh, we, we've sort of like made fun of them a little bit for maybe having stretching the definition of what a cult film is. Uh, that's all in good fun. We love the cult film collective very much. Uh, the four categ- are the, the three movies that we're going to be discussing today of the, I believe, five showings that happened last year. All five showings were High Mom by Brian De Palma, Superfly by Gordon Parks Jr., The Wild Bunch by Sam Peckinpah, The Grindhouse Trailer Spectacular, uh, hosted by Dan Helstead. Shout outs to Dan. He was on an episode. And there there was one more that I believe was like a 16 millimeter special. Is that correct, Jason? There was like a, a another showing of 16 that millimeter. sounds right. I know that the Grindhouse trailer spectacular was, like you said, the one that uh, Dan Helstead hosted, the, you know, connections and stuff. I wonder how those like filtered through into the quarterly number. But I believe there yeah. was the 16 millimeter screen was also CFC. But yeah, just just for uh, the purposes of simplicity, we are going to be evaluating the movies uh, on the criteria of what made them the best cult film collective uh, film showing of the year. 
And with that, I will pass it over to Jason for his opening salvo. My opening salvo um, will start, you know, let's, let's, let's lighten the mood a little bit. What if it's the collective that's cult, not the films? What if cult is describing the collective itself? The cult, the film collective that is cult, not the collective that's about cult film. Sure. Just, just food for thought, you know, uh, from this sick, twisted uh, Greek mind of mine. Um, I will say it, when I think of cult film collective, I think movies I haven't seen, I think somebody is smart, like a certain jealousy, like somebody knows more about this thing than I do. Somebody has a deeper knowledge of film than I do. And they're selectively curating. I know that this is like bleeding into our discussion about series as well, but selectively curating films that are like, this is what we want to represent the idea of film that like that you might not have otherwise seen cult, so to speak. I, for my money, it's, uh, it's, it's the, um, uh, excuse me, the grand trailer spectacular. It is very much like through the, uh, we didn't do an episode about like all of the films that played it, excuse me, all the trailers that part, played as part of that. We do have a link to Cody's very um, erudite list of all of the films that had trailers uh, represented in that spectacular. Um, but I think it's just because it, it feels like it felt like a peek into the little network of how movies like come to Minneapolis, how they get played at the trial, excuse me, at the trial line. Thanks to the cult film collective. Um, it is like, these other movies, maybe you knew about them, maybe you didn't, maybe you're in on the joke about Hi Mom, maybe you're not. Um, like to be able to source prints of these movies is incredible and sort of the networking that has to go into it. But for just the sheer mass and the sheer collection and the sheer organization of having so many of these things preserved and having uh, a special presenter uh, from out of state to help join and present them, just like, I don't know, it, it checks all the boxes for me of something that I enjoyed. Uh, you know, it was, it was, it felt like quality stuff. Uh, there was a good quantity of it and for like the very specifics, the pieces that must have aligned to make this happen. Um, I was very, very interested in, I, I was very like hyped for it before we were able to even talk to Dan about it. But then once we did, uh, it ended up uh, being, I think one of my, one of my favorite things that the CFC did this year. Um, anybody else have thoughts about that? Any votes? Uh, is there? I Yeah. My understanding. Okay. I, I think I'm wrong here. I, were we not? Okay. I thought we were just discussing the films, uh, but if that this is, is correct, then, as I said before we started this category, maybe while you were peeing, should should we consider the Grindhouse trailer spectacular as a nominee for this to potentially win it, or are we just shouting it out as a cool thing? You I'm, didn't see that, did you? I am nominating. Me? Yeah. How could I possibly have seen it? Right. I don't live in the state. So, may, so <laughs> no. maybe we should just consider the movies. Okay, I mean, look, but if everybody thinks that's the best thing that was shown for that, then do it. Yeah, I mean, it's it's cool. Did you guys go to it? Yeah, yes. it was pretty awesome. Was it the best thing on this list? Maybe Aaron doesn't get to vote because he's not here. Just, just yeah, it's fine. Like I saw, you know, I watched the other three movies, but if that was the best thing on the list they screened, then fucking yeah, go for it. Nah, I would still probably give it to Hi Mom, to be honest. Right, yeah, go Hi Mom. Yeah, let's hi, go Hi Mom. <laughs> okay. My, my vote would have been Hi Mom, um, but I think that is... I mean, taking an additional couple moments to shout out the trailer spectacular, the 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 curation and going back into the the labor that goes into putting something like that together, I feel like gets to the the heart of, you know, the the blood, sweat and tears that go into, you know, something like loving film uh, in sort of a, 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 a culty sort of way. Um, so I, I, we can give it to that. I'm I'm cool with that. 
I would I would one hundred percent be down with that. If we were sticking to films, um Hi Mom <laughs> yeah. would be Hi Mom would be the the pick. I think Superfly makes a pretty compelling case. I, as I was well. gonna say we probably should have talked to this about this beforehand, but we did. Uh, and then yeah. I said we were sticking we to just the movies. Did. And then yes. Jason just kind of blew it up anyway for no you know apparent reason. Happy, 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 yeah, happy surprise. It's, 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 there's no well, list you could have of, listened to You could have listened to me, though. Also, the words I, that I, I was I saying as the – Yeah, you could have paid attention. Yeah, paid attention. I think that is, is an attempt to kind of you – know, We could uh, have a fun uh, discussion about movies instead of just sort of – Go ahead. Go ahead. I think that it's very likely – Probable that High Mom will have a say in a different category later on. It shouldn't. Uh, we're but we'll win. Uh, so uh, I'm not you know, talking about it later. Yeah, it's fine. So I think we maybe that will be crowned later. You know, we'll see what happens. Um, so I think we give it to the Grindhouse trailer spectacular. That's also look. Dan Hal said that was my personal like maybe favorite episode we did this year. Uh, we'll shout out all the guests later, but like it was great to talk with him. Uh, spoke, you know, watching a bunch of fucking grindhouse trailers seems like the kind of cool shit I miss from being at the trilon. Uh, so yeah, fucking do it. Yeah, do it. Hell yeah, bold it, crowned, do it, bold it and crowned. Just Aaron, you got some work to do for our next category. Uh, yes, I do. Thank you. Uh, I'm not gonna read off. <laughs> I'm not gonna read off all their films, but we are talking about the best director. Uh, this was the best. There's kind of not too many rules around this. If a if a, a director made a film. Uh, that played at the Trilon, uh, and we, I guess, recorded on it or not, uh, they are, are eligible for this. Uh, so the five directors we have uh, kind of uh, picked as our favorites of the year to discuss, to pick one, uh, Sam Peckinpah, Lynn Ramsey, Wayne Wang, Peter Weir, and Edward Yang. Some of those had one-off films. Some of those had film series. Um, all of that's kind of up in the air. Um, does anybody want to go first? about their take here uh you know maybe maybe it's one note maybe it's a straw man i think i'm gonna go weird um for the same reasons as why i would have picked it for why i did pick it for the series uh is because like i know i said it's twofold like oh we get to see his career through that series and the evolution of it and we also get to see like the evolution of what kinds of movies got made and what they got rewarded how they got rewarded and how they you know the output changed over the years i think zooming on specifically just the output of um the series Again, I didn't see all of them in maybe any of these series. I don't think I saw all of them as part of the trial and screenings of them. But for the, what I saw of Weir, it felt like I don't know. All of none of them were incredibly unpleasant. The Mosquito Coast was the weakest, in my opinion. None of them were incredibly unpleasant. Uh, I know that that's not a super high bar to make it sound like, uh, but it felt like we've collected a, a lot of good movies, and like each of those movies had something for me to think about and talk about in mostly positive ways. Um, again, maybe it's just a straw man. Maybe it's a starting point. Uh, Harry, what are your thoughts? I gave Peter Weir best film series, y'all. Uh, Edward, we watched every one of Edward Yang's movies, uh, this year. It's literally, no, is that it, true? Yes. It's comprehensive, dude. Every single one of his movies was, wait, did well, they show the terrorizers? Maybe they didn't show the terrorizers, but the thing is, yeah, I, Edward Yang died. Edward Yang died young. The short film doesn't count. Fuck you, Aaron. In <laughs> our time doesn't fucking count. No, uh, he's jealous that I have seen it and he is not. Aha. Yeah, it's true. I am. I'm deeply jealous. Not the best that. short film uh, in that collection. But it's yeah, uh, Edward Yang's. You know, he's one of the best directors ever. Um, and uh, they screened they, a confusion. Showed... Confusion. No, they didn't. They didn't okay. show all of his movies. I was Jean. being hyperbolic. Okay. Uh, they they showed most of the important ones. Uh, in my opinion, they should have shown the terrorizers too. They didn't have enough time to show everything. Look, we saw Yee. We saw a brighter summer's day. 
Um, we saw like the movies that define his career. I think that everything that Jason said about Peter Weir is equally true to Edward Yang, except that uh, it's an even more demonstrable uh, vertical slice of his career because, again, tragically, he didn't have the opportunity to make more movies. Um, I, I think he's far and away the best director this year, to be honest. Um, but I'm listening to other arguments now. I will entertain your arguments, merciful God that I am. Uh, I will say that I kind of agree with the general take uh, that Peter Weir kind of got his uh, for the film series. I think that that he is maybe the listen fourth, I, fifth best director yeah, on this list. Bro, that's uh, what I'm I, saying. It's like the, I no, think the, that, the category is best yeah, director. For all, for all the films you've seen from Wayne Wang, Aaron. Yeah, I'm just, I'm just saying. One movie I, outpacing I'm all of the, that, okay. I think, Whatever. Excuse, all right. Sorry, go ahead. Me. I think that uh, now Sam Peckinpah, for example, uh, as the director of Bring Me the Head of Alfredo Garcia, uh, Pat Garrett and Billy the Kid, uh, what the, we watched the, and did The Getaway, uh, The Wild Bunch. Those are all incredible movies. Uh, I Something is bugging me, though, about the fact that The Wild Bunch was not a part of his series. I don't yeah, know if that should be in consideration here. He did direct it, though. I think it's still part of it. It's not because we're not we're not doing the film series. We're doing directors. Yeah. Um, I'm still going to go. I think Yang is the number one for me. Yeah. I think it's, he's the best. Yeah. It's fine. Uh, Yang, Yang is the best. He would be my pick as well. Um, Yang masterful Gang. direction. Yeah. Hashtag Yang, uh, hashtag Yang Gang, not Wang Gang, Wayne Wang. Um, the more I think about Chan is missing, uh, a film that we covered. Oh, uh, when such a great movie. The Love that movie. Um, it, it really grows on me. Um, but Wayne Wang and Lynn Ramsey, who directed Ratcatcher, will not be getting their flowers for this category. Kind of a shame. Um, but they had some great one-offs. Uh, I really... They also I, I also did... Uh, Wayne Wang also featured Smoke, which I don't think any of yes. us saw, but it did play. Correct. And uh, um, Lynn Ramsey did Morvan Collar, which is a great movie. Yes. That also yep, played. Yep, I forgot trailer. about that one. Yeah, so extremely uh, talented directors in their own right. Um, maybe not, uh, you know, again, they're not going to get their flowers for this category, which is a shame, um, but getting to see uh, the likes of Yi Yi and A Brighter Summer's Day, um, you know, other Edward Yang films through that series, uh, a genuine treat. Um, Yi Yi, a film that I already loved uh, and really uh, enjoyed getting a, a, an excuse, not that I needed an excuse to watch A Brighter Summer's Day, um, but uh, Yang would be my pick here. I'm willing a to lot roll. of people actually consider his short film Desire's Expectations from In Our Time to be his best work. Ooh, Check it out if a, Sounds like he's disqualified from the category then. Is that what I'm... Uh, no. Psych. If his We're best having work fun. Yeah. It's probably... That's, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I would bold it. We could do that. It was good. Edward Yang, been bolded for best director. We have... Uh, yeah, our next category is a very special one. Perhaps the best of best of the night or in this case the day uh it's a it's the only segment that has two different uh announcers for it because it's the segment that jason and i have always uh introduced together jason will you help me introduce this next category with so much pleasure yes thank you the category we like to call <gasps> best cody's, cody's that's right, folks. It's the best Cody's Noti of the year. We've got five in contention this time. We have my personal pick that I included, not necessarily that I'm going to vote for, the movie quote trivia, which if you'll, if you'll remember, I won <laughs> pretty handily. <laughs> uh, we also have Love Jun Ho from the episode uh, about Memories of Murder, um, a great episode, a great discussion of Bong Jun Ho's career. We have 
Triloop from episode 213, Edge of Tomorrow, also featuring a dance detour. Um, I don't know if we're including the dance detour in that yeah. consideration, but either way, Triloop was a very, very fun uh, Cody's Noties. We have episode 253, Twilight, which was Twilove, the Twilight series trivia. A real zag from the trickster Cody that time around in a, in a fantastic category. Uh, and finally, we have my personal favorite named uh, Cody's Noti of the year, episode 247, Scream, Most Face Filler. <laughs> instead of Ghostface Killer, which was a shared cast and crew trivia. So excellent categories, honored just to be nominated. Huge shout out to Cody for doing the work of creating Cody's Noties every single week. Always a highlight of the episode. Maybe arguably the best part of Try Love, the podcast. Uh, we certainly oh, thought yeah. so when we created episode 200, Oops All Noties. Uh, so stay tuned. Maybe go back to that one. Stay tuned for future Noties. What does everybody think for their personal favorite Noti of the year? Uh, the one that I contributed, I agree with all of these. These were all exemplary Cody's Noties uh, instances. Uh, the one that I contributed to this list was uh, from episode 213 about Edge of Tomorrow. It is Triloop. It is, by most metrics, a pretty standard Cody's Noties. It even starts with, what is the height of? It is a classic. It is undeniable. Uh, and then it gives us this. This movie's about Edge and Tomorrow, and I'm just like, brother, I'm edging today. And it becomes the best Cody's Naughty of the year it, with a single one-liner. It is untouchable. And then, of course... Holy shit, that's the best argument that's been made today. <laughs> is, the, is the moment of edging itself not important, though? As, as edging itself is in it's, anticipation of I mean, the final that's act. An excellent argument about edging is that... <laughs> you know that, that that it's the destination, not the journey. By I, definition, let's cut this one off here. Actually, I, yeah. yeah, I wish I, I wish I had uh, sort of not anticipated that it was going to go there. Um, and then, of course, that Cody's note he does it. Like, I won't consider Dan's detour part of Cody's note. as it is like by definition, separate thing. Yes, a, a separate thing. But it does comment directly on the fact that that issue of Cody's notes, that edition of Cody's notes directly impacted how that edition of Dan's detour went because that's a good point. Dan, Dan and had also, two versions in contention based on what Cody was going to choose. So it's it like, also illustrates the influence precisely. because Dan's detour came from Cody's notice without Cody's notice. There is no, Dan's it is a detour. reaction to Cody's notice. Right. It is, indeed. it is a detour by definition <laughs> from the notice. So, so an I, excellent point, Jason, th that becomes my number one with a bullet. Uh, a lot of fantastic notice, uh, 50 some episodes of notice uh, that I really, really, again, Episode 200, go back. It is where we all got to get in on the fun, so to speak. Um, Aaron affectionately recalled it like the, we realized why we make this podcast and the favorite part of it being noties. And we did a whole podcast where we just did that. Um, so that's my vote. E for Cody's noty uh, of 2023 is episode 213, Try Loop. Um, Aaron, did you have an opinion on these? Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll also just uh, quickly say that, of course, Cody's noties is uh, like undeniably uh, the best bit. Uh, uh, from any episode that it's on, um, I, I kind of personally, uh, my competitive streak, I, I like the the trivia segments. Um, I think I will throw my vote in the ring for uh two forty seven, uh, most face filler just because of the name. That's the best pun of the year, I think. Uh, that's it's real got good, me real dude. good. It's really it's good. real good, dude. Um, I think I would be voting for Twi Love if it was spelled with a Y, and the. I, we talked about this on the episode, but the spelling is a little, there's something a little, hmm. you know, I'm learning. Even Cody is, it, can, is it because you could pronounce it Twi love? Like, is, right. is it that fucks, why? It fucks you up. I hate, yeah. I hate that sort of shit when you, that's when not you a bad don't point. Know. It should be more phonetic. Um, yeah. Yeah. Also the trilon, there's a Y there. It, I think Cody knows he messed that one up. 
It's fine. We'll get them <laughs> next time, bud. Um, I'm yeah, I'm voting for two forty seven. But if we if we're not gonna, are we, uh, you know, we come no, to consensus here? I, I mean, I oh, mean, man. Yeah. Harry also like you contributed. Did you contribute most face filler to this list or was that? No, Aaron? that was Aaron. That was me. I, okay. That was me. I contributed movie right. quote trivia, which <laughs> if you'll remember, right. I, so can we strike that one off? How, Jason, can how, we? how well to strike that one off? <laughs> it runs out the five. Um, I would come around with you on most face filler a lot of, and not like why we do Cody's notice, but there is something to be said for the value of like, when you hear, what Cody's notice is going to be, what yes. the framing is, that is a huge part it of how it goes. In the place. It really does. It clicks. Like yes. you're left it's, wondering what is moment. he going to do? Yeah, exactly. Like how is he going to package this? And you know, he has, Ooh, that's a good tried, point. He has tried Ooh. and true ways to come back to like refamiliarize us with formats and, and with yeah. uh, tri libs, et cetera. But, but like, tri loop is also really fun to say. It is. Uh, it's good, but it's not as funny we, as most we, face filler. Man. He, he, he did. He, he did. I'm uh, giggling and, thinking about it. In that episode, he did re- uh, uh, express regret that he couldn't have called it time love because it was time themed. Mm. But I think Time Bandits was the episode that originally took that title. Um, if I'm sure. remembering my Cody's yes. Notice lore. So like it with it's again. Good. With, with, Look, he's he, had bangers for pre- four or five oh, years. Yeah, no, we're we're, dri- yeah, we're driving home most face fillers for me as, as winner because like we're talking now about how Cody presented the notice. And that is also 100% why, uh, why most face filler would win in the, in the, uh, uh, in an effort to be neutral here. I don't, I, I don't know who won that one. I do not know. I, I, I listened to like the you know, first five maybe, minutes again, maybe had a great old time ask, giggling. And I was yeah. like, this is the best pun. This is, I want to do it. Don't know who won. So it could be anybody. I'm actually, I'd, I'd I go, do not I'd know if it's with, myself. I'd go with most face filler. Uh, I would say that, um, I was ready to give it all up for tri loop. Um, when when Jason made his argument, so I I really well, quite like that one. Um, I also back not now. not to sort of like yeah I mean I I think it's going to be most face filler. We can go ahead and bold it. Um, I really loved uh, love Jun Ho, and I really love uh, creative trivia like that. Like I thought it was so fun to like return to Bong Jun Ho's filmography and do trivia from that specific like realm. Uh, but yeah, I think most face filler is great, and also there- like. There was sorry. There was there, just to add on to that point. There was one that I was that I was close to putting on here. That was from one of the film. I think Confessions of a Police Captain from the Polizioteschi uh, series, where he just there was like a random. Maybe this actor is more well known, and I'm an idiot. But there was like an actor in that movie that he's like, "We're going to do trivia about this guy's career." Yes, it's like, <laughs> that's also what the a fan- fuck are you? T- I don't fantastic. know. Nobody, what the fuck are you talking about? I'm not Italian, yeah. motherfucker. And uh, it's like the, it's it's nice to just explore with the trivia. You know, the other one that I wish that I would have remembered in time, but uh, the dog from Silence of the Lambs. Honorable mention. That was some of my favorite trivia of this year. I, uh, Cody also referred to that dog as the John Cassale of dogs, which is one of the funniest <laughs> things anybody said on the podcast this year. And I think about it all the time. So, uh, man, that's a, another favorite of mine. But yeah, I'm, I'm cool yeah. with the most face filler. All these episodes yeah. of winners, we're all winners for them being winners. But in this case, we must pick a winner. There is a discussion here. Episode 247, it sounds like Scream. Uh, most face filler is going to be, uh, is going to be the winner. Congratulations to all of us, uh, including Cody. Thank you so much, Cody, for ending our episodes as always on such a lighthearted, fun note every single time. Um, do you happen to remember who won most face filler? Um, nope, I don't. Next category, uh, <laughs> and I'll lay some uh, some groundwork for this one. Uh, th- this podcast that you're listening to was started uh, in a pre-pandemic world, uh, and while that first year or so was 
truly great and also truly felt like an eternity. Um, when I think back on it, I think just because everything was so new, we learned so much with each episode about how to go about making a pod, uh, podcast, um, you know, the discussions, the technical aspects of it all stealing coffee mugs, all of those things taking place in that first year. Um, and then you know, since then, of course, the vast majority of the podcast run has then come in a virtual, remotely recorded world. We spent a good amount of time in 2020 figuring out how, how, how best to move forward. And after, I think, successfully regaining our footing and developing our own identity as Trilove Incorporated, uh, we've spent the years following cultivating a sense of identity within each year of this podcast's existence, you know, asking the question, what defined our year in film? 2021 was the year of The Simp. 2022 was the year of The Little Freak. One could argue these characterizations have factored into uh, everything we've done since uh, and continue to, uh, but the question remains, what has specifically defined 2023 for this year in film as it's pertained to Trilove? This next category is blank of the year wherein each of us will pitch what we believed uh, what we believe defined 2023 for us and our relationship with film, with the trial on, with the pod, et cetera. And we'll go in the order uh, of our personal picks just because that order is, is just sitting there. So in the order of Jason and then Harry and then Aaron and then me. Um, so Jason will pitch first. Jason, you have the floor. My pitch is that this year, this year, it's so much divided these movies uh topic region of the world length uh genre format even um but one thing united so many of them tasty little snacks i'm voting that this year uh the tasty little snack of the year and there are i promise you at least i think i have six six it's because harrison ford is in these movies isn't it <laughs> six solid <laughs> candidates what i believe uh, I don't know that we need to go down as deep into them, but I think it just goes to show how rounded this category could be. Should we decide that it is in fact the X of the year in uh Tempopo, we had ramen in Tempopo. We had amu rice, both tasty little snacks in Chan is missing. We had sweet and sour pork cooked by Henry, the uh, samurai night fever guy, just the coolest fucking guy in any movie uh, in Mad Max Fury road. We had a two headed lizard. It's in the first shot of the movie inarguably a tasty little snack the man just chomps it and runs away in the science of the lambs we had cops literally he eats a, a cop in that movie uh and in the cars that ate paris of course we have paris as the tasty little snack of the year these are my candidates for my own pitch that this was the year of maybe maybe we can uh sort of pick up the the thread of uh blank calling it the year of the blank maybe after we decide whether it's the blank of the year my pitch though tasty little snack of the year uh, I guess that is my opportunity to pa pass off to my co-host here, Harry Mackin. What is your X of the year? Thanks, guys. Uh, I love that pick for the record, Jason. My pick is not necessarily the most creative, um, but I, I think when you've heard me out, it's uh, almost inarguably. Uh, it's uh, This is the year of the SBF, uh, which is, of course, the year of the shitty boyfriend. Uh, <laughs> I, I have uh, 23 examples listed uh that i consulted just Jesus the movies Christ. we recorded on um that that are all great criteria um i could just open with my trump card which is of course how how 
Um, we made a gif about truly, how how truly. getting smacked in the face because he's such a shitty boyfriend. Perhaps the SBF du jour. I don't know that we're nominating a singular tasty little snack, shitty boyfriend, etc. But if we did, I think we can all agree that how how is kind of number one with a bullet in this case. Um, but just to just to go through a few others. Um, Every single Edward Yang movie pretty much has a shitty boyfriend, usually a shitty boyfriend who stabs someone. Uh, Brighter Summer's Day, uh, he murders his girlfriend at the end of that movie. Definitely a shitty boyfriend. Um, Fatty uh, insults and sort of cheats on his girlfriend, then cheats on and insults Ting, then murders uh, his teacher, again, stabbing him to death. Definitely a shitty boyfriend. Uh, Ratcatcher George, I'm including spouses. Um, we can argue whether or not spouses or boyfriends. These are all male spouses, but like somebody like Ali Fox from the Mosquito Coast, definitely a shitty boyfriend. It must be said. Yeah. He must uh, presumably his- have been a shitty, shitty boyfriend at one point. Yeah. Also a, a deeply shitty partner, right? Um, Stu and Billy from Scream, uh, especially Billy, obviously a murderer, murdered his girlfriend's mom, <laughs> tried to murder her. That's that's shitty boyfriend behavior. Uh, also tries to sleep with uh, his girlfriend and is really shitty about it when she doesn't want to. Um, let's see. I mean, where do you even, I, all the guys in Days Confused constantly cheating on their girlfriends. Um, similar, the getaway, the getaway's got shitty boyfriends coming out their ears. Uh, you're the cuck almost, but you're the shitty boyfriend. Certainly, uh, Xavier Red in the Doom Generation, a shitty boyfriend. Uh, it must be said, um, Angel in the Wild Bunch murders his girlfriend after he sees her sleeping with another man. Uh, kind of setting in motion the events of the movie uh, as such. Uh, Chan is missing. He murder or he uh, leaves his wife, abandons his wife to go missing, to be missing. <laughs> uh, let's see. Um, John Rubin from Hi Mom is completely faking his relationship with his uh, girlfriend and then spouse, tries to photograph her without her knowledge or consent um, for a porno video. That's very shitty boyfriend behavior. Uh, the plumber. The husband in the plumber, I don't remember his name, doesn't believe his wife that the, that the uh, plumber is fucking with her. Shitty boyfriend behavior. Twin dragons, uh, end of the movie, both of the Jackies, shitty boyfriends. They're trying to escape from their lives of marriage together. Marcelo, uh, terribly shitty partner and boyfriend, uh, notably erotically energized by the thought of his wife being uh, routinely sexually assaulted, ends up murdering another one of his girlfriend's spouses. Shitty boyfriend. Uh, Alfredo Garcia, perhaps uh, the number two shitty boyfriend on this list. Legendary (laughs) shitty boyfriend, kind of defined by the fact that he is not uh, a very good boyfriend and that, uh, in fact, Alfredo Garcia was a good boyfriend and died because of it. Rex from The Vanishing uh, loses his first girlfriend and is notably a terrible boyfriend to his second girlfriend because he can't get over losing his first girlfriend eventually tries to sort of make up to his first girlfriend by being buried alongside her she's already dead bro that doesn't make you a good boyfriend it just makes you a shitty at being a live guy uh ah lung from taipei story does not stab get stabbed but he fumbles the bag uh in a historical way he has an unbelievable 10 out of 10 smoke show baddie who is independent and lovely and loves him very much despite the fact that he's kind of sorry which movie uh taipei story taipei you know ah lung he's he's got that great girlfriend uh and her dad is an abuser but he kind of like partners with her dad anyway uh eventually gets stabbed and leaves her behind no good um I could go on and on, man. I mean, we got Ratcatcher, we got Humperdink from The Princess Bride, a terrible boyfriend. Uh, you know, 
I, I've got I've got plenty more here, but I, I think I've made my case. Like you're the shitty boyfriend, SBF. Uh, how how it it must be said. This is a deeply uniting uh, factor uh, of these films, which is why I think that this year was the year of the SBF. All right, I have I have two quick points of order that will lead into my uh, my category here. The first, I would like to bring up quick distinction. I know in the document here it says blank of the year. I would like to pitch, especially as people are writing the nominations, it's not blank of the year, but the year of the blank. I think that works yes, better with I, all I, of our. I think from there it would become like the blank of the year in which the year is the year of the blank, you know, so to speak. We're just voting on the general category, though. We're not voting on the actual top person, though. I would, I would, whatever it is. What Harry and I both did was we said it's the year of the blank, and here's the blank of the year. You know, like it's the year of the taste of the snack, and here's the taste of the snack of the year nominees. That's what we did. Recommend you do the same if you got it in that format. We're on the same page. Can someone swap that around in the doc so it's more you? So it's year of the blank. Well, you know, it's it's. Here's what I would say. All right. Okay, I have a, a once again, I am the great compromiser on this episode. I would like to meet Harry in the middle here because I have a suggestion that is very similar but slightly different, and I think it may patch up a few of what I perceive to be flaws in, in Harry's uh, uh, pitch here. I hope this is received, Harry, uh, as a, a message of support instead of one uh, of an attack. Here's what I would say. I think that you are correct and that a lot of these films have shitty boyfriends. I think that you are, are I think it, it is smart to kind of point out just the degree to which there were a lot of shitty boyfriends that really fucked up uh, with their, uh, for the most part, girlfriends over this year. I think my main kind of quibble that I have here um, is that I think that it's a bit too general for me and that I think that shitty boyfriend, unfortunately, defines about 95% of cinema. And I think that if we can narrow in that to something uh, related, but something a bit more specific, but not too specific to where it's only one or two films defined by that, I think we can create a a stronger category here. Here's what I'm going to pitch. Instead of the year of the shitty boyfriend, I would like to pitch 2023 as the year of the fumbled baddie. Now, I know what you're saying. Aaron, you're 30 years old. Why are you speaking like that? I know. Apologies. Right. However... I think if you think of this year as a largely a collection of films in which some, someone really fumbled a baddie in a way that, that he shouldn't have, I think that the starts to come a bit clear, right? I think that a lot of the films that Harry mentioned, uh, of course, kind of, um, you know, uh, kind of also fit this mold, right? I think something like Millennium Mambo, how do you fuck that out? How, how, you know what I mean? You're literally a fucking DJ SoundCloud rapper, dude. And you, you know, like one of the biggest fumbles of all time. Also an awful boyfriend, clearly. Shitty dude, right? Taipei story, fumbled baddie so bad you get stabbed and you fucking die on the highway. Not good. Shouldn't do that. No good at all. Witness. It's fucking smash, dude. Just obviously, that's what we're all saying as we watch the movie. We're like, they should have banged. Of course they should have banged. I get why they shouldn't have for like the tone of the film, the message, the no, ending. You're losing me. You're losing me. Pull it back. Pull it back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Warning lights. Should have banged. Off. Scream, Matthew Lillard uh, uh, literally fumbles uh, Nev Campbell uh, and tries to kill her and all of her friends multiple times. Uh, Mosquito not, Coast, not Matthew Lillard, but I, I get what you're saying. Oh, uh, yes. Uh, Mosquito Coast, Harrison Ford fumbles his wife, Helen Mirren. <laughs> yeah, you know how bad you have to bag. be to fumble your wife? Yeah. You, you, you had it. She viewed you as like a, a, a god cult leader, and you somehow fumbled that. Crazy, crazy fumble there. 
Uh, I have not seen this movie, but I've read the Wikipedia summary for The Conformist. As far as I can understand, he had two baddies right there. He ends up he with does, one of them, he does but he has this other bags. teacher. He fumbles that like crazy. She ends up fucking getting shot. All right. So I also uh, by by defining this as a uh, year of the fumble baddie as opposed to uh, year of the shitty boyfriend. I think there are a few other films that we can add maybe a dimension to by adding in here. I think something like Tampopo uh, uh, is a film in which uh, the kind of the main female character in that at the end of the movie uh, you know, does not get together with a main male character due to this kind of adherence to uh, like Wild West genre tropes, right? He rides off in the kind of modern day version uh, of kind of the, you know, the horse uh, with a, he's a gunslinger, right? That's actually like an 18 wheeler truck and he rides off uh, uh, so it can kind of complete the, all right, on to the next town, on to the next ramen shop. No, she's, she's cool as hell, dude. She makes the perfect cup of ramen, should have hung around, you know, that's what I'm pitching here. You're the fumble baddie. Mm, I think it is a little more specific. I, want, I wonder if you've you've like initiated some kind of fumbleception here because it seems like you're fumbling the category yeah. that was Ooh. really uh, no. I I I'm on board with you're the fumble baddie. Also, eerily reminiscent of I think Harry mentioned with the aviator's wife in 2021 that that might have constituted yeah. a year of the fumbled bag. Could be. Uh, I'm glad that we're calling back to uh, you know Barry's your. I think that before we vote, we should hear Cody out. Yes. Yes. I'm, I'm also, is that, is that your big contribution, Aaron? And you don't. That's my. You have... That's my category for the year. That was okay. that was my before you did cool. yours, and I was like, oh yeah. shit, I got to pivot here. Fellas, we're due. The past few years, while full of genuine joy had with y'all and within cinema, I feel like the past few years can't help be remembered with something of an edge. You know, the the world's more than a little unsavory, and our our recollection. Uh, reflects that. Furthermore, how we look back on what exemplifies each year, it, it risks being uh, a reflection of how we view ourselves. For example, we are nothing if not simps. We all know this about ourselves and each other. Uh, when we think back on 2021, there's a special particular emphasis uh, put on symptom because that's that's all we thought we were good for. In 2022, we were little freaks. I mean, technically, Oscar Shapley and Harry Call and that little uh, toilet gremlin from Mad God. They were little freaks. But by pointing the finger outward, we risk pointing that finger back at ourselves. Uh, and for that, I say we're due. We're due for a reappraisal. We're due for a bounce back. And we don't need to get there ourselves. I would argue we cannot get there ourselves. We need to look back uh, on those. We need to look to those that believe in us, the people that see in us what we have the capacity to see in ourselves, more than just a, a sidekick, more than just a friend, someone who actively worships uh, and advocates for all of the things that make us great. The Fezik to our Inigo Montoya, the Libby Mae Brown to our, uh, our quirky St. Clair, the Dennis Hopper photojournalist to our Colonel Kurtz, the uh, Rusty to our Ariel Moore, that one's Footloose, uh, the trio of monster-hunting baddie, uh, baddies, buddies, um, and baddies to our Junkhead. This year has been populated by a number of on-screen individuals who have overcome countless struggle, uh, struggles to embolden not just themselves, but those around them. Perhaps not the traditional uh, definition of an idol or a hero, but without them, there would be no idols and there would be no heroes. Uh, we're due. We're due for this, the year of the hype man. That's my pitch. I, I don't, I don't know that in itself, pretty fucking hype that sell. I'm very hype. 
Yeah. I'm must be said. I'm there. I'm there. I think I'm there for that category, frankly. I mean, Aaron, just, wh- whoever spoke last, Jason, yes. does that? Yeah, I, mean, I, <laughs> I was on board with me, and then I was on board with Harry, then I was on board with Aaron, and then I was on board with Cody. That's you know, how, that's how it works. I'm the hype I man. Think, I, I think Cody made a very impassioned speech that crescendoed. I think I needed to hear justification after the crescendo, you know, to kind of sell it for me. He he listed um, examples. I, in I middle, know, but like yeah. five examples. Here, here's the thing: is that I, I like that category a lot. Um, I can't vote for my own, so I guess I'm going to vote for uh, Year of the Fumbled Bag. I don't think Year of the Fumbled Bag, for the record, is as strong. Baddie, not uh, bad. She, sorry. Baddie. Yes. Yeah, that's yeah. a very different category. Uh, I don't yes. think that's quite as strong because, unfortunately, some of the shitty boyfriends didn't fumble the bag. They ended up with or with the baddie uh, at the end, and that sucks and is, is like, worse, right? Uh, but that being said, because I can't vote for my own, I think I'll vote for uh, Year of the Fumbled Baddie. Um be- just because I picked up on a definite pattern of fumbling baddies and shitty boyfriends, I'm not sure that this stood out to me in particular as the year of the hype man, though I really love it as a category. And uh, sorry, Jason, ramen, ramen's not a snack, but that's N- a literally none of the food. Oh, my God, I've been waiting to say this. Literally none more. of the foods he mentions are snacks. They're meals. All of them yeah. were meals. Ramen Which is it, not a snack. It's that's crazy. It's tough. That that disqualifies the that. Yeah, it's got to be personally. disqualified. A, a two-headed yeah, yeah. lizard so, is a whole meal. I didn't, not I didn't sure. say. I wasn't saying all of okay, them. Okay, sure I will accept that one as a snack. That is one of the things you mentioned. Paris is not a snack. Just Paris saying. is a full meal. Well, to to a the cop cars? is not a snack. I'm sorry. He literally he prepares it as a. It's the point is that it's a whole meal, not a snack. Man, he's not there ripping just, off flesh just and just like chewing it. on it. While the next Paris, shot is him re- conducting music over his like he's just snacked. He has not eaten the entire cup. The whole the point is, is it's there. an exquisite meal he prepares. I mean, that's crazy. That's a crazy t- look. He I'm, ate I, his liver I, with some I, fava beans and a nice Chianti. That's a whole meal, man. That's, that's a crazy. That's a snack on Chianti. We're talking about two. We're cherry picking. And cherry is also a great snack. Uh, cherries I, would be a great snack. Cherries are a great snack. Um, I myself am, the more I think about it, I'm scrolling literally through our published episodes. Almost every single one of them, I can think of a hype man. I Like that there was a presence of somebody who hyped somebody <sighs> else up. Catch me. Go. Uh, well, I mean, Tempopo alone. Um, uh, 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 the Holy Mountain, the guide is the guy who turns his literal poop into gold. I mean, you're the only one who saw me. And he's it's like, guy, yes, he does. He literally tells him at the end. It's not a hype. He, yeah, okay. You've made the mistake. It's got no flavor, flavor energy. Literally at the end of that movie, he says, listen, uh, Jesus shaped thief guy. There's that's, nothing at the top of this mountain. There is no enlightenment to be had, but there's a woman who's been chasing you ever since, you know, you, you left this Spanish town. Now just turn around. You've got it in you. Just land that. Just land that lady. Just take her home. That's all you need. You've got it in you. That's the literal hype. That's the climax of the movie. Is I'm him buying Tampopo. I don't think that's a hype man in Holy Mountain. To be quite honest, it, it truly is. Um, uh, the Silence of the Lambs. You could say um, that uh, Hannibal Lecter himself no. is Jodie Foster's hype man. He's mm-hmm. guiding her. He's leading her the whole way. He is getting giving her the confidence and self realization. I'm going to be honest. I think there are two great categories here. We need to refine into one more powerful category. Uh, I am Aaron. I'm, you can't you yeah. can't vote for your own, so just vote for shitty Biff, well, and then we can put it together. I'll, I will vote for a shitty boyfriend, although it's slightly too general. I think I'm not seeing too many hype men to be. I get Junkhead 
Uh, I think Tom po- Tam Popo. That's why yeah, we I need agree. hype men now more um, than Mad ever. Max is the hype man in his own movie. That's crazy. Hypes, That's not he, what a hype he's, man. He's is. the he's the hype man never, for fucking Furiosa. Nope, absolutely he's not. Literally, yes, not he even is. Close. They're they're opposed to each other for most of the film. <laughs> yeah, but my, not the whole movie. My vote, my vote is for Year of the Fumbled Baddie. I think it is something that has been circling the persona of this podcast for some time. I do think it has culminated positively this year. It cannot be merged with another category. I'm going to put my foot down on that. True. If it's if there's a winner in this category, if it's Fumbled Baddie, then it's Fumbled Baddie. No sort of polymerization. You can put they're that clearly card back the same in your category. Deck. I think there's a lot of fumble baddies. I think there's a lot of fumble baddies. There's a lot of way to define fumbling a baddie. Um, yeah, I. There are prominent mm, fumbled baddies. I don't think there I are think, a lot. I'm of not voting baddies. here, but Cody, I think, I think that that's a great point. Everything that Aaron said about differentiating fumbled baddie from shitty boyfriend made his category worse. Uh, Harry, you've got a B grade right now, and you're threatened to to slip it down to something else. You know what I mean? The the we we are on the edge of a precipice and there's only one direction we can fall. <laughs> I don't think that being too general is necessarily an issue. I I, I are, think look here's here's, okay, gave, here's my here's my pitch. I voted for you because I'm, I'm trying to be practical here, but I will say the year of the fumble baddie, uh, or not sorry, the year of the shitty boyfriend would maybe best be defined by the winner of last year's Golden Berries better than any film this year. What does that have to do with fucking anything? I'm saying that that last year there is a better uh, nah, a shitty boyfriend nah, movie. How? Nah, it's how how the possession guy is go how, crazy. How. He's throwing chairs and shit. Nah. <laughs> how how is bad? How how does compete? They're they're both all timers. You know what I mean? It's how how. Nah, nah. Mm. I'm right. I gave 23 examples. This is good radio. No, I agree. It's a little too gentle. Shitty boyfriends are in every fucking movie I've ever seen. It's, you know, not true. Fumble baddies, though. That's a that's a that's it. You know how hard it is to fumble. A, like they all got it and they they fucked it up. You know, they had it. It was in their grasp and they decided for some character reason. No, I must turn away. I must be a shitty person. I am formally switching my vote to year of the fumbled baddie because I think it's just slightly stronger. And like Cody said, more consistent with the uh, sort of where this podcast is has weaved in and out of. I will say Lawrence of Arabia is literally the hype man for three different significant sects of that portion of the world. The Hawaiatat, the Harith, and <laughs> that's the English the, okay, Empire. That is good. That, that is that's his good. whole fucking character. Yeah, yeah. I My heart is in Year of the Hype Man. My brain knows it's already been three hours and we need to start wrapping this fucking yeah. shit up. I think it's the Year of the Fumble Betty. Is that three full votes for Year of the Fumble Betty? I can't vote for my own, but Oh, yeah. So, yes, or, actually. Sorry. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, then. Just do it. Just bold it. F- fucking, fucking bolden, baby. Whoops. Did I do that? I did that. I bolded, I fumbled uh, the bold E. Uh, then we have another discussion category to be introduced by Harry Mackin. There might have been a lot of shitty boyfriends this year. In fact, some people might say that was even the year that we were in. But these, many of these probably aren't shitty boyfriends because they're all kings in their own way. That's right. We are on to the pen penultimate category of the day slash evening. It is the king of the Trilon. This is the um, actor 
that most epitomized our experience with the Trilon this year, the, the face of the Trilon this year, the male face of the Trilon, if you will. And we have five uh, nominees this year. We've got Ernest Borgnine from Wild Bunch and Emperor of the North, etc. cetera. Uh, Tom Cruise from War of the Worlds and Edge of Tomorrow. Harrison Ford from Witness, Mosquito Coast, and very briefly, Apocalypse Now. I forgot he was in that for a second, but yeah. Uh, Peter O'Toole from Lawrence of Arabia, and Warren Oates from The Wild Bunch and Bring Me the Head of Alfredo Garcia. Jason, your opening salvo, Sivu Play. I'm going to be short and sweet and to the point. I think there are two possibles here. Um, we have the Dark Horse, Tom Cruise. had like I only looked back at his, uh, I noticed how many of the Into the 21st Century films he was a part of. Um, I think that's the undercurrent one that people's choice would be, uh, Harrison Ford. I would take either of those, frankly, uh, for their prominence, for their commanding screen presence. I like that Tom Cruise was not headlining any of these, uh, uh, series Harrison Ford functionally did for Peter Weir, I believe, uh, starring in two of the like most prominent movies of that series. I, um, I, I, if I had to go for one, it's Harrison Ford. Secondarily, Tom Cruise. I, uh, I, I will it. say I'm I'm fifty percent with you. I was not considering Cruise. I think Cruise is a great actor. I think he is like the movie star of like the moment, maybe. Yeah. Uh, but I think that that this is you know as. Tom Cruise had like a weird career period where he was doing like a lot of this kind of like War of the Worlds, Edge of Tomorrow, doing like a lot of like that kind of blockbuster science fiction action cinema uh, before he just like started just doing basically Mission Impossible. Um, I think that for me, I would have liked to see some because Tom Cruise is also an actor, I think, that has more range and not just in terms of his personal acting, but like from his career has like quite a lot of range uh, of roles. I would have liked to see some of that a little more better defined. I think for me, the two are Harrison Ford and Ernest Borgnine. Uh, and for me, I would go Ernest Borgnine. Like he is, he's the dude who kind of stuck out the most. I think that we, we talked a little bit about it uh, with emperor of the North, but I think that like, you know, outside of like the quality of that picture, whatever, I think that like seeing him just ham it up is like this just murderous asshole train conductor was like incredible. I Very think for me, role, yeah, I think he uh, was very, very good in the Wild Bunch. Uh, we did not talk about it this year, but the Dirty Dozen and the Poseidon Adventure, I think he's great in both those movies as well. Um, Ernest Borgnine was just like, he's one of those guys that I kind of don't think about for a while. And then I'll see something with a minute. I'm like, oh, fuck you. Yeah, Ernest Borgnine's in this. Like he, He's just like always a delight. And I think that this year like had a series on him, had a bunch of great performances. Like I, for me, like I, I would give it to him. I don't hate the idea of like Harrison Ford, though. Um, and obviously... O'Toole and Oates are, are incredible um, in their own right. So, Yeah, um, my top two were Warren Oates and Ernest Borgnine. I think that, unfortunately, Harrison Ford and Tom Cruise are kind of victims of their own success in this regard. Um, I think that it is remarkably possible that they will both be the kings of the Trilon in subsequent years. I don't know that we could say that about either of them. I don't think that they had very demonstrative years this year in either case. For instance, we're maybe going to record on uh, Blade Runner coming up later. That is, to me, a more iconic performance than anything we saw from Harris Harrison Ford this year. We saw him in the conversation last year. I love him in that movie. Um, he's great, really great in, in Witness. Um, 
Uh, I know that Mosquito Coast is like one of his favorite performances ever personally. Um, I would be fine with that. I don't think it's necessarily demonstrative of his career in a way that like he stood out to me. Um, whereas when I think of the Trilon this year, one of the first thing that I picture is Ernest Borgnine with the hammer. Uh, very specifically the like poster of Ernest Borgnine with his hammer from Emperor of the North. It's also really good because Ernest Borgnine is, as Aaron said, like not necessarily um, like the traditional like king actor you think of. He's kind of a character actor, but he is a character actor who, in my mind, is like kind of given his place in the sun by the Trilon in a way that like really works for him and for the Trilon in general. And like is like revealed as an indispensable force in cinema uh, by the picks of the Trilon in a way that like we've been new that Harrison Ford and, and Tom Cruise are great. Right. But like Ernest Borgnine is like, who's heard of him. Right. Like, like he's not a household name, but like the, uh, the Trilon raises the compelling point. Maybe he should be. Uh, and I really like that. Um, I'd also like to put one in for my man, Warren Oates, like other than Harry Dean Stanton, maybe my favorite character actor of all time um, gives the performance of a lifetime in my mind in, uh, bring me the head of Alfredo Garcia, like maybe one of my favorite male performances ever. Uh, the kind of performance that like nobody could do the way that he did, like nobody could have the sort of like specific nuance and contradictory elements that that character brings to the fore that like wounded masculinity combined with the sort of like impotence combined with the like the rage that both of those things bring out. I think Warren Oates like captures that in a way like nobody else can. And I think that makes him like, I think he's quietly one of the greatest character actors who ever lived. Um, I, he's sort of like always been a bridesmaid and never a bride. I think he was literally nominated last year for King of the Trilon. Also, maybe that's an argument against him the way that it is for Tom Cruise and Harrison Ford. But I'm just saying like this year we got the wild bunch and bring me the head of Alfredo Garcia. Like maybe the, like the most demonstrative, uh, example of his kingly status. So I would just say I would be fine with either Warren Orts or Ernest Borgnine with maybe a little, I'd maybe tip it a little bit 55, 45 toward Borgnine because I think that, um, you know, he had his own series this year. Um, I talked to John about how fucking great that poster is with his hammer. Um, like, John at one point talked about like giving out hammers <laughs> to people who like saw all of the Borgnine movies. Um, you know, I think Borgnine's great. Indubitably. My top two for this category are Ernest Borgnine and Harrison Ford. I think the fact that Harrison Ford, the points made about how somebody like Harrison Ford or Tom Cruise could definitely take this category. Um, the mileage is there for them, like given their careers uh, to take this category in future years. I think that is extremely valid. I think the fact that Harrison Ford is uh, something of a contender for this category this year and his sort of, you know, fallback, you know, just like, oh, this is like, we'll pad his case sort of performance is something like witness, which is not like a conventionally, like what you think of with regards to his career. It's not like it's, you know, oh, we had a Han Solo series. God, could you imagine that? Um, but I, I really liked his performance in witness. I like, I, for as much as we maybe didn't love the mosquito coast, I, the fact that we were able to see his range in something like, like that movie from he's the also same director. perfectly cast in that movie despite acting against type to an extent mm -hmm. which is which is yeah. a really rare and powerful thing 
and that that also plays into apocalypse now which by no means should um anchor uh you know an argument for him in any respect but the fact that we did get a little bit of that um sense from him where you know that that early Harrison Ford kind of verve, you know, that energy is deployed in a very specific way in Apocalypse Now um, in a sort of off-putting fashion. I like that culmination for Harrison Ford's, um, uh, his run at the trial on this year. Uh, I do see myself leaning slightly more towards Ernest Borgnine for, I, I guess, less, you know, particular or inventive reasons. I just love the flavor that he infused in the films that we saw him in this year, uh, coming around and seeing, uh, thinking back on Emperor of the North and how much that experience was defined by, uh, I'll use the term verve again, but like his verve, his presence, he always has that. Um, I, uh, when he is, is deployed in a film, I wish I would have seen more films of his in the, the series. I would have loved to revisit the Poseidon adventure. didn't get around to it. Um, I know we can only infuse so much of that sort of rationale into these where if we didn't record on the episode, who didn't watch the movies but the fact that he you know he d- fully deserves uh, a series at the trial on i mean he deserved it he deserves more going forward um because his body of work uh, commands it but um uh, either of those gentlemen um i would be extremely happy to, to see take this um i do see uh, as it's been said um I, I do also see myself leaning a little bit toward the the board nine camp um yeah jason thoughts thoughts on that uh, I think I am very comfortable switching my vote to Borgnine, uh, not just because it's got critical mass, but because truly like Harry's point about him becoming iconic for the movies that he, that his series contained, um, despite not always being the lead in them in the wild bunch, he's a supporting character in the emperor of the North. He's the the main villain. I didn't see the Poseidon adventure Marty, uh, but like he is, he is strong enough, a performer to, I mean, uh, the title of this series was brought to life by Ernest Borgnine. I don't think that necessarily the cumulative effect of all the movies ends up in the best series for me, but truly for his participation in those movies, it, like he he stands out uh, just again. Plus his his teeth look like little rows of tombstones. He's got the, the best <laughs> teeth in the business, you know? Uh, that's, mm, I, I mean, he, they are iconic teeth. Uh, the <laughs> image that they use for Emperor of the North on the website is, Truly, yeah. truly unhinged. Uh, I'm, I'm very comfortable switching my vote to Borgnine if we have full let's uh, do consensus around that puppy. Then let's yeah. call it yeah. Ernest Borgnine in uh, the, the star of Ernest Borgnine uh, brought to life by at the trial on in 2023 becomes our king of the trial on 2023. Our le- maybe our least contentious uh, king discussion ever. Maybe we, ever. Yeah. We usually get pretty heated about that, but I, I'm all positive about that puppy. Um, Cool. Well, congratulations, Ernest Borgnine. You uh, just in time. Yeah. You were awarded uh, the most prestigious honor you could have hoped for. Uh, rest easy, big guy. Uh, and I will pick it up from there and say that the next category is the Queen of the Trilon. You know what it is. Uh, we have five nominations here. Five people nominated, I guess. Nominees. Five nominees uh, for Queen of the Trilon. The first is Emily Blunt uh, from Looper: Edge of Tomorrow. Maggie Chung from the Heroic Trio and Twin Dragons, uh, Meiko Kaji from Lady Snowblood, uh, Nobuko Miyamoto from Tampopo, and Parker Posey from all of the films in the Parker Posey series, uh, The Doom Generation, Waiting for Guffman, Dazed and Confused, so on and so forth. Um, Harry, you have a take? Uh, Yeah, I mean, I would just like to, you know, there's only two to be considered here, if we're being really honest. Like, come on. Uh, and it's Parker Posey or Maggie Chung. Um, as much as I would, I mean, you know how I feel about Maggie Chung. Uh, she should have won last year. 
really, really obviously should have won last year. Kind of, or was that last year? Was that the year before? What is time? Uh, anyway, she should have won when fucking In the Move for Love was recorded on. Um, everybody knows that. With much love to Anita Mui, you all know that. Um, this year, unfortunately, kind of a victim of her success or the success she's already had on this podcast. I don't think that the movies that we saw that she recorded on that are even sort of like in her category are necessarily demonstrative of her career in a meaningful way. Um, whereas Parker Posey, who will never be nominated probably again, unfortunately, because of the kinds of projects that she took on, uh, gets her spotlight this year. Um, you guys have made the argument, which I agree with, that she's not a huge part of a lot of the movies she was in. She's in one scene in the Doom Generation. She's a relatively minor character in Dazed and Confused. However, she is the most memorable part, arguably, of both of those movies, despite that. Uh, she has one of the most iconic lines of all time in uh, the Doom Generation, delivered like nobody else possibly could. I think she's almost inarguably the funniest and best part about Dazed and confused. I love that. And Guffman, so maybe. Much. And Guffman. She's unbelievably yeah. good in Guffman. Um, and she is sort of like the like indie queen like version of, in a weird way, the Borgnine, the the female Borgnine in this one very specific circumstance. In that she's not she's not an obvious movie star. She never has been. That's always been an unfortunate part of her career, right? She's always been known as the indie queen the sort of B-movie queen, the double-A queen, uh, what have you. She's always sort of wanted for the spotlight, and she has always made the most of what she's had. And I think that's exactly the type of person that we should be honoring uh, as the queen this year. So with much love to Maggie Chung, and as much as I would love to see her basically get this on a technicality, sort of like the way that a director gets a Best Picture win when really he should have won for an earlier uh, outing. Yes, like Maggie Chung should have been the queen of the Trilon in 2021. However, I think the queen of the Trilon in 2023 is Parker Posey. That's what I got. What do you guys think? Um, I think the Borgnine, Borg, Borghive uh, win indicated or like proved that screen time is not necessarily the primary indicator of um, of royalty in these categories. And given that, I will say Parker Posey is a not insignificant, if not the most memorable part of the movies that we did see that she was included. And again, the doom generation, I remember, obviously there's a lot of memorable parts of that movie, but one of the first things that comes to mind is her in that pool hall scene, uh, in waiting for Guffman. I think of her waving the plate at that dry ass chicken wing on the barbecue. Thinking about making a healthy, <laughs> low fat lizard. It's so fucking good. Uh, I, I think, I think she takes my vote. Um, I, I can respect and love to everybody on this list. Maggie Chung, there's a decent chance she gets more movies at the trial on in the future, just because of the nature of the movies that trial on plays and sort of like how much she's not necessarily, she'll have her own series again, but she'll probably end up uh, as part of, you know, another series of Hong Kong films or something. Um, uh, again, for most of these actors and actresses, we can. I wish we had seen more Juzo Itami movies so that we could like lock Nobuko Miyamoto in. I think she is fantastic sure. in the things that I've seen uh, her in. She was in one movie though this year. Oh yeah, that's what I mean. I wish she had been in. Oh one. yeah, like she yeah, would yeah. probably take also, my vote if we had seen The Funeral or uh, Taxi right. Woman or. And, and similarly, as an addendum, unfortunately, and and I hate to step on maybe 
Cody's argument. If we had recorded on Irma Vep, I think Maggie Chung would have been like a shoe in. Uh, and maybe if we count, may, like maybe maybe make your argument here, Cody, if that's where you're going, because I could be persuaded here. I think. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I'll, I'll certainly, I'll certainly try. Um, I, and as much as I hate it, I think the fact that the uh, like there's definitely validity to the like whether or not folks will be able to to kind of hold water in the future golden berries um just because of the breadth of their work and their capability of getting you know looped into a series at the trial on going forward um i don't love it but it definitely makes sense uh and it's hard not to invoke that with somebody like maggie chung who we see um if not every year then every other year um making waves uh at the trial on i think i generally agree that it's between her and parker posey for I mean, the obvious reason that we covered more of their movies, they had their own series. There's a part of me that's even like, you know, I, I would entertain an argument for um, Nobuka Miyamoto um, for Tempopo just because of um, how great that movie is and, and the, the weight that she carries and also the role that her character plays um, and how she portrays that. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I love Parker Posey in um, every uh, Christopher Guest movie that I've seen her in. Um, uh, uh, but just operating within the scope of waiting for Guffman uh, through her slate at the trial on. Um, she is the the part of that movie that I most take away from it. Her in, in Dazed and Confused really falls into the ensemble. For me, I, I remember her less from it, um, which isn't to say that I don't value her role in it. It's just, it's a, a big ensemble link later picture. Um, and she more so disappears in that for me, um, which isn't to say she's bad in it. She certainly is. Um, she was our GIF for that movie. Was was she not? That's the GIF that maybe somebody mm, already said the, that, but I think she, she gets she, no drip of any condiment on her. Yeah. Yeah. Extremely impressive stuff. Maybe should be queen for that alone. Um, whereas, yeah, Maggie Chung, I, the, the frustration that I will take away from this year is that we did not, um, we're not able to record on Irma Vep. I did see Iceman Cometh. That was another one that we opted not to record on, which again, those aren't things that I can bring into this. And um, I don't know, I will still plant my flag in the Maggie Chung camp, but I will not uh, besmirch Parker Posey winning. Um, I, both, yeah. both both very worthy, um, but it's, I, yeah, I don't know, it's tough. I do have a legitimate question about that, right? It's like, can we consider Irma Vep? Because like, if I'm being honest, I forgot that Irma Vep played this year. I think circumstances beyond my control forced me to like not see it in theaters. And so that was kind of on me. I think that was literally the week where all of us, like we could not make a recording. And that was like the one week we like ever. Yeah. We took a week off. Um, Yeah. But if I had remembered that Irma Vep uh, had played this year, I probably would not have made that argument for Parker Posey the way that I did. Uh, But Aaron, what do you, what have you got to say? Yeah, I would still go Posey. Um, I think Maggie Chung is good in both those movies i think she's maybe like underrated in twin dragons uh where you know she she is playing i forget the other female lead in that film but she's like you know they're both playing opposite uh jackie chan in this interesting way um i think the heroic trio she's fine i think that's more like a michelle yo film for me um but yeah I, i i i for me i think parker posey is probably my vote here Unless yeah. uh, everyone else feels super strong about something. Well, now I've, I've changed my vote to Maggie Chung, actually. You just brought up. Uh, mm, I, <laughs> I, I was one over. Uh, Heroic Trio and uh, Twin Dragon. She's fucking amazing in those movies. And she's a fucking Irma Vep. 
like the defining female performance. The defining female performance that you forgot about until a few minutes ago. Uh-huh. Have, you, have you seen Revep, Jason? Yes. I mean, okay. it, it, I'm not saying that it's not right. I'm saying like indicators are. Anyway, I, I keep my vote as Parker Posey. And I'll just to point it out. I think Harry's significantly forgetting how fucking horned he got over the gif of Emily Blunt in Edge of Tomorrow. Like we haven't mentioned her name at all as part of this series, as part of this I'm, uh, category. Man, I'm, I'm sorry. I like Emily point. Blunt a lot. I think she's like a different weight class. Uh, I, clearly. I Parker mean, the, these are, this is Mount Rushmore we're talking about versus uh, newcomers versus fucking Calvin Coolidge. Uh, I'm 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 sticking with Posey, but I'm not sure where that leaves us now since Harry switched his to Chung. Uh, We're two two. We find ourselves in a familiar situation. Uh, Aaron, you're looking mighty, do. looking mighty munchy there. Um, I'm, I mean, I'll I'll turn around my argument, right? What, which is like, I know screen time is not the indication, but like, they gave Parker Posey her own category and she's still like in barely any of the movies that, that i think that's a point her. i think that's a point in favor of it though it's like she is she was again to borrow the ernest borgnine corollary like brought to life by she was she was the sure. center of at but least she's i, I see know. what you're saying i'm I, happy like, to keep I, my i vote. i agree with uh with cody that she kind of disappears and dazed and confused a little bit i liked her a lot in it but she's one of many um, she's also one of many in Christopher Guest's Waiting for Guffman, I think. She she arguably doesn't star in any of the movies we recorded on, and of the movies that she does star in, uh, Party Girl is not a very good movie. I would say she is comfortably the best in Waiting for Guffman, which is a movie Maybe. about weird, wacky side characters, of which she is the best I, and most memorable. Man, I don't know. I really like that couple. The, the, the stage it's couple. Fine. They have the one moment with the date. They're yeah, so I mean, funny, man. Fred Willard and good. Fred, yeah. It's fucking Fred Willard. I don't know. Anyway, go ahead, Cody. It, it is fucking Fred Willard. Yeah, I'm with us being at a stalemate, I'm just going to try and, and poke at Jenga blocks until something happens. Um, I'll, I'll talk a little bit more about Heroic Trio, uh, a film that I had seen once before, um, getting the chance to watch it again through the um, the Maggie Chugs. I'm brain farting. I'm, I'm sure it's in the document somewhere uh, of what that series was called, but um, kind of a murderer's row situation. Maggie Chung um, alongside Michelle Yeoh and um, former queen of the Trilon, Anita Moy. Um, and for me, Maggie Chung is the most memorable takeaway. Um, she like it, kind of inserting her flavor into, I think she was maybe the the last of the three introduced and she just adds a certain oomph to, to that picture that, um, that really uh, worked well for me. Um, and that is a, a film that uh, with putting my uh, ostensibly Cody hat on, that was a movie that was hard to watch for a long time. Um, the fact that the Trilon brought it back uh it, uh they didn't they didn't show executioners but um those two like i, I bought a, a like an out of country like a cheapo dvd set um and i don't know getting to see that and getting to see her on screen again at the at the trial and through that um didn't get a chance to see executioners they didn't show executioners with the with the the slate but I don't know. I just I have a lot of love for Heroic Trio this year. Um, obviously, it didn't make um, didn't make my top five, um, and of course, it didn't uh, make the Best Picture noms list. Um, but I think you know, for as much as that is not necessarily Maggie Chung's picture, um, because she kind of holds uh, or shares the mantle or shares the platform rather, um, not the pop off platform, but just the platform in general with two other 
certified all-time stars. Um, I don't know. I just I don't want it to be overlooked how um, how great that movie is, um, especially within the context of like repertory cinema um, scheduling. Um, I really love that movie a lot. Hey, yeah, let's talk about range, huh? Let's talk about the impossible range of Maggie Chung. The fact that she's a hilarious comedic performer. The fact that she's a hilarious physical comedic performer. The fact that she's one of the hottest women who ever walked the earth. The fact that that does not detract from the fact that she's a great actress. And by the way, you're rolling your eyes. I'm almost as horny for Parker Posey. So uh, six of one, half dozen of the other in that camp. Um, That is a lie. You are not even close here. (laughs) I do not buy that for one second. I'm probably going to watch. I'm probably going to watch Boo is Afraid, which is a movie I have no interest in because Kelly told me that there's a Parker Posey sex scene in it. So there's that. Um, I hate Ari Aster, so, you know, whatever. Uh, anyway, um, I think that, like, all of the movies we watched, like, Doom Generation, Waiting for Guffman, Dazed and Confused, like, Parker Posey is basically right in her strike zone. She's playing exactly the character that, that she plays. Um, in fact, I would even argue that, like, in specifically one instance, Doom Generation, and kind of in Dazed and Confused as well, uh, they're, like, almost elevated cameos. Like, part of the joke, part of the idea is that that's Parker Posey, um, at least in New Generation. Whereas with Maggie Chung, it's like, she is often playing against type. Like, she she's playing, like, the comedic relief buffoon character in Heroic Trio, which is a crazy thing to make, like, leading lady uh, Maggie Chung do. I'm not saying Parker Posey couldn't do that. In fact, she has a star-making performance in Superman Returns, but we didn't uh, watch Superman Returns today. Um... Or today, wow, or this year. I didn't watch it today either, but um, Every I'm just ago. saying, yeah, uh, Maggie Chung has more, she demonstrates more of what makes her the queen of the Trilon this year uh, in her movies, especially if we consider Irma Vep and the Iceman Cometh, than Parker Posey did, in my opinion. Especially, like, you look at even Party Girl is, like, very much a exact Parker Posey performance. I'm not saying, it's not Parker Posey's fault, it's not that she couldn't demonstrate the reins. It's that she didn't in this case. Whereas I think Meg, like we see so many different sides and facets of Maggie Chung, the performer, the actress uh, this year um, compared to what we saw from Parker Posey. And that's why I think that she's probably the better pick. I think I'm coming around to the Maggie Chung. Like when you just describe the range and like, I, I'm trying to see like when we take away one or when we focus on one criterion, do we like necessarily eke out the other? And I think in this case, when we're talking about the range of roles she had and the prominence that she had in them, it does just like are uh, correlated. I think in terms of Chung, where my argument for Posey rests on, no, she wasn't the biggest part of, but she was very good in them or like the range between them was very interesting. Those kinds of things. It's like the less she's part of a movie, the more I seem to uh, think that she's a valid, like, candidate for this category because she was in it you know and like that just doesn't seem like a very well-rounded way i I guess i'm questioning my own metric at this point um but the more i hear uh arguments for chung like it seems like there's a certain amount of like let's just be real about it that i'm willing to uh, concede to and 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 not to not to sort of go too far beyond but like when you think about irma vep it's like that that's a movie where uh, Maggie Chung is so supernaturally charming that literally everyone she comes in contact with falls in love with her. And the director of that film married her a year after they made that film. 
Uh, that's suggesting that's play by the director. I mean, that's what we like to call uh, <laughs> two aces in the band. This was just a that was just a documentary that that is just the power that Maggie Chung, the woman, actually possesses. <laughs> I'm just saying. Uh, I am very comfortable then saying is that three for Chung now? I think we're three uh, I for will Chung. say uh, I'm fine with Maggie Chung. It would be very funny if she got stolen uh, two out of the four years we've done this for Queen of the Trilon, but it's, it's you're of course, a, you're it's a sick fuck. Aaron. I'm just this pointing out are. it'd be very funny if she got narrow second place twice. I'm just saying that would be funny. I'm sorry. Continue. Uh, but yes, yeah, so yeah, of course. I will say uh, Harry purposefully, maybe not purposefully, but purposefully uh, misportraying uh, uh, Posey's role in the Doom Generation. Her first film was in 93. That film was in 95. That's obviously not a cameo or a light cameo. Two years after she did a bunch of amateur films, Days and Confused, sure, but like you know, come on. Uh, but yes, uh, I think Chung is is a great uh, queen of the Trilon. That's fine. Chung with a bullet. Uh, okay, <sighs> well, what a relief indeed. Um, Cody, you have the honor here. Oh boy, I- I'm riding high. So let's see if I can I can come back down to earth to to fight in the the muck and the mire for this our final um, category proper of the year and that is best picture of 2023 and so reiterating some points uh previous listeners uh and those who listened uh, to earlier in this episode might have an idea uh, of this but this is best film of the year that we devoted an episode to so unlike our personal picks where we were inserting you know viewings that uh you know the heartbreak kids um that regrettably not in contention because we did not make an episode out of it we did not discuss it uh, on the pod, on mic, uh, so non-episode films out the window. As always, prior to this recording, we worked uh, to craft as balanced uh, of a group of 10 nominees as possible, um, but even that process was pretty contentious, as it usually is, uh, which, if anything, as we like to say, speaks to the immense quality that 2023 at the Trilon uh, was afforded to us. Shout out uh, times a million to John Moret and the rest of the Trilon crew. With that... The following are the nominees for Best Picture of 2023, and I'm going to run through them in alphabetical order. We've got The Conformist, Ghost in the Shell, Hi Mom, Lawrence of Arabia, Memories of Murder, Millennium Mambo, Picnic at Hanging Rock, Tempopo, Twilight, and finally Yi Yi. So that's 10 nominees. I think uh, traditionally we, we like to kind of chip away at the iceberg you know, get, get, uh, you know, knock out some of the lower hanging ones that maybe don't stand a chance. But that being said, I, I would like to open up the floor. If anybody has, um, you know, a, a place they would like to start, um, an agenda they would like to put forth. This is where with the metagaming and politics come into play. Perhaps we'll see what happens. Um, but, but Harry's first in the queue. Harry, where do you, where do you see this going? Uh, not to be overly like, I feel bad because I feel like we've kind of been like, uh, like, dismissing ghost in the shell quite often across this episode but i just like i don't think it's the the movie of the year this time right like i one of the best movies ever i think i think we all agree on that i Maybe just like the best on the world i don't agree with that necessarily Close. but but it's up there uh yeah sure um no yeah i agree with that but i don't it's not i don't think it's demonstrative of the year for me I don't think it's like the movie I most enjoyed watching at the trial on. I don't think it's the movie I most wanted to make an episode about. Um, and I would be comfortable dropping that one in the interest of moving forward. What do we think? 
Yeah, I think that every year we kind of run into the same problem where there are like just like fucking titan films, you know what I mean, that we have seen before or we're like we're kind of familiar with their game to a certain extent. Um, And I think that we kind of struggle. I think we'll probably talk about it with something like Lawrence of Arabia uh, in a little bit here. Um, I think Ghost in the Shell kind of falls in the same category. We're like we all know how good that movie is. Um, Yeah, it is like my favorite uh, movie on this list. Um, it, I think it also one, maybe slight strike against it is it was the first movie that we saw this year. Uh, we joked going into it, Hey, is this going to be our number one film? Um, and I think that it kind of, you know, last year we saw possession as the first film and that ended up uh, being, uh, by group consensus, the number one film, uh, you know, best picture, uh, for 2022, I think that like Ghost in the Shell like kind of didn't do that, which like isn't really like a big knock against it. Um, but it is, you know, it I think does speak to something here, which like it's kind this of a is victim of its own success, right? I yes. don't know. It's like we're if all... I just saw Ghost in the Shell. Yeah. 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 Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh but it can it can, you know, it is one of the ten best movies that showed at the trial I don't think we need to keep it on here personally. Anybody disagree? I agree with Harry. Uh, I guess that's what I'm saying. I would agree with that. Yeah, no disagreement and, yeah, we here. Can strike it. Um, one other one I will put forth, just in the oh, interest of. Um, yep, I, I, I'm on. I'm on it. So, Ghost in the Shell out of contention. I will offer up Picnic at Hanging Rock, which I think is one that. Uh, I, apologies if I'm overstepping. I maybe like that the most of anybody else uh, here, um, but it, it seems like it does not have the legs. Um, might have been my favorite in the Peter Weir series, and I did come away really liking Witness, but it, it just does not seem destined to rise uh, to the top for the year 2023. Um, a good uh, represent, representation of uh, Peter, what Peter Weir can put forth into the world with his art, um, just maybe not not best of the year. Uh, Harry, mm-hmm. any any disagreement or, or counter? No, there? I, I don't disagree. I just wanted to say this one hurts uh, because yeah. I I fully agree. I think that like. I, it kind of goes to show, and I know we've been, we're like broken records, but like how stacked this year was that like, I, I, in most years, I'd probably be comfortable giving Picnic of Hanging Rock like movie of the year, right? It's a fucking totally. amazing movie. It's a really important movie. It's a really distinctive um, and influential movie. But yeah, I don't know. For whatever reason, I don't necessarily think it, it I, for whatever reason, it, it sticks out to me as one that we can get rid of. It's maybe just a little too, uh, like, abstract meditative not it didn't it didn't like neither it nor the discussion we had like really fucking blew me out of the water in the way some of these other picks did i guess yeah i for that for similar reasons i and and like building on the ghost in the shell thing i would nominate lawrence of arabia for discontinuation from this list i i love that movie maybe too soon it was okay i'm punching high then i i was it was one of the first i think I think it was the very first Blu-ray I ever owned because I was that interested in seeing it in high definition. It did truly like change, it changed what I, how I thought about like watching a movie and like interpreting what I'm seeing. Looks and good. It, it looks good. It looks good. It's not it's the one of only, the best movies ever made. Yes. Right? Like, yes, it is. Clearly. But we just said that we just said that about ghost in the shell as well. I just think there's a, maybe victim of its own success kind of thing. I really did love getting to discuss it. Again, I don't think the discussion blew me out of the water in many respects because it is a movie that has been discussed and seen. It is highly understood, I think. Uh, it is like a 
a movie of much note, but of not much concern to me anymore, as it seems very well trod. Not that it isn't a good movie, just that for the purposes of best picture of movies we recorded on, again, looking at the like criteria specifically, I would put forth Lawrence for, for a movie. I mean, like this is before any of the other movies that I was considering proposing for removal. I, I, I know it hurts, but I think the later ones are going to hurt more. And that's why I'm trying to get this over with now. I was going to pitch maybe another one, one or two that would uh, hurt significantly would, less. Yeah. I was going to pitch another one to cut, but I don't, maybe we talk about this more. Maybe we come back. I don't know. What are you, what are you pitching? Go for it. Yeah. Is the, is there, is there anyone else that would consider like the conformist a top five, you didn't see top that 10 movie. film of the year? You didn't year? see that movie. Is the Cody Jason, would you, you consider the conformist a top conformist? five, top 10? So I, I mean, just, can I yeah, ask them we would, first? We would end up needing to answer this question anyway, so I don't mind having it in front of me. Yeah. It wasn't in my top five and I don't think it would like, I don't think it would get my wholehearted vote uh, for best picture. No. Cool. Uh, I echo those sentiments. A great film. I here's a trade. chance to pre- look, you, look yep. me in the uh, eye right now. Jason, yes. Jason, Cody, both of you look me in the eye and tell me hi mom's a better movie than the conformist. I have you my can't, mom you slotted can't uh, higher on that. my personal ratings. Yeah, look me in the uh, eye. Tell me, tell me it's now, better than the really conformist. Quick, really quick. I, this is unfair. I mean, if we, if we want to get nasty. It's unfair. Let's fucking get nasty, I would like to say. You didn't even the see record, this movie. For the record. Yes. I said earlier that yes. That I read the Wikipedia summary for the conformist. But. Watched it last night. Motherfucker. I've seen all the movies in the top 10. I have seen The Conformist. Oh, it is a wow. solid flick. Like, qu- quite liked it. <laughs> it is time to cut it. <laughs> I have not I, logged I, it on Letterboxd on purpose. I, I saw this. it. I saw it. The pedophile wasn't actually that... dead. I've seen it. The, the weird architecture in the Italian <laughs> building. He bangs both women. Yes. I've seen it. Last night. <laughs> if Stole we got The, the Conformist, we are kind of high mom. If you ask me, I think that is a separate discussion, but I do think we should cut the conformist with that reveal out of the way. I am much more comfortable saying I would be, I would take conformist out of contention. Man, you guys are 10. so stupid. <laughs> my, my trap was laid. God, that tra- conform- you, conformist is so much better than like most of the other movies on this list. Do you like, know how strong I had to be in order to save this moment for the past, the best, I the, the film? It, it, I could have whipped that out while defending the, uh, the thing from another world, but I knew it would weaken. It would weaken my hand later on me. in the episode. I don't understand how this makes your point better. <laughs> it's just funny, man. Let's cut it. Fuck it. Oh, you guys are morons. It's yeah, showing all over it. again. It's getting cut. The conformist is about to conform. Oops. I'm sorry. I tried to exit out. Sorry, it's not fucking comfort cinema like your little witness <laughs> or whatever. It's, yeah. Oh, yeah, comfort <laughs> cinema like <laughs> my mom. My Toy Story oh, is my favorite movie. Should we swap it with Emperor of the North? Yeah. <laughs> but I, I did like it, for the record. Any, any yeah, little, it's one of the fucking best movies ever. Any other early cuts uh, that we should make that are going to hurt? I would. Uh, I'm gonna beat up if I pitch. Uh, we can. I we can cut Lawrence of Arabia. 
I was not going to go to bat for it for movie of the year. I think it's much better than a lot of the other movies that are still on this list, a la Hi Mom. Again, look me in the fucking eyes and tell me that Hi Mom is a better movie than Lawrence of Arabia? It is not a better movie, but it is is a movie that I was happier to see at the trial. We're not talking about the whole of cinema. We're talking about the movies we recorded on. We can't lead off this category with Ghost of the Shell, maybe being the best movie on this list, and we're going to axe it and then a sacrificial lamb that's that's so flimsy i Uh, agree i'm fine also cutting lawrence of arabia did i hear you voice any opinion about that one cody uh we can cut i i don't like cutting it but it seems destined to get cut eventually so it makes sense to me appreciate it oh boy can i pitch Mm. this is gonna be risky i know know what you're you're gonna pitch and it is gonna it's gonna hurt for some on the call memories of murder is a great film that I think I, I, I think uh, showcases uh, uh, Bong Joon Ho's like incredible talent as a director. I think that it is uh, uh, that along with uh, some of his other films, like clearly showcase like how much better uh, uh, I would say how like cut to shit and fucked up uh, his films that like went through like U.S. distributors were. I think that like Snowpiercer is like kind of a mess of a movie. And I think that if you look at something like Memories of Murder, like kind of fucking nailing it, it's like absurd to like look at those two movies kind of side by side in a way. Um, I like that movie a lot. I think that that is not what I consider one of the best movies in that genre or that I kind of think about uh, uh, at kind of the same time. I think like, you know, maybe it's like a kind of meme to make fun of them. I think like some of Fincher's stuff is better. I think something like Cure is better. Um, I think it is a very good I would say like a four out of five, uh, uh, you know, star movie. Um, I've never seen anybody. Yeah, I've, I, I, everybody disagrees with me on this. So it's fine. That's always just kind of how I felt about it. I mean, uh, I don't. I'll wait my turn. It leaves me a little cold, I'll, I think. I'll wait. Yeah. I don't disagree that I don't think it's going to make it to the final round. Um, I, I think there are ones that I would remove first, honestly. In order to keep it on the list, I would I would personally put Tempopo under the wheels. I and I love Tempopo. It was in my top five. I, I, you know what that means then to me? Um, I yeah, I, yeah. Re- I reject wholeheartedly the idea that David Fincher does it better than than Memories of Murder. I think that, David like, Fincher has he, made some really he, good true crime esque movies. Yeah, I mean, that Zodiac are is than a Memories fantastic movie. Truly a fantastic movie. I it think, is. I think that's Memories of Seven, despite how Mimi But Memories of Murder is a, is a perfect <laughs> version of what it is. I think it like. Zodiac, very good version of a of a thr- crime thriller. Memories of Murder, the perfect crime thriller, in my opinion. Not not really the point I want to make. I'm not trying to pit two against each other. My point being, like, I would rather see it stay on the list uh, and like enter the top five. Also, I feel like I not to not to sort of like diverge from this, but this whole like keeping it on the list longer thing is really doing a disservice to these movies. I don't know if, if this is a great way to it's go. The nat- it's this. the nature of uh, of a ranked list. I like the though, nature maybe. of the game. Yeah. That's because I, it, I, it gives also, you yes. more influence than yes. you should have, Aaron, also. I don't think I have... I worth coming to a consensus about the best film he, that played. Harry is just so burned yeah, yeah, that yeah. Hi Mom wasn't the Sorry. first to die on this list. He, I know it's he just got mad. The worst movie queen on this of the list. Trilon, you know, it's like, a, <laughs> but is it the is it is it a film that we all loved seeing no. as a picture at the nope. Trilon this year? I think so, maybe two. Or I also three think of the it's maybe us. the worst dis, uh, the worst discussion we've had. I think that there are way better discussions on this list than Hi Mom's. 
So I was going to propose uh, a, anyway. th- a, to- a top three, but I Jason's suggestion of cutting Tempopo has me nervous. Um, Man, I, that does hurt so bad. So, so, so Memories of Murder is inner circle for me. I recognize that it is probably not the best film of the year, and so I would be okay cutting it. My proposed top three spinning off of that, and this is this surely won't be contentious at all. I'm sure this will go down really smooth. Um, my proposed top three was going to be Tampopo, Twilight, and Yee Yee. Okay, I mean, I, I would I share, offer a trade. I share two of them. I share. Two, I would say Millennium Mambo, Twilight, and Yee Yee are a great. I, top I was going to say Millennium Mambo, Tampopo, and Yee Yee. My God, so guys! I think he's some, in all of our top. That's maybe leaving here. off the best wow. picture. Yeah. Uh, uh sure. We still need to discuss it, but yeah, let's discuss yeah, it. Would, yeah. right. So, what, which ones Twilight. didn't come up God, there? Cutting yes. tempo hurts. T- cutting tempo um, hurts very uh, badly. Hi, hi, mom. I don't think was mentioned in any of those final three. Do I have that wrong? Uh, well, memories of murder seems like it's getting cut. Am I? Uh, I guess. Am Unfortunately, I yes. I think that's like, true. Okay. Memories of Murder can get cut. I like um, it more than Aaron, but I think I understand what Aaron's saying. Oh, totally. It's a very good. Totally. It's a good movie. Yeah, I mean, um, a five. Star, I would say Hi would Mom say. is a great top five movie of the year. It can be cut. It's fine. All right. I, yeah. Goodbye, Mom. More I would like die, for Mom. Mom, but yeah, it does not seem. Wow. My so my wrath is sated. <laughs> <laughs> so so that that leaves Kissing us with uh, for for listeners at home who we'll are trying to keep here, track. Yeah. Uh, in alphabetical order, we have Millennium Mambo, Tempopo, Twilight, and Yee Yee. Oh, I mean, I would be. I like all of these movies a lot. If if Hi Mom won Best Picture, I was going to murder all of you. Definitely. Do you think I could have swung that, guys? Do you think I <laughs> no, could have swung that? Absolutely not. That's no, I mean, like, I, have, I, have, I have not Cody eaten or drunk anything Cody, what if we swapped that I have not peed. I am, I am at the end of my <laughs> rope, and I still would not let Hi Mom win Best Picture of the yeah. Year. Yeah, come on. Like, okay. I, get, I get it. It's funny. Right. It, but It's very funny. Very funny. <laughs> At the, at the end of the episode, I could have been like, hi, mom. And then that hi, you mom, get what you get the end. Incredible. Ooh. Yeah. I'm, these are the simpletons that I make this podcast with. Everyone I, think listening the right worst, I think the worst movie out of these four is Tampo. Whoa, that's crazy, is this, man. Is this a discussion about Twilight and Yee Yee? Is that I think what it's, it is? I, I think it's a discussion about Millennium Mambo and Yee Yee. I think it's Twilight and Yee Yee for me. For me, it's a discussion of Tempopo and Yee Yee. I was ready oh, to shit. give up Tempopo <laughs> in order to have like interesting conversations later okay, on, but we already uh, killed. Yeah. We just said a bunch so. of duos where Yee Yee was the only one included in all of them. Is that the answer? Well, should we discuss <laughs> would, all of these? Let's. Yeah, just, I know. I'm just it, yeah. like we should. I just I want to make sure that does not go unnoticed. But yeah, we yeah, should. Sure. Let's 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 be surgical. Um, who, who wants to go first? Um, let's let's do. Uh, I feel bad. I think Tim Popo unfortunately kind of falls victim to uh, um, Ghost in the Shell. Uh, it's a very wet run, I think, for all of us. Um, Not me. We all loved that. Oh, really? Oh, that's yeah. crazy. Uh, that's a well. It's a great movie. Um, I. It's one of my favorite discussions of the year that we've had. Unfortunately, Aaron couldn't join us. Uh, that might have ele- elevated it even more. But um, legitimately, I think we got to a really great place with that. Um, I think a lot about well, the points, Jason. Popo. What? Jason and I Cody talked, made. I totally talked there? about Tampopo. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. I forgot. I forgot. Couldn't have been that good of a discussion. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. I'm sorry. We'll cut, that, we'll cut that out. Um, that's right. Cody wasn't on for Tampopo. Uh, sorry. I got you two mixed up. Um, oh, yeah. Cody wasn't on that episode. We didn't get a notice. We can drop it. 
I mean, he yeah. was. If, if we had all been on that episode, we didn't get a uh, Nodi's drop it. We didn't get a Nodi's yeah. drop it. I, at least, at least we I know what Cody to, was. I would have really loved to have heard Cody's thoughts on Tampopo. I mean, um, I, he was if only there was a space important. to do that, but we're yeah. gonna have to cut here's, it right now. Here, here, here's a yeah. sneak preview. It's a five star film, but I we can cut it. This movie's about edging tomorrow. Do you wanna... and I'm just like, brother, I'm edging today. <laughs> that <laughs> and good so morning many. is like a twofer of just like kind of kind of quirky, happy. You know what I mean? Like I think there's so much more to it than that. Incredible. But yes, in the yeah, no, larger discussion here, it is one of my top two. It is between Tempopo and Yee Yee for me. You know where I'm going if we kill Tempopo. Proceed. Twilight. Oh, sorry. All right, we can. I guess we're. Do Do you want to say something about Tempopo, Cody? No, I, it, it's good. Yeah, apologies. Not on the episode for it. Um, out on assignment. All that good stuff. Uh, it's great. Uh, I I recognize that when you said you started saying it's a victim of i was gonna say oh no hopefully not the paris texas thing like the end of the year but paris texas it feels a little bit like consi- that too it feels a little bit like that i think it's more of the yeah the wet run component victim of its own success we have such um uh, most of us have a lot of extensive mileage with that movie outside of the podcast tough to you know reconcile that with i don't it, it's a great film not best picture of the of of trial of podcast incorporated 2023 i think that's totally fair well, all right, guys. Well, this is this is a weird a weird twofer. Uh, we're down to Georgi Fair's Twilight and Edward Yang's Yee Yee. Uh, we also still have Millennium Mambo on the list. Oh, have we? Yeah. Um, Which I guess maybe, we can come for next. But maybe we talk yeah. about that one next. I guess uh, are you in a much better mood now that High Mom's off this list? <laughs> I like Millennium Mambo significantly more than I like Twilight. Um, but I don't think that that's the opinion of this most of the members of this podcast. So I think that that's a losing battle for me. Um, I think millennium Mambo is like so soulful and so like powerful and emotional and moving and so much about like what it means to forgive yourself and to move forward. Um, I, I just think that like, it's a movie that makes me feel things that twilight absolutely doesn't make me feel twilight is like a fun, grim, genre sort of like exercise it leaves me feeling scared and cold and alone and i i value that highly in a movie millennium mambo like makes me so emotional in a way that that twilight doesn't and maybe maybe that's not the best argument and maybe that's why twilight deserves this space more right maybe but for me personally like if we're getting in our feelings like yee yee and millennium mambo are the two movies this year that like really fucking hit me in the heart I guess in a way that um, Twilight hit me in the brain, <laughs> uh, but not necessarily in the heart, and and a little bit in the sphincter because it made me tighten that bad boy up because I was so scared about what it means to be a person. Uh, I will say that I am also going to vote for Millennium Mambo to get cut, but I do think that um, I I like it a lot. It is probably a top, just in terms of like personal taste, maybe a top five ish for the year for me. Um, I think it is a crime that I have not seen any of the director's other films. Uh, I should do that. Um, I think that it is, uh, it, maybe it's kind of a cheap comparison, but it is like one of the only movies that like reminds me of like a Terrence Malick movie that does not come off. Like it is copying from Terrence Malick in a weird way. Like it is, uh, it, it is utilizing like sound and music, uh, in, in a lot of the same ways. Uh, but it is kind of doing something I think pretty, uh, unique with it. Um, I like, I like it a lot. It's just not like a top two, which the other ones maybe are. 
it's wild because it's like it's so tough to evaluate it compared to Yi Yi, right? Mm-hmm. Because it's like its its unique powers are things that Yi Yi is also uniquely good at. <laughs> Sounds like I, I think know. there were mm-hmm. a bunch of really good Taiwanese films this year. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, there was one better one for sure. Maybe Sounds two like or three, but Mambo is about to go. All right. We are now down to what I erroneously stated was our top two earlier. We're down to Girgi Fair's Twilight and Edward Yang's Yi Yi. We heaped a lot of praise on Yi Yi, and Twilight felt like a dark horse this year as it was a dry run for everybody, as it was a cult film collective screening. Uh, will it bring out the worst in us as we um, leverage it against, inarguably, I think, one of the better films of Edward Yang's filmography uh, and one of I mean, I'm. I would. I would vote Yi Yi. Just there. It takes a lot to get me, me to buy a movie immediately after seeing it uh, on physical media, and I did exactly that. I bought the Criterion after seeing Yi Yi for the first time. Um, I'll let Cody tee up uh, his argument for if he has pro or anti that, but I'll give my justification later on. Sure, uh, certainly not anti that. Um, I really liked where we got to with these final two. Um, these are both films that I adored from this year. I would be. Happy to see either of them take the crown. Yee Yee, it was my second time seeing it. I am thrilled that I have this as a movie that I can come back to. It is my favorite of Edward Yang's, I think. Um, I'm thrilled that I have this movie to um, to come back to every so often. Um, I, I'm currently at a rate of once every like year and a half or two years or so. Uh, and just watch something that is so comprehensively beautiful. Um, it, 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 enriching, fulfilling experience every time I come back to that. Whereas Twilight for me, and this is where this is why I'm personally personally leaning towards um, Twilight for me represents my um, kind of trajectory with appreciation of film and the cinematic arts up to this point. Um, this is, uh, as I said earlier, Twilight. You know, like slow cinema in particular is, uh, you know, it is a, a particular form. It is tougher to get into um dep- your uh, your mileage may vary uh, that classic disclaimer um and it was something that i always had uh, as much as i would like to say that i you know like or appreciate slow cinema it was really tough for me to say like oh this is the shit that i just love and i came away from twilight more confident of the fact that she's like i don't just love this movie i i think i like this i, I think i love this whole um this whole subgenre however you want to frame it um it, it marked for me a, a a huge stride in my appreciation for um particular types of film and that's that is the thing that i when i come out of uh, a year you know looking back you know how have i grown as a person and someone who has taken in art over the past 365 days. And I think Twilight for me is, is a a huge, you know, monument to, in all the ways that I like to think that I've grown uh, over the past year. And so Twilight of these two would be my film of the year. I love both of these films a whole lot. um, But for now I'm planting my flag in the Twilight camp and apologies. I did not see who was queued next, but but feel free to have Mm -hmm. at it. Okay. Thank you. I'll try and go quick. Um, I am going to, agree with Cody. I think that for me, Twilight is, let me go up to my top five. Yes. Twilight is my favorite movie that I saw this year, despite being very annoying about hi mom. Um, I think that 
I joked earlier that Twilight was like the second best uh, uh, work of Hungarian slow cinema I saw this year uh, because I was able to see Satan Tango um, in the uh, theater earlier this year. I think like January like 6th or something. Oh, January 7th, maybe 8th, something like that um, at <clears throat> the, the, one of the local film centers here. Um, and I think that that is like not a detraction from how good Twilight is more that like I think Satan Tango is like maybe a top 10 for me at this point. Um, Twilight, I think like kind of represents why I dig the trial on in general. And also I think provides like kind of a, an interesting story about, um, you know, film restoration and whatnot. I think, you know, this is a film that was, uh, lost for like years and years and years. It is like truly a cult film in like the, the classic sense of the term and that it was lost. It was available uh, pretty much just on like VHS copies in its original language, um, there were maybe like small torrents floating around of, of you know, VHS rips, um, you know, and then in the last year it was uh, kind of, you know, remastered and, and put back out um, with, you know, this kind of um, theatrical run and whatnot. I think that like Twilight for me is like, you know, I think it also taps into like, yes, I've seen like a few Bellatar films. I'm like interested in slow, slow cinema Hungarian and not just like as a, a, a genre, right? Um, but I also think that there is an aspect of Twilight specifically that is like so intriguing, and that this thing can just like pop up after all of these years and just like still be so intriguing and still be like one of my favorite things that I've seen, right? It kind of speaks to just like how much else is out there that I don't know, right? Specifically in foreign cinema uh, as a whole. And for me, like, Kind of comparing it to Yi Yi, um, I think Yi Yi is the best Yang film uh, that I've seen, at least. That I haven't seen like two of them. Um, I like Edward Yang a lot. I think something about Yi Yi was actually a little. Harry talked about it like hitting his heart and, and Twilight hitting his brain. I think Yi Yi kind of didn't hit my heart in a very weird way. Um, I think that some of Yang's worst films, like clearly worse than Yi Yi, kind of had a larger impact on me in a weird way. I think like that day on the beach is like undeniably a weaker film. Um, but I still like remember like moments or like the general impression given from that film a lot more than Yee Yee. And maybe, you know, Yee Yee is this like what almost four hour long kind of sprawling. It's not quite an epic, but, but you get the comparison. Um, but for some reason, like it just hasn't, like I recognize how good it is and it has even grown on me as I think on it. Um, but it, it did not kind of catch me in the same way where like, I, I think about the, the scene from twilight where the cop like goes into the car and like slowly moves towards the camera. I think about that probably like once a week, just like that shot. Um, so I don't know, maybe that's like going with my gut too much here, but like, yeah, I, I personally would, would go twilight here. I think. Uh, I mean, it's probably not really a surprise. I think he is far and away. Um, my winner, um, Yi is like a movie that I had seen before that I wanted to come back to that I was really looking forward to coming back to and that my understanding and appreciation of was transformed by the experience of both seeing it at the Trilon and talking about it with my friends. Um, like a lot of what each of you said about Yi Yi continues to resonate with me and I continue to think about it and I will return to Yi Yi again and again in the years to come, and my understanding of it will continue to shape change, and it has been shaped by my friends um, and by the Trilon in a way that I think is like demonstrative of exactly what I want out of the Trilon, which is to say that like 
the experience of watching a movie with a community and discussing a movie with a community gives me something that I would not have attained on my own with the movie. Um, I can see that like point for point with Yee where I watched it on my own. I loved it. And then I watched it again with my friends. And like now, every time I return to the movie, I'm probably going to listen to our podcast episode on it, right? Because like I want to experience that again. Um, Yee is the perfect movie for that because I feel like, and again, I, I'm not disparaging Twilight. I loved Twilight. I think it's a really good movie. Um, but like Yee, when I think about Yee, I think about like who I am and who my friends are and like what I think about the world and life not to get too sort of woo-woo with it. Whereas with, with Twilight, Twilight is like, in my mind, kind of merely, not to be a biggest scare quotes imaginable, right? But like merely a great movie in that like, it, there's a lot happening there that's fascinating to think about. Whereas with E, it's like, that's th- this is a movie that like is going to help shape who I am and what I experience going forward. And it's like, it's the kind of movie that I like, I want everyone to see. Like I'm... Like, I have been a huge advocate for it. I've been trying to get Charlie to see it for God knows how long. And, like, the reason why is because, like, it improves your life, right? Like, and I, I feel like of all of the movies that we saw this year, like, watching Yee again and recording on it was, like, a really bright spot in my year that, like, markedly improved the sort of course and trajectory in what has been a very hard year for me otherwise. Um and so not to get too sort of like going with my gut with it also, um, Aaron, because I, I sympathize with that. And I, I think Aaron and Cody both made super compelling points. I love the idea that like that Twilight is a movie that's sort of representative of what you go to the trial on for. For me, Yee Yee is like the epitome of what I go to the trial on for. It's like not, not even necessarily new movies to me, but like I, I want to like understand how my experience with having this podcast and with watching movies at the Trilon, how that is changing me for the better. And I think more than anything else, Yee did that for me this year. And that's why I think it's my pick of the year. Uh, I, I echo a lot of that because my heart is in Yee for the choice here on best picture. Um, to be completely honest, I just liked it more, like even stripping away, you know, how the kind of conversations we had about these movies or the context of seeing them. I think it just like Yi is a movie that lands more comfortably inside a part of movies that I already get. And at the same time, and this is a plus in its column, there was a certain degree of like self-imposed risk I had to watching Yi because I had through a director watch that a friend of the pod, Seth Zarati had put on the year preceding me watching Yi. I'd already seen a couple, uh, I think two or three of Edward Yang's movies. And I really, really liked them. I had seen Taipei story and uh, terrorizers. I don't think I had seen a brighter summer day yet, but um, point being there's a certain degree of like risk of will this continue? I know that it's one of his best regarded. I know that it's like one that I've heard the most about. It's got a comic kind of imagery. There's a criterion release and all this kind of stuff. There was just a degree of, I'm not sure how this is going to pan out. And it did. It was just a very straight on the head, I'm very comfortable with this. It's very rich. The text is itself very, very rich. It's also like not incredibly um, dense. It's just very much in a comfortable wheelhouse for me of a movie. And I'm very glad that I saw it. It felt like checking an essential box off for me as somebody who likes to watch movies and pretends like he can nobody talk what he's talking about, or at least, you know, move toward learning more about it. Um, 
Twilight did not do for me what it did for Cody, where uh, I it, like it, it, you know, sort of like was essential in the movement, uh, you know, or excuse me, a, a realization or a culmination of your ability to uh, talk about movies and your like study of film. Um, it wasn't quite that for me, but I think it's just because of a, an experience level thing. Like, I don't think I'm at that point yet where I can watch a movie like that and just have it be the breakthrough for me or a breakthrough or, you know, a monumental piece. I do respect its place in me learning movies more. And like even the content of the movie, if I'm not talking about my own contextual, what I'm bringing to it, uh, like, I don't think that I need after watching twilight. I don't think I need more, uh, you know, slow cinema stuff. I don't think I'm quite at the point of, excuse me, Cody or Aaron, where it's really like, you've come to realize that it's your thing or that it's a thing that you really appreciate or that, you know, you get, and you want more of sort of thing. I'm not quite there with it yet. Uh, but even at that, it is very uh, like effective at what it does. It's while it's planted firmly in the language of slow cinema, it uh, it's still fairly approachable. I didn't feel like I was way too in over my head. I feel like I was having the appropriate emotional response to things. I didn't feel like I was left behind in a whole lot of cases. Um, and then the discussion we had really like cemented a lot of that for me, where I was like, oh yeah, I was on a certain track, correct track for understanding this thing. Uh, it's very you know um, like it the, just the fact that Twilight in the way that Yi doesn't necessarily, the fact that Twilight uh, uses that specific form of, you know, its genre to imbue, a like I said, very, fairly approachable story with uh, a specific feeling and that I was receiving that feeling as intended does feel like, like a, a thing to note for me in my experience of watching the movie. My heart though is in Yi Yi just for the same reasons Harry said. I can't I can't say it better. It's just an incredibly rich, incredibly emotional, incredibly emotive piece that just rang with me on more things of like if I'm looking for something out of a movie, I found it in Yi Yi. If I'm looking to like blank slate it and just be shown whatever, it would be Twilight. But Best Picture is more the former for me, where I am sort of like I'm hoping for or I'm expecting and I'm satisfied or I'm not satisfied in this case, be satisfied on all of those fronts for me. Um, I think that leaves us at two for two, uh, two for ye, two for two for twilight. But uh, I see a couple of hands up and maybe the, you know, plates start to shift from here. Uh, yeah, I will say, I think that I can't speak to Cody, but I think I may, I, I think I may kind of have the opposite take where you said it is more of like the former for like what you go to. And I think it is more of the latter for me in a way. And then I think that, um, you know, you, you described like watching ye as like, is going to, I mean, yeah, it sounded kind you describe, you use the term like checking boxes, right. Where it's like, you will see, ye. I think that like, that is like kind of the aspect of it that like, usually in these kind of discussions, I think I tend not to go for those kind of films and that like, I will, I would have seen Yee, you know what I mean? Um, there are a lot of movies like that, that like that maybe I've already seen like Lawrence of Arabia or apocalypse now, but you know, kind of have that, that kind of, um, general understanding that like, these are great films. Yee in particular is like considered maybe the, the best film since it's came out. You know what I mean? Um, I think that like, when when I think over like the the previous like uh, movies we've discussed for like best picture, you know, I was going for Cure over Seven Samurai. Um, I was going for um, I'm trying to think last year, Possession. You know what I mean? Um, I, I think I tend to go for films that really kind of shocked me awake in a way, and that like gave me something I wasn't expecting. Um, and I think Twilight did that for me. 
uh, more. And I think ye, I maybe wouldn't have seen it this year. Although I was planning on watching the Edward Yang films anyway, but like I would have caught it in a year or two. It is great, like undeniably great, but not what I go for for best picture. I don't Fair. think. Yeah, but no, also I'm soulless I, and heartless, you know. So yeah, it's yeah. No, uh, yeah, same here, uh, for sure. Uh, no, I, I I align with that pretty heavily. Um, I think looking at the two finalists we have here, shooting from the hip, I I think one could argue, yee yee. Better, mo- like most comprehensive piece of art com- of the two. Whereas I see Twilight as best picture of 2023 for for this podcast. That's just my my view of it. Maybe it is just a, a matter of ideology. I do. I, I see myself conceding, you know, Yi as a second place, um, or like conceding that I see myself closer to that than it seems like Harry and Jason are just like looking at a potential way out of this. Not that we need to get to that point yet, but, um, still flag firmly planted, uh, in camp, uh, twilight worst case scenario on um, the tie break that we do have is, um, you know, count up the number of pieces of merch or memorabilia that are visible, um, on camera, you know, within each, each of our living rooms. Um, I know I got the twilight poster up. Um, that might be, nope, 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 nope. You can't, oh, think I'm looking at Harry's Kleenex box. Um, I'm not sure what that suge- suggests about yeah. me. Ye. Um, a lot to, a lot to consider there. Um, but yeah, sorry. That was, um, I didn't see who was next, but that's, that's kind of where I'm at. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I, I hate to, to bring it down to this, right. And I know it's always going to hurt. Um, there's, I'm not going to be one over to twilight, uh, to be frank, I don't even think it was in my top half of the movies we've discussed here. Uh, I like it a lot. It kind of left me cold in some ways. Um, I really loved it as an intellectual exercise, as an artistic exercise. Um, I didn't bring that much back with me home. Uh, in fact, I, I think that not to be... And, and again, like it's it's weird to say this, right? But like I think it's kind of a soft target in some ways. It's like pretty easy to be cynical uh, and that it's it's a pretty cynical movie. And it, it reinforced my belief in a pretty pessimistic outlook. But that's not really what I want to say. Like, I like Twilight a lot. I think it's a great movie. Um, the reason why I think Yi is my personal pick is because I think it specifically seeing it with a group and talking about it with a group made me understand it better and love it better for its own themes. Um, I came away with it with this, like, this empathy and again this this sort of like forgiveness of self that has been a big theme of me for 2023 just in the in the sense that like i think yi yi is about like how painful our limited perspectives are and how we can find some version of um relief from that pain in understanding that everyone else has despite having their own isolated perspectives um is going through similar things to, that we are. Um, if we could just see that, and and I think that watching Yi with a group of people and with my friends helped me see that, and um, that really like improved my outlook in a measurable way uh, this year. Um, in a way that like I don't think that I like benefited from watching Twilight in the same way. Um, but you know, that's just me. Sorry, my mouse was malfunctioning. I, I think, I mean, I, one of the reasons I wanted to like the reason I'm on this two reasons I'm on this podcast are to, um, find new movies to understand, uh, so to speak. And like to 
better understand the movies I do understand already, or like that I have seen, so to speak, that I've already imbibed. Um, it's like 51% uh, new movies and 39% understanding movies I already do know uh, as far as like incentive and the way that Cody phrased like Twilight being the best picture for this podcast does make me think differently, but it's a very simple way to like little, you know, tiny switch of the, of, of, of how your mind thinks about it. But, um, I think that does it, like, it's, it's not as simple. It's not an easy like switch. I like still, I believe my heart is in Yee as best picture. Uh, but I am, I'm, I'm very comfortable for the auspices of this office of try love and for like the, why we recorded on it in the first place, why we ended up seeing it. I think I think I'm comfortable switching my vote to Twilight, even though objectively I did not enjoy it as much as Yee. Uh, I think it just showed me new things about a movie that, uh, you know, about movies in general. And I had new discussions that, while we had great discussions about Yee, and I think I understand that movie even a little bit better, and I love it, and I'm going to watch. It. I don't know when the next time I'm going to watch Twilight is. I think it just like for the fit of this podcast, for the fit of this show, for the fit of like having seen a movie at the trial on at or through the trial on it is just the 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 pick like it it land it fits that niche better it is like that 51% drive to see new movies and understand new things about new things it fits that better for me so um trying to like turn a pre- personal preference into like a, a preference of a whole body of work that we're trying to create here it feels weird but it it seems to fit uh given that framing you know of of like for this podcast it feels like the better pick it feels like the best picture um Aaron final thoughts yeah, at the risk of like not to, I hope I'm adding to what you're saying. Uh, I will say that like I think that that an interesting thing for me about like watching Twilight and then discussing it is that like, I you know I, I kept thinking back to like when we'd watched Damnation, right? And I think we had like I had screen shared that to everyone off my laptop, yeah. right? I think that was like <laughs> pandemic, like just shit's really fucked. Like just watch this fucking you know maybe Blu-ray rip uh, that I found. And I, I just kind of remember thinking like, one, like, I don't know what the fuck I'm going to talk about for this episode. Uh, two, I don't know if I even like this. Uh, like, you know, we're kind of joking or whatever to get through the the 30 minute cuts, you know, uh, of people dancing in like a muddy bar, you know, nonstop. Um, and that like, you know, we had talked about it and like by the end of that year, that was like one of, I think I put that in my top five for like my favorite films of the year, despite like being even then like kind of conflicted about it. Cause I think there was like something that was like kind of sticking up here. And I think that twilight, like one, I think our like discussion was a lot better. Like we, we straight up, I don't think didn't do any of like the, I don't know what to talk about for this film kind of BS that we often do like fairly. Right. Um, I think it is like interesting, you know, those are two different directors, uh, but it is a film movement and they are collaborators and whatnot. I think it is like a weirdly like kind of heartening thing to like, see us discuss those two movies years apart and like be better and smarter and more capable of like digesting that material in a way um, that like kind of speaks to why I like going and chatting with my buds every week. Um, Also, if you would like to spend a Saturday uh, down in Chicago, Satan Tango is playing all eight hours in a row again, maybe Jason, that's the way you on the 20th. Maybe you come down. Maybe you spend a day just the 20th watching of it. what does January. Oh, Christ. <laughs> Something to think about. But yeah, and I uh, agree if, with everything you said. 
it seems like I'm outvoted. Um, so I'll just say I vehemently disagree. <laughs> uh, I think that uh, Twilight is is not as rich a movie as E.E. is. Our discussion on it was not as good. Um, I think that it is an analytical movie. Uh, I think that that makes it easy to talk about in a way that Yee is not because Yee is a more emotive movie, but I enjoyed the experience of both watching and talking about Yee considerably more. Uh, I think it is a better representation of what we talk about when we talk about like what we want to do with this podcast. Um, and uh, that's, that's what I think. So uh, congratulations to Twilight. Um, not even close to the best movie that we watched this year. And uh, with a bang, the Golden yeah. <laughs> Berries Awards comes to a close as Twilight has taken the Golden Berry for best. Oh, sorry, Cody, this is your. Oh, I'm so sorry. I'm stopping on your. No, no, that that's that's okay. Um, congratulations to Twilight Best Picture 2023. Um, but I I, th- I will shoot us back to the top uh, of our document, so we'll go back to you, Jason, as we um, before we get to our our last last thing, um, providing a little recap uh, following this this marathon episode here. I'm just going back and recapping our winners, and I believe Jason, you have the the first category, and then we'll just go down the line. Indeed, uh, our first award was for Trilove's Best Dry Run. Won by Emperor of the North by Robert Aldrich. Trilon's tri- what the fuck I've talked. <laughs> How did tri- you mispronounce Trilon? <laughs> tri- tri- well, it's not even that. It's the word we're supposed to say the name of the podcast. Try Love's best wet run, a phrase that none of us are going to say until maybe next year. <laughs> Please, Jesus, never say that again. Uh, goes to Looper, uh, directed by Ryan Johnson. Congrats, Mr. Johnson. Congrats, Mr. Johnson. Over to the Rashomani's uh, fixed winner this year. That would be Peter Weir's The Mosquito Coast, once again, for Rashomani's 2023. Uh, For best animated feature, we had uh, Takehide Hore's Junkhead. Best El, film series. There we go. <laughs> at the tri- so I had like scrolled down just so I couldn't see that. Best yeah. film series at the Trilon. Uh, Peter Weir, you did not win, uh, spoiler alert, Best Director, uh, but you had a hell of a film series with some real weird films, so congrats, Mr. Weir. We didn't talk about this. They've usually got great titles for their series. That one was just Peter Weir. Uh, You could have thought up a pretty fucking weird title for that one. Zero points. Yeah, Peter Weird. (laughs) Uh, Shout out to Friend of the Pod, Seth Roddy. Our next category was the Best The Film, the in quotations. The first, excuse me, the second, the not the in the best. Um, which went to The Conformist by Bernardo Bertolucci. That's right. Moving down the line to the best non-film series film, a.k.a. the best one-off of the year 2020, uh, 2023. What year is it? Uh, and that goes to Georgi Fair's Twilight. Next up, we have Best Cult Collective Screening, which went to, in a surprise upset, the Grindhouse Trailer Spectacular, collected by Dan Halstead. Did you scroll too far again? Best director. <laughs> God damn it. I look, I just best director goes to uh Edward Yang. Congratulations, Mr. Yang. Can I take this one, Harry? Uh this Please, was this do. was a category that both Harry and I introduced that uh Cody uh recuses himself from even hearing the results of. Uh this is the best Cody's noty, uh including not Cody's voties for Cody's noties, went to episode 247's section on uh the movie Scream. 
with the title most faced fill most faced filler most face filler oh my god uh which was about shared cast and crew trivia between that film and other films um thank you so much cody once more for uh making for even giving us the content to start ranking that uh award and you know what isn't most face filler? Most of this episode. This is all meat and potatoes uh, as we head to one of the more important categories of the year for my money, the year of the blank. Uh, this year turned out to be the year of the fumbled baddie, which is the category that Aaron submitted. Um, the year of the fumbled baddie is what shall mark 2023. Next up, our pen penultimate segment, uh, King of the Trilon, which this year went to Ernest Borgnine. After that, we did Queen of the Trilon, uh, Maggie Chung. Congrats to Maggie. Second time's the charm. That's right. And moving down the line to our final discussed category, best picture of 2023. And that goes to Georgi Fair's Twilight. Uh, congratulations to all in consideration for this award. Um, a lot of great films this year uh, and a lot of great uh, conversations had as we head into our last thing, Jason. I know you've got some names to read off, um, and I'll let you take it from there. A lot of great conversations, but who helped us converse the, in those conversations? But all of our wonderful guests on Try Love for 2023. We were really, uh, really, really, really lucky to add uh, four new guest voices to the podcast feed this year. Uh, we had Dan Halstead on Salvaging Accidental Art. It was an interview uh, about him and his work with the Hollywood Theater and bringing the Grand House trailers and a couple of Kung Fu movies to the trial on this year. Fantastic. Thank you, John, for hooking us up once again. And thanks, Dan, for appearing on the podcast. Emma Yunsmith joined for Watership Down and then joined again for another episode where none of us were featured on The Blair Witch Project. Uh, Celia Madison. Sorry, I'm trying to go um, uh, alphabetically or, or not. Uh, Maddie Sheehy joined for the very first time since following, I forget a couple of us, on Letterboxd as of a couple of years ago um, for the Blair Witch Project, another episode none of us were on. Uh, and Celia Madison rounds out our first timers on this year's uh, Trial of episode list uh, for an episode about Footloose. Thank you all so much to our new guests. And returning guests included Blake Hester for Pulse, Abby Phelps for War of the Worlds and the Blair Witch Project, Natalie Morlin for Mad Max and Blair Witch Project. Uh, Seth Zarati for Looper, a Puff Puff Movie Pass episodes, which we didn't really discuss as part of our new new programming this year. We'll see if it comes back next year. Um, and the cars that ate Paris. Uh, Dan Nagan joined for an episode about Edge of Tomorrow, which left enough of an impact on me, his appearance that uh, sort of snuck into this uh, discussion through uh, by way of a Cody's Noti. Kelly Krantz appeared on our episodes about uh, Revolver and the Doom Generation, uh, bringing some really critical insight, especially on the Doom Generation, uh, as Harry mentioned earlier. And uh, Finn Odom appeared. Uh, I think this was the first year Finn appeared as a senior editor for Parasphere, the trial on blogs. It was great to get her perspective on the movies at play there. She's part of those conversations, and we were, were not. So really great to get that perspective um, for The Thing from Another World and The Holy Mountain. And uh, Aaron Grossman, after a period of absence stretching at least three or four episodes, I forget, uh, reappeared for an episode about Yee Yee um, and then helped kill it in the final Best Picture discussion. So maybe the fix was in all along. Uh, thank you so much to all of our wonderful guests. Thank you, Aaron, for I hope you can make it again sometime. Um, maybe by the time that the Me next two varies roll around, you'll be on another <clears throat> episode. Uh, but really, the guests make this the we, we argue about the movies all the time, but I will always come back to the guests are the best part of this show. Um, I say that too about Cody's notice, but I'm being truthful about both. It's wonderful to have new guests on. Uh, if you have made it this far and you enjoy this enough, please tell a friend. We really love having new voices on. If they love to talk about movies, chances are they love to talk about movies with us. So let them know. 
Um, thank you other three fellows on this call for, uh, helping round out a very good, this has been between two combined broken recordings, uh, four hours and 15 minutes of discussing film, uh, discussing films that we've already discussed. Go figure that people are going to call us crazy. Uh, but they will be wrong because it's Trilo. And it's uh, one of the things that gives my week a really wonderful bright spot to end or begin with, depending on how you structure your calendars on Sundays. Uh, so I just want to thank everybody once again for joining. It's my favorite thing in the world to make this podcast. Uh, glad we got to do it so much in 2023. Looking forward to whatever 2024 has in store. And uh, and in the meantime, you can find us on Twitter at Trilove Podcast. You can find me on Twitter at Trilove. And no, you can't. At Nintendoofus. Oh boy, the wheels are already falling yeah. off. Sorry, I'm just going already? in. Already? You say already? Here. It's five hours well, later and it's like, oh, can't uh, last, can ya? Yeah. Uh, hey, stay tuned next year. Uh, we'll, we'll top this runtime. Uh, I really uh, love doing just uh, not the golden berries. I mean, I, I, we, we talk a lot of shit about it. Uh, this is genuinely a lot of fun. And I love doing the podcast with y'all. I uh, love watching movies at the Trilon and elsewhere. Um, we'd love to see more Puff Puff Movie Pass programming. I did recently just up my Movie Pass subscription to like the highest threshold, which is perfect wow. in time for I'm checking my notes here. January release of a movie called Night Swim, <laughs> which is sure to be uh, just in time for the January uh, mainstream cinema uh, programming. Um, sure to be a lot of fun. Um, but thank you uh, so much for listening to, to anybody who's had a hand in this. Um, here's the 2024. I've been Cody Narvison. You can find me on Twitter at Cody underscore BH and Blue Sky at Cody Narvison. I've been Harry Mackin. You can find me on Twitter at Punish Take. Looking forward to next year. Thanks, everybody. My name is Aaron. Uh, thank you to all my co-hosts, especially Cody again. Nice job with the noties this year. 2024. Just waiting. Thanks, everyone. With that, I've just got one thing left to say. <clears throat> Fuck you, James Woods. <laughs>